One podcast has crushed the horror landscape, leaving behind the silent audio waves of all of those who have came before. Introducing our hosts. This man needs no introduction, but needs seven takes to record his own. He is known for rating bad movies high and known for rating good movies high. Don't try to call him because he only phones it in. He is our host from the foreign land of Canada, Mood 616. This man is willing to die even on the smallest of hills. He argues to the point in which he disagrees with himself. A man who knows a remake when he sees one. He is the Mexican-born super producer known as the humble one and the sexy one, JP. They are known for creating superstars out of their guests. They are known for being the number one horror podcast on the Horophilia Network, except for when they allow others to take a turn. They are the devil's advocate of horror podcasting. They are the 22 shots of moods and horror. Yes, yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 82 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror Podcast is coming at you live. I am your host, Mood616, also known as Moods. And of course, I've always got my hearty Mexican beef taco double shot J at my table, also known as JP. What's going on, my player with the spicy hot sauce flow? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on, man? Who's who's that? <laughs> who's what? Who are you here with? <laughs> Double Shot J, motherfucker. Uh, who's that guy? I have no idea. Who is Double Shot J? I have not heard that name in a long time. I'm thinking maybe like five weeks around that time. Has it been about that long? Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I heard he died. Oh, shit, man. Rumors, rumors, rumors. <laughs> oh, did, did you think that but I if, was him? But if you did, if, yeah. I mean, no. if he died, I'm thinking maybe he might be back from the dead right now. No. Is he back from the dead? No, this this is this is Double Shot G. Double Shot G. Yeah. The, I'm, I'm <laughs> the just... reincarnation of Double Shot J. He did officially die? Yeah, yeah, he's dead. Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. Well, I'm here with Double Shot G at my table. You know, he's the one with the spicy hot sauce flow. Yeah. (laughs) It stands for Gary, by the way. Double Shot Gary? (laughs) Well, well, nice to meet you, Double Shot Gary. It's nice to have you on the show, um, you know, episode 82. And uh, I hope you're familiar with uh, this trilogy that we're going to be covering on the show. Uh, it's dating all the way back to 1997. And of course it is the, I know what you did last summer trilogy. Are you familiar with these films? No, because I thought we was covering the scream trilogy quadrilogy. <laughs> Damn. I, you know, five weeks can't get things organized. And, uh, I, 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 this actually makes sense. I, I should have been expecting this should have been expecting this. Um, I'm my bad, my bad. You should never assume anything in the podcast world, right? I never mean, anything. I I guess I could probably just I, I wing it. You know, I, I doubt these movies have much substance. To stay ab- <laughs> probably no substance whatsoever. Um, got some pretty big boobs in them, though. Let, let's just let's it. just pretend that I watched them. Okay. Yeah, sounds good, man. <laughs> So what is going on, Double Shot G? What is going... What's new? I mean... What? <laughs> I shouldn't even say what is new. I don't even fucking know you. What is anything? Yeah, what is anything? What is? What are you about? 
<laughs> oh geez, I, I can't I can't do it anymore, guys. I'm sorry that that it was hard. Um, yes, that yeah, is right. Yeah, Double I'm shot back. Jay has not died. Double yeah, shot I'm Jay still has here. not died. I'm still here. Though I, I imagine that most people assume that I died. I, I do poke around on the face group, but book group obviously. But I have a feeling that that's not the majority of our listeners. Seems like uh, most people probably don't comment or write in or or anything like that or, or communicate in the group or anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, we're back. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll be, get a little more consistent. We, I, I doubt we'll be back in 100% full force right away, but you know, kind of maybe like a um, funnel towards that. You know, we'll funnel we'll funnel out towards the the regular schedules again, which which will be cool. Um, we yeah. we did have obviously in the last episode, <laughs> like five weeks ago, we said that we were going to be doing the believers, uh, believers, believers show. Uh, but you know that would have been episode eighty two. Yeah, but I mean, we have uh, the Fourth of July um, next week, so figured that we would. Uh, you know, you know how I am, moods. You know me, like, like I love doing the themes and like keeping with the oh yeah, uh, man. me too, calendar man. and stuff. So if it's Valentine's Day, well, shit, next year I, we probably won't have a Valentine's Day movie because <laughs> there ain't no more. But um, you know, Christmas, there's plenty of those, so we'll always do Christmas episodes and. Um, probably a few more summer ones and, and stuff like this that. This worked itself up pretty well, though. I mean, usually every summer we like to do like, you know, a summer kind of franchise or trilogy. Um, and, uh, th- you know, of course, this one, as I know we did last summer, but it also falls on, you know, Independence Day, too. So that's a double whammy right there, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's great. That's awesome. But like we said, <laughs> kind of joking about it before the top of the show, I think we're running out of these summer trilogy slash um franchises except for the big one the big one which you know kind of saving it for last (laughs) saving it for last i guess maybe who knows i mean no i shouldn't say there should be there there would be more in between now and then it's definitely not going to happen but uh but yeah no it's uh it's good to hear your voice again man it's good to be back doing this um it's just kind of ironic that you know in episode 81 we're almost bragging about how we'd been you know on this really we've been on a huge hot streak, a huge tear of the show. We had been about nine, eight or nine straight weeks where we hadn't missed a week. And then all of a sudden, bam, we missed five. <laughs> yeah. So. Really, really crazy. I, I mean, it, it serves us right. The horror po- podcasting gods do not take kindly to braggers. That's for damn sure. Uh, but you know, Oh yeah. They, they <laughs> laid the smack down on us right there. They're like, no, don't even bring up that shit. Here you yeah. go. Yeah. They smack you back to Thank reality you. really quick. Of course, this was uh this was this this it was my turn to to sort of uh put the stop to the show. Um, it hasn't been me for a long time. Normally it's you or Jeremy um, that shit comes up and we have to take breaks and stuff. But uh, it yeah. was it was yeah. me this time. Like the first summer that Moods is able to actually record all summer, and like I <laughs> fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, just yeah, some uh, craziness I- going on. And I had to pump the brakes a little bit, but it's, it's starting to wind down now. So I figured we could get together and at least do one here. Hey man, it it happens to the best of us. And, you know, you know, at least you're, at least we're back doing this episode and I think things are looking up. So, you know, it's just, it's just great to be doing this one, you know, this uh, is absolutely. Exciting, so. and, I, and I know people have been wanting it and a few people have asked you about it. A few people have asked me about it, which guys, I got to say right now, uh, that's probably the best way to get us to come back. And I mean, it, it, 
granted if something's seriously going on like i'm not going to come back just when i'm not ready but it definitely adds to the motivation of of us coming back a lot of people don't like that like quit bugging me like i don't want to hear that like I'm, I'm busy like i'll come back when i come back fuck that blow me up annoy me <laughs> you know what i'm saying because like it to me it hit me up on my me. pager <laughs> it makes me uh i used to have one of those actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, but you know it makes me excited it makes me if I see that people are like wanting it and people are missing it, like that inspires me. I don't know how other shows get annoyed at that because I've literally, I, I've literally seen shows, you know, uh, lash out at their listeners because they're like, "Look, we're busy, you know, I got other stuff going on, like we're not coming back and, and stuff like that." I'm like, I'm like, dude, just blow me up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, I try to get back. I mean, just oddly enough, in the last three, four days, I've had. You know, multiple people asked me and I was like, well, you know, we might be coming back pretty soon. I didn't really tell them for sure, but uh, it was just kind of maybe a little coincidental. But no, there has been a bunch of people over the last, uh, you know, couple weeks, especially because I think it's starting to really kind of hit people that maybe don't roam the Facebook group. And if you do, if you're on there, you probably do know what's going on. Um, but if you don't, you know, a lot of comments are coming straight to my, um, you know, messenger and uh, and videos and stuff like that. And so. I just kind of give them a brief explanation of what's going on, but it is nice to keep hearing from people that they do care. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you know, yeah. another big motivation was seeing the horophilia numbers come out the other day. Oh, man. I had forgotten that we even put out shows in May. So seeing that we had, uh, what two shows in the top 10, uh, number one and number two. And then we had one at number four, which was the mini shots episode. Yeah, well, we had three of the top four episodes, which was interesting because there was a podcast that was missing from that top ten, though, wasn't there? Was there? I think – I swear there was a show that wasn't on there. I was like, okay. But, you know, nevertheless, we had three of the top four episodes. And I had actually kind of forgot about Mini Shots, too, when I saw the the rankings. I was like, oh, yeah, Mini Shots. <laughs> I was actually surprised that Mini Shots did that well. Yeah, I was I was a little bit surprised actually too, but uh it was nice to see the two shows that we did episode 80 and 81, I guess, hit the yeah. number 1 spot which Shram you know, it's and, just uh, yeah, Shram yeah. and the anthology show. Yeah. And it was just, you know, I I I the first thing I pictured when I looked at that list was Brandon and Dave Z's faces. Yeah, they're <laughs> like we, totally we thought we them. got rid of them. They were gone. <laughs> they weren't they, here anymore. They run a highway. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah yeah so, so definitely definitely made me smile you know obviously you know like i i had a comment the other day that said that i'm like a arrogant dickhead and stuff and i was like yeah a little bit but you know that's <laughs> but, I'm, no but you're the humble one though but you're the humble <laughs> one. um you know, but it, it's all in good fun like i yeah. It would be different if I took myself 100% seriously and I truly felt that way. But, like, I'm playing a character. Like, I'm having fun with it. And, uh, you know, I, I guess, I, I guess I'll mention recently, this. There, okay, there is a lot of people recently that I I think – well, I've come to the conclusion that they do not understand your sense of humor no, whatsoever. 100%. Because it showed on a recent video that you did and also just the comments and things like that, you know, just – you know, actually, we'll get into this a little bit later because there is actually a voicemail that kind of cracked me up. <laughs> so we'll get into that shit. But what, which voicemail are you talking about? Uh, there was a really, really quick one. It was oh, about a... yeah. Okay. Well, I did want to talk about that later too. So, so we will <laughs> yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it's relatable. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm I'm happy as hell to be back. Uh. You, you know, 
I obviously said that I had retired from podcasting, but like all great uh, everybody's who who retire, they they always can't stay away. Um, which I knew going into it, it was just the way that I worded things to be uh, to make a big deal out of it. Um, so I I felt I felt mm. it like I was like I, I need to feel this that I'm leaving just so it can make me want to come back. Um, you know. I don't know. I don't know. I like, I knew I wasn't done for sure. you like for good, you know, like I, mm-hmm. obviously like I, I, I'm very, but you know, not knowing person. when you're able to come back yeah. is kind of, a, it's a devastating thing because you just, all you want to do is just throw in the towel. It's like, if I don't have, yeah, I was seriously, I was definitely getting frustrated as hell. You know? Yeah. If I can't, you know, give you any type of date when we're going to be able to come, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. It was just so frustrating to me because everyone was like, Oh, JP, you know what's going on and stuff. And I was like, Hey guys, you know, I'm hurting over here too. <laughs> it, was, it was because we were on such a roll and I was like, and then all of a sudden I was all bummed out and even the wife was like, what's the matter? And I'm like, we should be recording tonight. <laughs> yes. It was doing that to me and it didn't actually fully hit me until about two, three weeks later. And I was like, it's a long break. I was like, holy shit, man. And I was like, I was just watching like random films and I didn't really have any, I didn't have, there was no method to my madness of what was going on in my, in my daily lives with film yeah, watching stuff. Cause I do really did dictates like what I, it's almost a structure. Time, yeah. It's almost a structure because there are certain things that I do watch. Like I'll watch Italian films. I'll watch what we're watching for the featured reviews. I'll watch other things specifically for what we watched and so on. Right. But I was just like all over the place. I was like watching fucking just weird shit man i don't know it's just yeah. it's weird how it, it's weird how it just totally affects you and then you don't realize for a while you know yeah but, uh, and and you are right about that where i i seriously had no idea it could have been a not honestly it's a little shorter shorter than i than i pictured to where i would be able to record again but i didn't know if it was going to be like three four five six months so that's that's one of the reasons why i just said like i'm done just so just so everybody understood like to to not think that it was a short term thing, you know. I wanted everybody to know that I was I, I, like it was a serious situation that I'm that I'm going through right now, and I, and I have to step away for a little bit. Um, but you know, straight up, like I love podcasting more than than a lot of things. Like it, it's one of my favorite uh, hobbies for for sure. I love the preparation. I love yeah, yeah. the feedback. I, I love. Um, I guess like the artistic flair that you get sometimes with it, trying to improve. Like I I always am one of those people that like to improve with a lot of things I do, such as, you know, just speaking in general. I, I I can't talk for shit most of the time, but like as, as I go on and I do it more, I feel like I get a little bit better at it and a little bit better at it. And Mm -hmm. it helps in regular day life. It, It even helps with my job, which is a management job where I have to like speak in front of, you know, a group of people and, and get my points across. So, so it is definitely a skill that, uh, takes a while to develop. I'm still developing, but it's, it's fun to sort of, um, get better at it. And podcasting is probably one of the best things to do to sort of improve your speech and, you know, talking in front of people or whatever. Mm-hmm. Love, it. Love mm-hmm. podcasting. It's super so, fun. So let me ask you a question. Yes. Do you think that this this return right now is going to help, you know, kind of motivate and maybe kind of, you know, just kind of get that ball rolling to do a little bit more? Do you think it'll like, in a way, almost, you know, I don't know, I would say that you were depressed or anything before, but, um, you know, do you think this is going to help you mentally just to kind of push you towards? I know that you still can't, we still can't really plan out too many things. 
But do you think this is kind of that kick right in the ass to be like, hey, you know, now I'm motivated enough that I can kind of overshadow some of my personal things and uh, just kind of, you know, I mean, of course, life always comes first. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? But do you think maybe this is maybe kind of help you burst out of that, uh, you know, that gray bubble that you're in right now? I do. And at least that's the idea behind it. Like, that's what I was hoping for. Uh, Obviously, if if we, you know one of the things that does motivate me and obviously we we podcast for ourselves um but one of the things we do is we and one of the things we enjoy about podcasting is talking to each other and conversating about the things we love which we used to do before we even had a podcast yes. so we will always do that but when mm-hmm. we go through the effort of recording it and making thumbnails and and watching all the films for it and, and things like that, well, it we're becomes doing that, real. <laughs> we're doing that for the listeners. You know, we do we do it for us, but we do it for us in a different way. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, anytime we do well, like when when our numbers are good on Horophilia or our group page grows, or I see a lot of um, you know, activity. Which, by the way, I'm always scoping out like sometimes i don't comment and stuff or if i'm busy but i'm always reading all the comments and reading all the posts and stuff i love that stuff i i I absolutely love it anytime we get any feedback whether it's via email on the videos that moods uploads the comments on the horophilia section the comments in the group page i read it all sometimes i don't respond you know because i'm lazy let's be honest but i read it all and i take it into consideration and i'm thankful for it so whenever we get strong amounts of feedback, that motivates me more than anything. That so mm. you know if 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 the if the numbers do well and people, uh, you know are are active and and are excited to be back for us to be back and stuff, then that'll even motivate me more. But the idea is yes, like hopefully me getting back into the swing of things, missing it a little bit, realizing that I miss it a little bit, will sort of um, give me the extra motivation to sort of make it work in between my hectic life right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yes. I am just ecstatic right now that we're back doing this. And uh, so I don't have to see any more comments. Like <laughs> like I said, it was about two, three weeks after I, I read a comment. I don't remember if it was on our group page or somewhere else. I think it was. I'm not even 100% sure. But it said day ruined. I guess they just found out or something that we, <laughs> we're going to be on some type of highs or whatever. It said day ruined. Um, something. And then it said like rest in peace to 22 shots or something. Oh, damn. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, that's brutal. You know, so, but no, I mean, there has been lots of people keeping in touch and and, and I want to thank so. And we've had our detractors who said that, you know, I've seen comments say that, you know, oh, this is the end of the podcast or, you know, and this was before I even put up the retirement thing and other issues that we had. I think when Jeremy left or, uh, you know, different, different things way back when we took our first summer break and we took our second summer break, seemed like when we took our second summer break, like everybody forgot that we had done it before and they're like, Oh, this must be the end. (laughs) And I'm like, there was, there was lots of comments. like like, It's not the end dude. Like, like we're, we're, I, I feel like we have longevity compared to a lot of other shows. First of all, a lot of other podcasts don't really last more than 20 episodes. Uh, we're we're approaching a hundred and I don't really see much slowing down. Like in, in fact, I mean, well, I obviously they're slowing down, but I don't see an end, you know, like there, there's really no end to me unless me or you dies. Um, <laughs> but which is probably worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I could probably do this scenario. for the rest of my life as long as I have the time to do. Mm. 
But the thing is, though, you know, like recently, um, you know, there's been actually multiple people that probably didn't know exactly your situation and things like that that had contacted me and they said, Oh, I thought that JP, you know, kind of retired. I guess they probably knew a little bit, I guess. Mm-hmm. But what's up with the MMA podcast? And I was like, hey, you're going to have to go and talk to him. Yeah, because know. probably you. Uh... Well, people started questioning. People started questioning it and being like, okay. And then I think there was like minor grumblings of they broke up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that's what I figured. I, I didn't really think that through when I first did it, but I definitely realized that there were probably people to think that what it was was we ended on bad terms or something and then that was just our way of like separating or something like that somebody messaged me and asked me why i left the show and i was like you left the show yeah why i left the show and i should have sent you the i should have sent you the message and i was like i didn't man i was like where'd you get that from i was like i actually just laughed and i was like that's funny like where did you get that from so so So, let me explain the mma thing real quick because uh i explained it in the mma show but i i know that there's hundreds of people that hadn't listened to that that do listen to this so okay one of the very many reasons why i stopped doing the 22 shots podcast and this is just one of many is schedule it you guys gotta realize, like me and Moods sit down for anywhere from two very rarely hours all the way up to five hours recording this thing. Okay, that's a huge chunk of time to set aside. Not to mention the post production is another couple hours uh, that I have to do within the next two days, three days after we record. So <clears throat> to to set aside the the five hours usually like right now it's eleven thirty seven p.m east coast time you know that requires me to not work the next day usually because i'm gonna be tired as hell by the time we're done with this uh so my schedule had got jacked up as well as a bunch of other things so to set aside that amount of time was just near impossible for what i was doing and not to mention i'm going off of moods of schedule as well for example i'm available uh, 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. almost every day. That's East Coast time. Moods is absolutely 100% never available during those times. So that means that I do have time to do things, but it's not going to line up with his. So that's why I was kind of fiending to do a little podcasting. And I didn't want to go start like another horror podcast or anything like that. And I didn't want to schedule around somebody else so i was just like i'm gonna just talk about mma for a little bit and another thing guys i don't record that all at once i do it in like 20 minute segments uh here and there like whenever i feel like it and then i just add it all up at the end of the week very little editing little to no editing it's Mm -hmm. super quick to put together guys like it's it's i don't even notice i'm doing it because it's like just here i have the mic already plugged in i just hit record i record another little segment add it to the other three segments add it to the fourth segment you know and and that's it that's the show so it's not that i went out and like did this whole grand another podcast thing it's literally a little ass yeah, yeah. thing that i'm doing <laughs> yeah yeah and it and honestly it's just getting my mind off of things that's it's therapy that's kind man. of what it's, i'm using it for it's therapy you know, as long as you kind of, you know, working with that bug, you know, a little bit, it's, you know, it's just, it's therapeutical, I think, man. Yeah. I yeah. think it's essentially what it is. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I welcome back 22 shots. I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That, that's awesome. That's awesome, man. Um, 
honestly, man, it's been, you know, five weeks or whatever. And I fuck, dude, like as much as I was missing doing the show, I've been really, really busy. And uh, it's kind of funny, too, because there was a couple Thursdays where it would have been really sketchy, you know, when we usually record mm-hmm. for me because uh, there was some baseball games that were moved until Thursdays and then it would have got later for you and it would have been kind of funny. So, you know, it is kind of it's interesting how things work out like that. Yeah. So, but still, it was I was having a I was having a time with it and I was like, I want to get back. I want to get back right now. But uh, you know, so I started making. Actually, this month I've done a lot of videos and got back to the gym, and because I've been drinking a lot, you know, on the weekends while well, I've been, you know, camping and stuff, so been doing a lot of partying and stuff. So, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much my summer, man. That's all I've been doing. Cool, cool. nothing out of the ordinary, <laughs> absolutely nothing out of the ordinary. So. But no, it's just, you know, having the kid and, uh, the, between BMX and baseball and just other uh, extracurricular activities, it's been, um, it's tough, man. It's really tough. So, but, uh, yeah, glad to be back, man. Really, really glad to be back. Thanks. uh, I'm glad to be back. And, uh, you know, it's it's awesome to be back together again. Yeah, dude. It's just, uh, it's nice to hear your voice on the other side and just, um, just, it feels natural. You know, definitely Nothing awkward. It, it does. It, it never is awkward or, or or uncomfortable between me and moods because we have uh, a long chemistry that we've built over being friends for the last like probably like four years now or something. Huh? Um, yeah, yeah. Almost, pretty much five years. I mean, five? It was really 2011, 12. I, I, yeah, four or five years, something like that. I don't really know, but uh, but yeah, no, it's been a while and uh, you just kind of you learn that over time. See, I, I and, that, and that's the thing, man. I get your sense of humor. Some people just, <laughs> yeah, I know, man. I know. You know that that's one of the things that comes with time. You know, it's like, oh, okay, he's he's actually he's joking. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. All good. Episode eighty-two. I know what you did last summer. Trilogy will be coming up in the uh, the future reviews, of course. And uh, JP, do we got some news? I'm sure we got some news. Yeah, yeah. I definitely didn't want to go super full and get like five weeks worth of news. So I just got yeah, the exactly. stuff that kind of surfaced in the last week or two. Yeah. So first up, uh, normally we kind of talk about the release announcements later, but I, I just decided to start it off with these because I was really excited about them. So Arrow Video announced a couple titles, and uh, the first title they announced was Dead End Drive-In. Which yeah. of course is uh, an Oz exploitation uh, film. It was previously released on DVD by uh, Anchor Bay, I think you said. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then they announced Slugs, which, by the way, what an effing cool cover art on both of those titles. Yeah, man. Whew. I was just I was floored by those. It was like yeah. awesome. And again, that was released by Anchor Bay. Yeah, I was I was talking to Moods before the show, and I was mentioning how I normally don't like Arrow's cover arts. Usually, probably about realistically, probably about uh, one third of the time I like them. But all three of these announcements, I really like the cover art. Probably Slugs is my favorite. Uh, super, super good. Um, and then finally, they announced this fucking super edition of The Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, brand new 4K restoration on that. Um, rest in peace to Wes Craven, obviously. No new special features with Wes Craven, but there was a lot on, packed on the old uh, release, and I'm sure that uh, they'll go get a, a few new things with other people. 
I mean, I was a little bummed out at first. I was like super stoked. It's like, oh man, the hills have eyes. I thought it was part one and two when I saw oh, this like mon- it monstrosity of an like edition. It a little bit. And I was like, oh, that's just the first one. I was like, oh, but you know, it's still cool. It's you know, it's kind of in the in the realm of uh, like society and you know, bloodbath and those type of editions, right? Yeah. But and I was like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. But at first, I, I was just a little tad bit bummed out. I was like, you know, even though the hills have eyes, part two isn't that great. It would have been nice to get like that type of treatment for it too. You know what? It would it even a been two-pack? nicer. Had they did some crazy shit and did the release the Hills Have Eyes trilogy, <laughs> the Hills Have Eyes trilogy, and they included Mind Ripper, which was uh, once released as Hills Have Eyes Part Three. That's right, a Wes yep. Craven film. Uh, I, I think that it has absolutely nothing to do with those films, but no, it, it's kind of like the equivalent of you know a an Italian film that just uses a name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, who owns that film? I don't know. Oh, you know who I think owns it? Bill from Code Red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Fucking Bill owns everything, man. Yeah. yeah Mind Ripper. I don't think Mind Ripper's ever had an official release, has it? No, not Seen besides bootlegs, the though. one that's coming out from Code Red. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah. But so one thing that I wanted to mention about these titles, uh, I don't know if they have release dates yet. I, I didn't see them say that they had release dates these are both the u.s and uk releases um but moons so you mentioned that these were all previous releases of anchor bay correct yes, they were. Yep. okay so do you know what else uh was previous release? well let me put it this way so those were anchor bay releases but do you know who owned them i do not know okay no. so image entertainment owned those films Oh, they owned all of them. Wow. Okay. Yes. So as you know, Image does not sublicense or shall we say did not sublicense because of course people requested films for a long time to Scream Factory. Uh... Hey, release, release house. And they're like, can't Image owns it and they don't sublicense. And then of course, uh, Arrow Video comes along and they've released some films that are under Image's library, but they released them in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if it, they were owned by Image in the UK either because sometimes it's it's wonky and, and different. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very interesting because although Anchor Bay has released these films in the past, they were owned by Image. So the, I first noticed this when they announced, I believe, The Stuff and Bride of Reanimator, both yeah. of which were Image Entertainment titles. And I was like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Is this – are we seeing like a deal here? Or is this or, or something happening? And then, of course, they announced the Hills Have Eyes. They announced uh, what is it? Uh, Brighter Reanimator, Hills Have Eyes, Return, Return of the Killer it. Tomatoes. Yep, yep. Uh, Dead End Driving and Slugs. So, so they're starting to release quite the catalog of these uh, these image owned films. This yes, exactly. So a couple. Uh, so I went in and figured out which other image titles i remembered seeing and i would not be surprised at all if we see them come out through anchor bay or i mean arrow video mm-hmm. uh, okay so last time i checked image also owned house one and house two yes which Who i were... love those films so i would be very excited to see blu-ray releases for those which were all, all um, released by anchor bay at one time yes they were i actually owned the double edition anchor bay but from back in the day 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Return to Horror High, also released under Anchor Bay. That was actually in the uh, Campy Classics uh, six-pack that they released as well. You remember huh. that? Yeah, yeah. I actually just sent a copy of that to Derek. <laughs> so, yeah, that the Return to Horror High, Transylvania 65000. Nice. Uh, Flowers in the Attic. Yep. The stuff, obviously, slugs. Uh, this is a big one for me. Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. <laughs> yes, Chud. Yes. Also, Vamp. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Which was actually like a an older release by by Arrow. It was one of their yeah um, their UK releases. Yeah, one of their first uh, uh, Slipbox editions, yep. which was obviously re- released by Anchor Bay. Yeah. Another very, one very would be Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Hmm. Uh, and these are these are sort of three bigger ones, four bigger ones: Creepshow Two, Children of the Corn, and Hellraiser One and Two were all owned by Image. The last time I checked, they well, let me put it this way: they were the last people to release those films. Yeah. So could they- let me ask you this: Is it possible that we see a U.S. version of the Scarlet Box? Can Arrow video pull it off? Probably. Whoa. That's big. They might be able to. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, I, it, I don't know. Does, who it, owns does part it depend? Right now. I was going to say it depends on the third one. Yeah. Mm, that so, is interesting. Of, of course, know. guys, this is all speculation, but I would be willing to put money on it that we at least see Chud. But this bam. is just not coincidental that so many of these, you know, image owned films are getting released i mean we're only going to see more for yeah, sure we're and they see were more. they were all all of the films that i mentioned here were all released under the midnight madness series the image relaunched back in like 2011 yeah i think after yeah all those all those titles were out of print from anchor bay or whatever and then they just re-released them yep. so that's right very so, uh very we, will, we shall see arrow video doing oh, that's gonna things be- getting shit done that's gonna blow people's lids, man. If Chud starts coming out and oh. House and House Two, I love yeah, I think, both of those House films. By the way, I always hear those titles get brought up: Chud and House One and Two. Yeah, those so. are titles that always get brought up. Slugs was another one that always got brought up, uh, and you know, uh, I want to know who the hell owns half the other out of print titles from Anchor Bay, or if they still have them, or what's going on because like Superstition and the Manitou. There's so many really, really amazing Anchor Bay titles out there that. I don't know You've who got to look at it this way. Anchor Bay was the scream factory of its time, right? Like oh, they big they time. they released film, they sublicensed all these films from all these different companies, such as Image and 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 Universal and MGM. And you got to look at it like most of them, the rights reverted back to those companies, and in yeah. some cases, and this from what I understand from listening to interviews and stuff, sometimes. Uh, time affects rights so sometimes these like rights expire or they revert back to previous owners but the previous owner is dead so then it's like in limbo of like who owns it now and stuff like that so some of these films just take forever i believe that's the case with stuff like fright night 2 uh and a a few i think somebody actually i think i remember hearing that somebody owns fright night 2 and they just don't want to release it 
that's the same. Uh, See, that's just keep, being ignorant, right? man. The keep is the same way. The the director of the keep owns it, and he doesn't want it released. Yeah, Michael Mann owns it. Yeah, he. Even, I, I read in an interview one time that he doesn't even care for the film, so he doesn't want it out. So yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's just that's just too bad because a lot of people want it, and I think it would do well. Like, doesn't so. Peter Jackson own his films as well? Like his old ones. <laughs> Bad Taste and uh, Dead Alive and probably even owns Meet the Feebles too, yeah. Yeah, pretty sure. I think he does. does. Yeah. There was rumors that um, Image but he doesn't, owned... But those titles uh, for him, those. I mean, really, Peter, do you think Peter Jackson really gives a shit about those three titles considering he's got that Lord of the Rings money? <laughs> well, I mean, if, like, he probably doesn't want to, like, he probably wants... Do you think he... I've always wondered that about him. Do you think he wants to distance himself from those films or do you think he embraces like where he came from? Well, the way I look at it though is that he's really, really made his his international name off Lord of the Rings and stuff. And I, I think that he, I think he just really likes to embrace that. I don't know if he's ashamed of what he did before, or if he really wants to kind of step away from that. I, I think that he just kind of wants to just let it be what it is. These are yeah. cult films. Just you know, hang over in that cult area of the room you know i'm not gonna and i mean if you bring them up to me i will talk about the films but you know i'll definitely talk about the films while i'm rolling in my hundred dollar bills for my lord of the rings films. yeah 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 definitely. but no i don't think he's ashamed of it. i just um because there was an interview with peter jackson what a couple years ago and he even said that you know someday he might even you know make another horror film or whatever i mean it was just do you know, just, it peter jackson he never he never really went on to elaborate at all of what he would like to do or where do you, where he would want to go with that or whatever but he did say horror film and i thought that was actually quite interesting because you know this is way after the fact of his last one meet the feebles which came out what early 90s 93 94 something like that so it's been a long time since he's been in that realm so for him to even say that is you know it's a glimmer of hope it's a glimmer of hope so he's i I honestly don't think he's ashamed what he did and i mean how could you be bad taste and uh dead alive come on that shit's fun super super fun stuff yeah definitely um but you know one you're forgetting of is the the frighteners from 96 oh yeah yeah the frighteners with yeah that's right so that would have been his last film yeah how did I forget about the Frighteners? <laughs> Jesus Christ! I saw a th- movie in the theater, especially actually. since you have to watch it soon. Exactly, and it's got my it's got my favorite actor in it also, and Jeffrey Combs. So that's just yeah. ridiculous. Okay, so um, I definitely think that you people out there listening will hundred. I- I'd be willing to put money on it that you'll at least see like House One and Two, and like Vamp and and uh, Chud get announced. Uh, as for like Hellraiser and Children of the Corn. <laughs> I'm not going to so, put money on that. So my question is, is that when Screen Factory was asked about these titles, they basically flat out said that, you know, Image doesn't sub sublet their, you know, their titles and stuff, which is fine. But if all these titles are slowly getting kind of released by Arrow Video, what is the deal there? Do you well, think it is? Do you think it is the international licensing or something like that? But no, they have no, so many. It's like, not. Screen Factory just failing on all accounts to acquire titles. Or that's, did they just give up super easy? So, um, the, but these are the titles. Multiple things that c- it could be. One, Imi- Image and Anchor, or fuck, I keep saying Anchor Bay. Image and Arrow Video might already have a relationship from the titles that they released in the UK if those titles were also owned by Image. Uh, and or, you know, just relationships. Maybe, maybe Arrow was better at building a relationship with Image to get those titles. Or, or even this is something else. Maybe they're paying more taking risk on them that Scream Factory didn't see 
that the risk was there. But see, that doesn't make much sense no, to me because they couldn't get no. a single title. So I think that Screen Factory has just gotten so big that, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, look at them signing their, their IFC deal. I mean, these films that they're acquiring have to be really cheap to acquire, right? They're thinking, well, we can get these into Walmarts and things like that. And I think that's just kind of what their motto is right now. I think they really don't want to take that risk of spending all that money on these big kind of cult titles like Chud and things like that and, and not have them sell because, you know, they started out doing this, right? Acquiring some of these, you know, more elite type cult titles and some of them didn't sell like they thought they were going to. So I think they changed their route and essentially just kind of cheaped out or Arrow is just a way better company and they're just like, fuck it, man. We're taking every goddamn chance. I mean, I don't know if that makes no, you doubt a better that, company. I doubt that that's money. it because I don't think that Arrow really – but how are they – like they just all of a sudden got image? It just seems so crazy. Well, I I, I honestly do think that it's all about um, I mean, probably the relationship. Like they, they obviously got in somehow where the door was closed for Scream Factory because let's say that Scream Factory didn't want to take a risk on something like Chud. The, there's no way in hell that they wouldn't take a risk on something like House or even something. But see, that makes me question their, their business motto and like just the people that are running this and stuff because they're supposed to be – cult fans themselves and they should know what the fans want i mean if i was part of screen factory the last thing in the world that i would ever do is walk away from trying to acquire chud or house yeah but that's what i'm saying i don't think they did that like because i know for a fact that the stuff i've heard them say this the stuff is one of their most requested titles and they consistently said they can't get it so i think that they would have got it had they had the chance i just think that it comes down to image said no for whatever reason to them and Image did not say no for whatever reason to Arrow. Maybe Arrow just has a. It comes down team to the mighty working. dollar. It, it might not even though. It might it might come down to a previous relationship that got him in the door to have that. Maybe they weren't even taking meetings about it or anything. You know, I I would bet that it it has something to do with the way they got in and not necessarily uh, what the deal was because. But of course, of course, this is all speculation. This is just you know made for entertainment value. Absolutely. But- you know, and, you know, it's interesting to talk about because I, I would really like to know what happened there because, you know, Image being, you know, an American company um, and Screen Factory being an American born company too, you think that it would just have that relationship kind of bond right there. You know, I, I just find it very interesting that Arrow is just seems to be killing it, man. See, like it just, it's just insane. I mean, I was laughing so hard the other day, man. Like when they fucking announced Slug's dead end driving and hills have eyes yeah well, and the same day screen factory announced like a couple ifc titles and i was like this that does not look good you know at all <laughs> i think that i think that it honestly is less about like a money a money thing and more just about uh arrow found a way to get in because there's no way in how screen factory is going to turn down a title like the hills have eyes. You know, well, they, they would have released didn't... one image by now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. In that long run, if they were able to get well, stuff from saying, image, I'm not saying that or, they turned it down. I'm just saying maybe they didn't have the people, the right people, to negotiate the right deal for the two sides. Yeah, you know, but, and then Arrow steps in and goes, "Well, you know, we have pounds. They're worth a lot more than American dollar. You know, so what we're gonna do is we're just gonna." use these pounds to pound Screen Factory into the ground, pun intended. The, the only and we're going to take all the good it, titles. <laughs> the, the other thing that I was thinking, dude, is – and this could seriously be it too. Image did not sublicense. That's the end of story. Yeah, and then yeah. they just decided, hey, we're going to sublicense. And maybe Arrow got there first. Or but maybe they obviously Arrow are was... doing it 
let's face it, man. They've got to be doing it for the dollar, though, too, because they're seeing what Arrow's doing. And I think Arrow's doing really well with sales and shit. Yeah, and but just, Arrow's you know not what, doing man? as good as Scream Factory is. That's I, for sure. But you also have to realize – you have to factor in the amount of titles that these companies are releasing, too. Arrow versus Scream Factory titles per month is crazy. I mean, you, you might get one or two Arrows, and then, but you're having a minimum of six Screen factories to eight, so of course they're selling more. But I mean, what is their overhead here? They, they got to be putting out some. Yeah, type but of they're movie. in Walmart, dude. Like you can't even compete with that. Like the, the amount of revenue that. First of all, Shout Factory it is, is one it is of true the biggest revenue companies not, for home media. That's a fact. Yeah, yeah, and I mean these titles that are in Walmart, non horror fans are buying these titles. They're like, oh, that one's yeah. nine nine. I'll pick that shit up. Yeah, exactly. So, so even though as like a cult fan, Arrow is. Uh, you know, making more money off of the uh, off of the cult fan. If in in pure dollar per dollar, they can't they wouldn't be able to outbid Scream Factory. They just wouldn't. So I think it's more of a tactical approach. Arrow had a better tactical approach in probably getting that deal done because you know it's not always about like the the m- money that you pony up, right? Like it's it's about some sort of like you know long term things. You know it could be anything. There, there's so much that goes into this stuff that we probably don't know about. Um, and you know what really sucks about this though that is that we we'll don't probably, know about it. And nobody will we'll, say anything. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably never know how they acquired all these or the actual real specs side. <laughs> But the best thing about not knowing about how these things actually develop and how they go down is that it just allows us to keep talking about it for episodes. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> we can just keep elaborating. Oh, they got this title. And then we can start speculating. Like, well, at one time, Elite owned that. And, uh, you know, and then it went to Image and fucking, yeah. So it's good conversation pieces. But, I wish uh, somebody would it's interesting. answer to it, though. Like, like, hey, Scream Factory, like, why did Arrow get these titles and you could? I feel like they're obligated not to because it is a business aspect of what the business is it's you're basically kind of talking essentially numbers if that's what it's about you know they offered us like fucking million pounds for would give them like fucking 45 titles or something mm-hmm. go to town with them you know and i mean obviously they would not be able to you know disclose the the amounts and and figures and things like that it's it's business right you just can't do that publicly so um i don't know it's really interesting i find it very very interesting you know yeah. and I, it's, I mean it's really regardless of what it good. is yeah, Arrow Arrow found a way, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. They did what Scream Factory could not do, whether it was a money thing or whether it was just uh, maybe th- they image, you know, had a previous relationship with Arrow or they liked Arrow better or the people who represent Arrow are easier to deal with, whatever it is. Or maybe there's even some – who knows? There could be some bad blood between Image and fucking Shout Factory, you know, from, from years prior. You never know. Yeah, man. So there's probably some guy that's working at Shell, at Shell Factory slash Screen Factory that maybe once worked for Image or maybe came from Elite or some like random company. He's like, yeah, well, that that's definitely Harry. probably the case. We're not because doing there's guys who worked for Anchor Bay who work for Screen Factory now. Like they're on the special features sometimes or they're on the Comic Con floors, like talking totally about like their sense. careers and stuff. Totally makes sense because these are industry guys, right? You yeah. know, it's like being in the sports world. Like, you know, some players, they play for seven, eight teams. It's like it's, it is what it is. You get passed around. <laughs> you, know? you go to the next best thing. So, yeah, I mean, that, that completely makes sense. But, yeah. All right. So I knew that was going to be a big chunk of the news. So uh, let's move on here. Um, apparently, <laughs> oh, we're still doing the news? Fuck. Yeah. The Conjuring 2, uh, there's a scene in the movie that sort of just came about out of the middle of nowhere. Like – they had uh, 
the lead character like painting a picture and there was something on the picture and then somebody like had an idea like hey we should change the picture from you know whatever this stupid thing is to like a demonic nun and i guess it it looked pretty creepy and it like spooked the execs and stuff anyway apparently there are plans to go forward with another spinoff a la annabelle where they took another one of the sort of um I don't know what it would be like mythology of the film of the conjuring world Mm -hmm. and sort of uh, branching it off into its own backstory, which I mean, judging by the, the, the still that I seen from the film, it does look creepy like a demonic nun. Hell yeah. I'm down for that. Fuck yeah. (laughs) You know, love anything to do with nuns, 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 exploitation. Shit. Sign me up. Yeah. Good stuff. So I hope that moves forward. Uh, you know, Oh man, other see that in Annabelle two, which is happening by the way. Fuck, speaking of The Conjuring 2, so me and my boy Dylan um, <laughs> and our, our other friend Christos, we went to see The Conjuring 2 yeah. uh, last Wednesday. And um, <laughs> so we're sitting there in the, at the cinema and we're all bullshit and the lights are still on. And it's supposed to start at 940 at night. And I had just looked at my at my phone and I was like, it's like 954. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? And just as I was going to say, like, what the fuck is what are they fucking, you know, I was starting to get a little ugh, like wondering what the shit was going on. This usher walks in. She's like, yeah, show's canceled, people. Uh, we're having technical difficulties. Oh. And uh, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, just as I realized, like, something's wrong here. Yeah, sure as shit. So they canceled it. something to do. I, I'm assuming projectors, something like that. But uh but they so we got free passes out of the deal. I was like, ah, oh, lame. I was like super stoked to fucking watch The Conjuring 2. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Friday actually. Yeah, so we're like sitting in there and I've got this huge bag of popcorn and a large drink and I'm that like, sucks. oh, that, I'm like this is fucking stupid. So so I said to the guys, I'm like, well, what do you guys want to do? You guys want to go back to my house watch a flick? So, of course, we went in the film room. It took us an hour to pick one because none of us can pick one. And I said to Chrysalis, he's a he's a buddy of mine and he's actually lead singer from their band and uh he's uh he's from he's Greek. He's from Greece and um well, he's Canadian, but his family's from Greece. And uh, so I, I looked at Island of Death, and I was like, "Hey, man, have you ever seen this film? It's a, it's a Greek film." And he's like, "No, nah, man." So we watched Island of Death. Well, we were just pissing ourselves <laughs> laughing the whole fucking time because the movie has the greatest dialogue. Awesome! It was fucking. So the night ended up turning out okay. You know, yeah, it was, yeah, it's yeah, still, yeah. It was sure. a really fun night, but really, like that's and literally it, that's never happened to me. I've never been at the cinema and a film got canceled before it got started. That's it's never crazy. happened to me. Yeah, yeah it never, never happened, happened to, me. to me before. I can't decide if I want to see it at the drive-in or the theater. Yeah, that's a tough one, man. Yeah. I like to drive him, but eh, eh. I just so, can't wait to see it. I keep hearing fucking such good things. I've been avoiding everything on it. And <laughs> me I just too. can't do it anymore, man. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag trailer abstinence. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we got an announcement for Blu-rays from Synapse. I was wondering when this was going to happen. Basket Case 2 and Basket Case 3, uh, coming to Blu-ray high definition. Uh, courtesy of Synapse Films. Now, my question is, what do you think of those cover arts? I like the them. Artwork? Man, they are awesome, man. I'm, I'm thinking, well, I think as I collect, I, I love Synapse as a company, but I already own those films on Blu-ray and from the, the second, what the hell's the company? Second Sight out of the UK in that, uh, that Steelbook edition. But these are awesome. But man, the pre-orders, you see the pre-order price on Amazon.com for them? No. They're like eleven bucks or something. Oh, really? That's see, Synapse every once in a that's while, like when they release uh, Mosquito, it was only like ten bucks. 
And yeah, dude, crazy. Th- for every like bullshit thing that they pull with their fucking Tenebrae, steelbook bullshit, yeah, ten, yeah. Ten, like they, they they can afford to release Basket Case two and three super cheap. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I re- I was really a big fan of like those uh, the artwork. You're not used. buying them, are you? I don't, you know, I, I there's probably, not even any new special features. No, I probably won't actually. I, see, the only reason I'd be buying them just because I collect the Blu-rays and for the artwork, but it's kind of pointless considering yeah. the the. I'm I'm assuming that these are new transfers too because Snaps I think does all their own transfers. But I mentioned before when we did the Basket Case trilogy, how good the sequels looked on Blu-ray. They yeah. look ridiculous, like really good. So, yeah, yeah. So there's no the, point. There's no point. Yeah, those got announced. Uh, after that, we have a brief little update on Friday the 13th once again. Uh, Brad Fuller, the producer, was interviewed, and he said, Origin isn't really the right word for the movie. The word origin got out, and everyone's calling it an origin film now. But that isn't exactly the direction we're taking. It's more of an alternate world that we're creating for Jason. An alternate space, alternate reali- reality. In this film, yes, Pamela and Jason are together in the film, but this is the same Jason we all know and love. He's Jason. He kills. He kills teenagers. We went down the origin <laughs> route with the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. They mean uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning. And I think that when you get deep into a character's origin, the character stops being scary at some point. I'm not worried about them demystifying Jason by revealing parts of his backstory demystifying. Wow. which most uh, fans are familiar with um, he also says uh, the story takes place between the late 1970s and early 1980s uh, the, there is a summer camp and there are camp counselors uh, he says no we haven't decided whether or not Elias will be in the film Elias being Jason's father Again, that was a comment I made, which in response to a question about whether or not Elias would be part of the film, explains Fuller. I said that the, that including Jason's father was an idea, a possibility, but it's not at all a certainty. He will appear in the, it, that he'll appear in the film. The main relationship is between Pamela and Jason. Currently, the new Friday the 13th is slated to come out January 2017. So, yeah, technically 17. it would be, only it's not that's not that far from now uh but yeah so um one thing i like the idea that it's set in the 70s and 80s i'm down with that uh the second thing that i like is honestly like if if we're gonna do another fucking origin story like why not have pamela more involved and sort of you know create a different story like maybe 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 she's alive when jason comes back fully you know like I don't know. Like maybe maybe do some shit like that because uh, it doesn't really make sense in the original film if you remember, right? Like Jason dies, Pamela goes and kills everybody, and then literally like a year later, Jason is fully grown. Like it it makes no sense, right? <laughs> um, so I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> how that how that makes sense, but you know, it it wouldn't be a terrible thing to sort of do that i guess like if we're gonna do that if we're gonna do another like origins thing like maybe do it completely different than the story we know because the story we know happened and then it happened again like they told the first three films in the friday remake uh so maybe if we just ignored everything that happened with with like that origins and just did a different origins you know maybe more maybe more along the lines of like you know like chainsaw was with like the family like maybe yeah. if we're introduced to Jason's family a little bit more and stuff and like kind of 
um, you know, I can almost see it being more about his family than him. You know, I think I think with this whole idea of, you know, introducing the family and things like that, I think it's really, really for the, you know, the hardcore, hardcore Friday freaks. You know, I think a lot of people just want to see Jason roaming around the woods hacking up people. They don't really care about origin stories or, you know, character development with, you know, past characters or even putting bringing new characters into the into the into the spectrum like Jason's father. Um, see, I, I agree I, with I, I you, kinda, Moods, but I kind of teeter on it though. I mean, yeah, I mean, I teeter on it though because like one part of me wants to just see. Well, I don't want to see Jason in space. <laughs> I want yeah, to see him yeah. back in the bush, kind of thing. But uh, you know, a part of me also says, you know, I mean, we've also seen ten films of him doing. Well, nine films, I guess. Um, well, I, I guess ten, including I guess 11. twelve. I guess twelve. I guess eleven, <laughs> really, not including the first film. I guess if you want to, whatever. But you know what I'm. The, my point is, is that we've seen that a lot. So is it time to elevate it, or is it a mistake? To do it See, for the the hardcore, because you know how people get. You know, it's like you know, I, I don't want to change. Don't change my shit. Don't change my shit. Just just put Jason in the woods, put some titties on screen, and you know, break people over tre- trees and uh, sleeping bags. So I, I think you are on the right track with what you're saying because we do like the familiar what we got through part two through eight, where it's Jason. Yeah. Camp Crystal Lake or on a boat and he's just stalking people down. And he's killing them in interesting ways. But I will say, dude, like like it, we they did exactly that in the remake. And doesn't it feel a little stale like it, like it doesn't really work anymore? It, it, there was something about that movie where they're doing the same thing they've always done. There's a little origins there, but it's mainly just another Jason movie. But it's not as fun. I don't know if it's because the characters are modern or what it is, but it's just it doesn't well, have that factor to it. There's parts of that movie that I think are really good. I think the t- first 25 minutes, which I think we've talked about before, yeah. which is like the longest stretch of film before the credits start. <laughs> since It's fucking insane. But uh, that movie gets fun. But I think it loses a lot of passion and it just loses its its focus a lot with the whole underground thing and just Jason just – it's like a totally different character almost. It just seems kind of out of this world a little bit. So I think that's it's – in a way, it's a little forgettable for you know the people that really wanted to just see just a, that 25 minutes play out for 90 you know, kind of yeah. thing. So I don't know. That was always my main concern with the remake and things like that. But But maybe it is time. Maybe it is time to kind of bring in – that uh that alternate reality of jason and where there is there has to be a story before right you know yeah, if there's, a, yeah. if there's mean, a story here there's a story there's a prequel <laughs> not a prequel you, but there's you a story can definitely before. say that uh jason's father elias for he's has definitely always been a talking point among fans like we kind of mm-hmm. do always wonder like okay was he like a good father was he like an abusive father was he like just somebody who split after he got pamela pregnant um obviously based on what we know the tiny bit of information in part six like he was visiting his son's grave so like is there something there like what like where can you take that character and honestly if you're gonna introduce characters that would probably be the most fascinating character of course you're gonna have fans who aren't gonna like that like they didn't with rob zombie when he did halloween and he gave like a backstory to to all you know judith myers and and uh sherry moon zombie myers and and you know her uh his his uh family and stuff (laughs) but um 
I, I don't know, man. I, I usually like, look, look, dude, you're going into the 13th fucking Friday the 13th film. Like, it's fine to learn a little bit more. I just don't want the same fucking movie over and over again remade. Like, yeah, which is it, it, kind of like fear. that's what they're doing a little bit. But at the same time, OK, they can do like a regular remake because that seems like what we're getting a remake or they can like do a completely different world uh, where, you know, we know more about Jason and tell a different story that hasn't been told before. And if you're giving mm-hmm. me the choices between like another fucking Origins remake or or even just another regular basic jason film with nothing added to it then i would rather take the sort of um alternate reality one i don't know what kind of jason film i would like like i don't know how i don't personally know how to make a jason film other than to bring back characters uh from the previous (laughs) films and do like a sequel to the original i think it's tricky i think it's really really tricky if you bring in his character or his dad as a character into the into the origin story or whatever because i don't picture him as a nice guy and if they if they went that way i think it would feel too rob zombie halloween-ish not even that i think it would be just you're almost kind of it just it it would just portray that they're really trying to put like the sympathetic kind of twist on it you know a little bit like jason's always been kind of a sympathetic character a little bit but But i'm with you on that i don't want no i i i don't want if anything I would think that it would make more sense to do the opposite of that and make Jason's father a really nice like like trying to bond with his son and his mother was batshit crazy the whole time. Yeah, you know what I'm that... saying? Like I think that's smart. Let, let's make Jason's father a genuinely nice guy who cares for his son and is trying think... and he's like, "What's up, Jason? You know, like let's it's let's a... go fishing, buddy." Like the, you know, like almost like a Lance Henriksen pumpkinhead vibe. You know, with, yeah. And then and then you got fucking norma bates over there like betsy palmer fucking pamela Voorhees, like just just a, a bitch cunt you know what i'm saying i think no matter what you do though i think no matter what you do with that story whomever you make you know to be the good or evil one or whatever you're always going to be teetering on disaster with the fans because no matter what you do people are just gonna be like oh what the fuck you know like you can't make pamela the bitch she was the one that cared so much about jason and she you know she killed all those campers you know in his revenge and you know if she hated him so much and she was such an evil bitch why the fuck would she do that so no, you know it raises well, questions i think you i think the key to that moods is you have to make it a dynamic relationship like she can't just be like like the bitch like there has to be multiple layers like yes she does have a really strong love for jason like her and jay like she loves him but she hates everybody else she hates the that world would be an around her. she twist. hates the she hates her husband she hates the people around him and jason loves his mom he's a mama's boy but his dad is a good dude and he's and he's always trying to bond with him and he feels bad for his disabilities that his son has and stuff and he's like the lance henriksen you know but that Pamela fucking hates the dad Elias and and she, but she's she's crazy but she loves her son too so they both love her son their son but they hate each other and they they love there's almost like a competition there like a, a su- subtext competition like it would be an interesting twist yeah to have Pamela like that like she's she is a bitch to her husband and you know she can be nasty to her son you know crazy right but she, like yeah, she's, she's crazy little, you know, picture her how she, she loves was at Jason. the very end of Friday the 13th where she's like Jason was a good boy or something you know and she's telling that story Jason was <laughs> a special boy like she looks fucking nuts <laughs> like that's yeah, yeah. her that's her yeah. but imagine her before she snapped where she's just crazy 
and she loves her son and you know but Mac, could you imagine else. could you imagine the sympathy that you'd feel for you know the father Elias if like if Pamela would she was so nasty like verbally but she was also physically abusive to him too you know if it got to that point where he was just like he was he was almost damaged himself and like she would be mean to G oh I could just <laughs> get real fucking yeah massive. yeah yeah I I mean I because that way it would put a real I feel like I feel like we feel bad for him yeah instead of the Jason best. which we don't yeah. want to necessarily feel that bad for like maybe to exactly. an extent but exactly. like but it gives us a sympathetic character in Elias and it almost gives us a hero character in Elias you know and maybe he could die or whatever but like it without removing anything from Jason and Pamela the killers of the series that's exactly my point so if you if you put the story like that and then you know Friday the 13th happens it, it makes it, it it's interesting when you put it on the perspective yeah it's, of course you're really not going to do that no because that's actually a relatively good idea <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, that was a little update in our little uh, play on Friday the 13th, uh, 2017. Uh, you know, the next little bit of news moves is a little bit sad. Like, I, I know that you didn't really care for this film, uh, but I'm sure you cared for some of the other films that this actor was involved in. That's Anton Yelchin. Unfortunately, he did pass away at only the age of 27 years old. Uh, he was most known for his role as uh, Charlie Brewster in the 2011 remake of Fright Night, as well as his character in the film Odd Thomas and the recently released uh, critically acclaimed thriller The Green Room that a lot of popular uh, websites are covering, giving a lot of good reviews to The Green Room. Uh, unfortunately, he did... He did uh, die in an unfortunate accident. Apparently, what I understand was he uh, parked his car at uh, uh, above uh, his mailbox on, in his driveway, and he went to get the mail, and then the car was not in park, and it started rolling. It actually pinned him against a brick wall, and he was he was killed that way. Uh, from that's what I understand from the people that I've talked to which is just a tragic way to go down. And I believe he was late for um, rehearsal or a, a casting call or a, on set or something. So um, terrible, terrible way to go. Wow. We definitely, you know, feel sorry for both his family. And, you know, I liked him. I loved I loved his performance in the remake of Fright Night. Like, I know you guys give me shit for it, but I actually do. Right? Uh, what was it? Was he an alpha dog, too? Oh, was like, that him in Alpha Dog? I think he was in Alpha Dog. Yeah, I'm Which pretty even, sure that was, that was an amazing performance. Yeah, films. Alpha Dog's a great film. Yeah, yeah, I love Alpha Dog, man. That is that is some good stuff. Uh, I, I have to I have to check that out real quick, Moods. But I mean, it, it's always terrible when we hear that you know such such a young act, a young person, not even an actor, just a young. Yeah, he was an Alpha Dog. Fantastic performance. This yeah, guy yeah, actually I, made me cry before. Let's crazy <laughs> that's right I, I figured it was him I, I would hadn't looked it up but yeah i was like okay yeah so uh terrible way to go out only 27 years old um actually born in russia how about that mm-hmm. yeah that's uh that's a really strange way to go that's yeah. a weird one yeah well rest in peace man that that sucks adding to the long list of uh fallen soldiers man absolutely absolutely yeah so uh, next up, we have a little announcement from Criterion. Um, I don't actually know which of these are horror films except for one, but uh, they, they announced uh, Night Train to Munich. Uh, they announced Zatatucci, The Blind Swordsman. 
they announced Blood Simple. Yeah, movie's so good. It's a Coen's Brothers' first film. Uh, um, Cat People, of course, uh, 1942, I believe. Val yeah. Luton. Cat yeah. People, we covered it on the podcast a few episodes ago. Uh, Valley of the Dolls and uh, Return or Beyond the Val- Valley of the Dolls. Yeah, that's awesome. Pretty cool stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, Criterion Man. Really stoked about that Blood Simple. That's pretty cool. Love yeah, that film. I'm- Cat people will probably look great on Blu-ray, honestly. Which, which is actually good that that's getting a release because it is out of print right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So good stuff on that. Uh, so uh, moving along here, moods. Uh, the TV show Penny Dreadful, which uh, did get a lot of uh, critical reviews, acclaim, good reviews. Uh, people in the horror world seem to really like it. Uh, somebody I work with loved it. Uh, pretty cool show from what I understand. Unfortunately, it is done after three seasons. They just had their uh, third fin- season three finale, and apparently that's that's it for the show. I, I From what I understand, it was either planned to be ended here or they at least knew that they were going to end here so that it doesn't like end on a cliffhanger, which is always good. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> that's not a good idea. Yeah, but, so uh, what is it, that was the third season. Yep. Wow, it's crazy. So yeah, um, at least you know, good news for me and Moods is uh, we'll finally be able to check the show out now that it's ended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, with uh, with the death of this show, I'm sure they'll announce like 14 others coming yeah, up here. Yeah. Um, so after that, we have an announcement for The Walking Dead season six on Blu-ray and DVD coming out August 23rd. So yeah, another Walking Dead season out on the uh, the video. Oh, really? They call Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, after that, we had a little. I, I guess not. Well, we, we talked a lot about it over the past couple years uh, being remade, and apparently, like it's officially underway in Toronto because there's like like photos and shit coming out. Uh, it has a September eighth release date of 2017. Uh, so a little over a year from now, uh, we should be seeing it. And uh, I guess they released like a little uh, photo of like the cast. They weren't like in character or like in uh, the appropriate like outfitting or anything. They were just hanging out like uh, offset. So like people kind of had a negative reaction to it a little bit because they don't they don't look anything like you would picture the original It kids looking like. But it, I mean, it makes sense because they're not in. They're just in regular, like, 2016, like, clothes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Um, we, we have to see them in makeup with their, like, like their wardrobes and stuff, you know? I, so, I didn't really expect anything less from people. They're like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's okay, though. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, so after that, uh, we have – this is kind of a little surprising news. Uh, the film Stakeland has been sequelized after – like a lot of years and yeah secretly was sequelized so uh uh dark sky films glass eye picks and sci-fi announced the completion of the production of the stake lander uh the eagerly anticipated follow-up to the claimed action horror hit stake land so yeah the film is based on the original screen play uh it was shot in saskatchewan um saskatchewan canada yeah yeah yeah. 
Um, pretty cool, man. I mean, they, they made a sequel. I li- don't you like when that happens, which is just like, you don't have to wait for it to Out get of announced the blues- and then yeah. like, casting and then, oh, we're shooting. Oh, we're not shooting. Oh, we've got a new script. Oh, we've got a new director attached. Let's just wait till the movie's done and announce it that way. Yeah, no doubt, man. You know, it's funny. Stakeland was one of those films that it had to grow on me. The first time I watched it, I didn't really care for it too much. Isn't that hard to believe? Yeah, because so many people like it. I actually just recently picked it up for, uh, I believe, $2 at a a local store here called Ollie's. And uh, I haven't watched it yet, but it was actually on my short list to watch simply because I've heard so many good things about it over the years. Yeah, so I, yeah, I had to revisit, and I don't know what I was thinking the first time I watched it, but it, it is a good film. But that's really cool that there's a sequel, and yeah, like you said, all these years later, it's been it's been a while. Absolutely. So uh, the final little thing here, we have Wild Eye announcing a title uh, from Debbie Roshan, her directorial debut, I believe. Uh, she brings on Harry Manfredini to do the score, who, of course, is famed for Friday the 13th, and w- among many, many other films. I did not know uh, that he's done the music for this movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, so um, Tiffany Sheppis is in this movie, uh, and it's supposed to hit DVD July 12th. Uh, it is called Model Hunger, and it follows a pinup model who is cast aside uh, by the heartless and exploitive modeling industry, uh, the, she takes uh, the rejection well, and uh, th- or doesn't take the rejection well, and seeks revenge. <laughs> That's um, could be pretty cool. We'll see how it goes. I mean, you never know with Wild Eye, but um, I, I should be getting a copy of this one in for review because it looked interesting. Yeah, I doubt I'll get it, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's got my girl Tiffany Shepis in there. Uh, pretty awesome, Out. man pretty awesome all right yeah, so well, I, I was gonna say you can't go wrong but yeah usually can with a lot of films that she's in so. <laughs> <laughs> so uh that that is the news wrapped it up oh yeah already getting into uh mood swings and the dvd and blu-ray releases for june 28th of 2016 now there's not really a whole lot this week at all um, first up here from Blue Underground, we've got a double feature. Uh, the Edgar Wallace double feature here. We got Circus and Fear and the, the Golden Dragons, which I've actually never seen this film before. I'm not really 100% sure. Or the Five Golden Dragons is what it's called. Not the Golden Dragons. Um, yeah, pretty cool, man. Uh, double feature with uh, Christopher Lee and Klaus Kinski. Pretty cool. Now, this one right here, um, I'm looking forward to checking out here, uh, is the, uh, the Harry, the Ray Harryhausen, uh, special effects Titan documentary being released by, of course, Arrow Video, or no, Arrow Films. Films. Arrow Films, that's right. And apparently this is the first release from Arrow Films USA. So that is cool. Uh, I do have this one on pre-order and I know you have actually already seen this one. So yeah, I'll be uh, talking about it a little later in the show. Um, yeah. Odd thing about these Aero screeners, though, they came out really late. A lot of people were wondering where they were um, because we just – most people got them like like last week, like at the end of last week. So not a, not a whole lot of time to get reviews out before uh, the films are actually released, unfortunately. I don't know what the deal was with that, but a lot of people just uh, – like even people that I know that get them as well didn't mm-hmm. have theirs until late last week. Yeah. 
crazy. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to that. Also from Arrow, from Arrow Video, of course, we've got Return of the Killer Tomatoes comes out on Tuesday. Moats, moats, um, moats, moats. There's four fucking Return of the Killer Tomato film or uh, Killer Tomato films. I did not know that. How fucking nuts is that? There is. Yeah. That's crazy. Kill- Craziness. What is going on? Yeah, they they just they started making these films and uh, well, I mean, the first one came out, I believe, in seventy eight, and the sequel was in eighty eight, and then they released a couple more. But there's one that's like Killer Tomatoes Take France. Yeah. <laughs> See, you know how silly those things were getting. But uh, I really like the cover art that they used for this Return of the Killer Tomatoes um, right. release. I, I kind of like it, man. I think it's the red. I don't know. It's cool. Um, but yeah, it's probably one I'm not going to pick up because I don't really need to upgrade my my uh, DVDs. But now I thought this one looked kind of cool. It's called Dream Killer, and it's being released by Kino Lober, of course, uh, just on DVD, which is really strange. Don't you find that strange? I don't know, just uh, like a DVD yeah, release from Kino. It's a little strange, but it, it actually to... does look kind of cool, though. From what you yeah, fans of Serial and the Jinx, meet your new favorite film. Have you seen either of those? <laughs> No. I just thought that was like the funniest quote. I'm like, meet your new favorite film. What the fuck? That's confidence. I know. Or it's that. just they put out, they mentioned two films that nobody's ever fucking heard of. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I guess that's why it's going to be your new favorite film. I don't know. Uh, next up here is a film called Forgotten Tales being released by SGI Entertainment. Not too sure. Nope. Uh, yeah, it's an anthology film. It says nope. Three Tales of Terror. And it looks really, really bad. So, yeah, probably going to be super shitty. Uh, this one right here is being released by Vertical. I'm not really too sure if that's a real label. Uh, it's called The Girl in the Photographs. And, again, the cover art on this is just one of those kind of computerized covers that just looks trashy. Does that yeah. not look shitty? Yeah, and it sucks because, uh, like, I was kind of interested in this one because, like, this was Wes Craven's, like, last sort of – um effort in anything like he was a producer on this film and i guess oh, really? he was sort of a mentor to the director uh and apparently this was sort of uh the last thing that he worked on well hopefully and, this is one of those cases where you know you shouldn't judge a book by its cover maybe the cover's shitty but the film's good i yeah. i've heard mixed reviews about it so far it's kind of been screened a lot in the festival circuit i believe yeah um so yeah who really knows and speaking of Wild Eye, we've got uh, finally we've got the uh, North American release of Hotel Inferno, which of course is an Italian film that was done by Necrostorm out of Italy. Uh, yeah, Hotel Inferno finally getting a release over here, so that's really cool. Was it good? Um, it's not my favorite Necrostorm film. It's an interesting film because it's all done POV style. Uh, it's kind of like a doom. It, it almost plays all like a video game. Like you follow your characters, just like shooting up monsters and shit. It's, uh, it's fun. It's not my favorite one. Actually, me and Dylan were actually having a conversation about this when he was over and he's like, yeah, I like it, but it's not my favorite one, but it's decent. It's fun. It's fun. And, uh, last up for the releases again from Wild Eye, we've got a film called Shark Exorcist. Of course. Hmm. Shark Exorcist. The cover is just fantastic. It's got this priest holding a cross and he's exercising a fucking shark. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, I know people have been getting screeners and uh, I actually never got this one, of course, because Wildlife fucking hates me. And um, yeah, so I haven't really heard any of the reviews, but I'm, it's probably shitty. It's fucking Wildlife. So you know huh. how it goes. <laughs> but that is going to do it for the releases. Not much. Not, Not much, much at, all. at all. Yeah. In the ways, and I, I actually searched around and I couldn't really find too much more that was coming out on the twenty eighth. So, yeah, um, pick of the week, a release of the week, release of the week. 
Now, it's not really the hardest choice in the world here. I mean, let's face it, guys. I mean, we got shitty anthologies. We got a couple wild-eye films. <laughs> uh, so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to have to give it to the first release from Arrow uh, Arrow Films. And it's going to be the Ray Harryhausen special effects titan documentary. Even though I haven't seen it, I mean, you can't go wrong with anything Harryhausen, man. The guy was like a fucking genius, right? So... And plus, it's a documentary again. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, good I guess pick. <laughs> I, I guess I guess we'll hear more about this in the future of the show. So, but that would be my pick if I was to pick up one thing out of those eight releases. That is going to be the one, right there. All right, uh, yeah. good pick, good pick. All right, so and I'm pretty sure we got some voicemails this week. Yeah, yeah, we do. These are actually all from like may <laughs> all these came in, in in like late may so um yeah a little behind on the voicemails obviously so uh we got a couple here as always uh you guys can send in your voicemails uh, if you want to um you know hear, hear, hear yourself your voice on, on the show two shots of moods and horror uh you know what we never do this uh if you want to drop us a line on the voicemail 724-426-6665 there you go don't have to wait till the end of the show to hear that. Yeah, number dropping. Okay, so uh, first up, we got one from the homie Chris, aka Critter Buster. Hey guys, this is Chris, aka Critter Buster, and I wanted to call and uh, leave a little question for you guys. Uh, I know I called in once before during the 50th episode, but I figured I'd chime in now since I had time. And uh, what I wanted to know was if your favorite horror movie of all time did not exist, if it was just eliminated from the history of film, would you still be a fan of horror movies? Because I don't know if I would or not, because, of course, mine is Critters, and it kind of what got me into horror films. And without that, I'm not sure if I would have had that leeway into the horror genre, or if it would have been another film that got me in, but I'm not sure. So, um, what's yours, guys? Uh, do you think if you would eliminate your favorite movie... Would you still be a fan of horror films? So, just want to know, guys. See ya. Keep up the good work, guys. Yeah, thank you, Chris. A one a one time uh, body bags member. Also, um, always cool to hear from uh, from Chris. So many people were part of that channel. Yeah, Critter Buster in the house. Awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, the question, man. Hundred percent, I would be a horror fan, and I will explain why. My favorite horror film of all time is Dawn of the Dead, which I know it's probably a big surprise to most of you guys listening right now. No, terrible joke. Um, that was not the film that, you know, kind of got me into horror films at all. I've told the story a million times. Fright Night is the film that got me into horror films and, you know, House. And, and there was a few things, you know, before that. I never seen Dawn of the Dead until I was around nine or ten years old, which was, you know, years after I was already kind of intrigued by the horror genre and things like that. So I was already fascinated with horror films and those type of things. And then and I seen Dawn of the Dead. It was actually when I first seen Dawn of the Dead, it did not become my favorite horror film until later. It took years and years. I, I guess it's because I wasn't really searching for a favorite film. I never really thought about it too much. I was just in that realm of video stores and trying to rent everything I could for five, five for five. Remember those deals? Five films for five days, five dollars. And I would just literally clear out the horror film section and that I just, I got enthralled in it. And then later on, I kind of realized that, you know, I start renting those films again and again and Dawn of the Dead just became my favorite film. So 
the answer to the question is yes, I would be a horror fan yeah. based on that because so yeah, I, I would be too. Um, my favorite horror film of all time, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, also known as the best horror film of all time. I I, I didn't see it, you know, until later. I actually was thinking about creating a video series, like kind of uh, chronicling my like why I'm a horror fan, like the different steps that I remember through my memory of like what crafted me into what I am today. And it would start with probably Friday the 13th or Friday the 13th part seven to be more specific. So, so that's really what kind of got me into being a horror fan. So yeah, I'm with moods. Uh, my, my favorite horror film, you could erase it and, uh, probably would not affect me much because, uh, even though it is a significant moment that, that that did sort of nudge me towards horror a little bit more was when I did see Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time. But also that same night, I seen another classic, and that's Phantasm. So uh, if I didn't have Chainsaw well, there, there Phantasm would have probably done the same thing because both okay. but both of them combined together really did fucking fuck me up. That's that's like amazing. I got a question for you. Yes. So if these films didn't actually exist today. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Dawn of the Dead do not exist. Yeah. What is your favorite horror film? Um, huh. That That's kind of a hard one because not only is Chainsaw my favorite horror film because it's like, you know, it, it is. Do you not, do you like. not have your, do you not have your number two? Well, well I mean, it, I think that my second favorite horror film wouldn't automatically become my favorite horror film simply because, like, not only do I pick Chainsaw because I love it so much, but also just because, like, the significance of it I find fascinating as well. Yeah. So, like, if something like The Thing is my second favorite horror film or something like that, like, I don't know if I would necessarily choose that as my favorite because – of like the, it, it's like less significant. I almost feel like I'd have to go with like either like an Elm Street or um, even like Return of Living Dead or something. It, it, it would be hard. I'd have to actually do another top ten list. I, I think mm-hmm. as of right now, I would probably pick like Elm Street three or Return of Living Dead. I, it would yeah. probably be Elm Street three though. Yeah, it's um, it's a toss up. I mean, not really much. I, I would probably just go with Return of Living Dead is it's been my number two film for such a long time. You know, of course, Maniac and the Beyond are right there too, but it's funny because Fright Night is the movie that I credit for everything. And it's, you know, it's getting so low. It's like almost out of my top 10 now. (laughs) It's weird how, you know, over time you just, you develop this relationship with such other films. It's not like I want to forget about Fright Night, but it's just, it's funny how just new things come into your life and you learn to love them so much. Like, I mean, Italian horror films I never really got into until later. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I was, you know, in my late teens the first time I started really kind of experiencing them because they were harder to find. You know, oh, yeah, it was, it sure. was a lot harder to find and things like that. So, um, so yeah, they're not as nostalgic as these other type of films, but it's not just about nostalgia. It's about the films and stuff, but you know me with Return of the Dead. I've watched that movie like a million times. So I would have to say that would be it. That would be it. Too bad we didn't have Chris on the show. I'd actually like to ask him what his favorite film would be if Chris yeah. didn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe he wouldn't, even, like you said, he wouldn't be a horror fan. But, you know, I, it's interesting. I think, I think it's rare that your favorite is the, is like the one of the first ones that you've seen and got you into it too. It's even more rare for that film to be Critters. <laughs> I know. He's, he's one of a kind. 
Yeah. <laughs> what right, uh, so let's move on here. We have one from Lawrence. <clears throat> hey, guys, it's Lawrence. In response to episode 80, I thought I'd actually give you an idea for an upcoming show. You've done all these different mainstreams and a few independent films, but what about truly independent films? Ones that were done by the fans and they added their own spin to their favorite films. I mean, do a show where you're highlighting movies like Halloween Inferno, My Final Destination. How about Freddy vs. the Ghostbusters? Find find movies like that that was made by the fans on less than a shoestring budget just because they love the films. And let us know what you think of them. But I will say if you do My Final Destination, you also should look into Final Destination 4.5. Anyway, guys, have a great day and stay awesome. All right, I'm going to play one more from him right back to back because uh, it's, it kind of continues on with that. Hey, guys, it's Lawrence again. Uh, to further justify my previous call-in, uh, you asked us, and you've been asking the audience quite a bit for feedback. Well, this is essentially going to be a podcast involving fan feedback to the films they love. So it'd be cool to bring it full circle and talk about the films that were made by fans of the films they were inspired by. So, you know, if you're into that kind of poetic thing, then, you know, maybe try it out. The only other thing I could think of, and this is a really bizarre thing, but I'm just going to throw it out there. If you had to make a cheeseburger based on ingredients you found in horror films, you'd have to find the films with your choice parts. You'd have to find something like Review Ginger Dead Man for the bread, uh, The Mad for the meat, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes for the tomato. <laughs> Not sure where you'd get the cheese, though. Anyway, have a great day, guys. Uh, so let's just start with the end of the question. Um, yeah, I like the ginger dead man for the bread. Um, maybe something like uh, there has to be another better like slaughterhouse for the meat or something. You know, get get you know post. Uh, and then the cheese, of course, would come from uh, Mood's Trauma Collection. that's fucking good i actually came up with a burger here man um so the bread would be night of the living bread it's a short from 1990 obviously a parody of night of living dead um the lunch meat from 1987 of course uh if you've ever seen that one that's pretty funny and then it would be topped with shrooms from 2007. Ah, nice. Um, and then I kind of stole his, uh, not the killer tomatoes. Return of the, it'd be topped with Return of the Killer Tomatoes from 88. And then topped with them with some head cheese. It's a 2002 ah. short. But, and then it all ends up in a huge monster from 2003. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, that that's actually pretty good. I gave this I gave that no thought, by the way. <laughs> um uh how are you gonna cook it though? Ooh. Wow. Ugh. Maybe with Hansel and Gretel and have it get baked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I find that so fascinating that that movie is not a comedy. Yeah, I never seen it, but that's what I heard. It's so funny. <laughs> that was actually kind of a fun question. Yeah, yeah, pretty fun actually. Um, and then he also uh, asked about maybe doing a show where we cover like fan films, essentially. Yeah, um, I thought that was. That that's was actually that not the worst idea in the world. Like that, that could be interesting. Well, the funny thing is, I never had an interest in doing fan films because I never really thought about it. But yeah, now that I think about it, I think it's a really good idea. So I guess I was just playing ignorant to it. But um, no, that, that's a really good idea. Yeah, maybe do like three or four of them. Um, usually they're not like an hour and a half long. They're like 40 minutes long. So oh, yeah. do a couple of them. Um, actually, you know what? Like I like the idea of doing those sort of, um, you know, f- f- characters we're familiar with. Like doing little fan films uh, of those. So Lawrence, if you had, I know that you mentioned like Final Destination four point five and like Freddy versus the Ghostbusters and stuff. If you have any other ones, let it drop us a little uh, uh, message and, and and tell us what like preferably like the best ones because <laughs> you know how I am. Like I, I don't have the patience for just pure shit. So um, I know there's a bunch of Halloween ones and. Uh, I think there's a couple Friday the 13th ones too, if I'm not mistaken. I've definitely seen some good shorts. Like there was a Hellraiser short from like the 90s that came out actually done by the guy who was like the cinematographer, like the makeup effects guy on Hellraiser 3, I believe. Yeah. And he did a short that was really cool. I think we might have talked about it on this podcast before. But yeah, so Lawrence, if you have any uh, suggestions besides the ones you mentioned, like really good ones or, or ones that you think would be the most entertaining for us to talk about uh hit us up and we'll, we'll we'll pencil it in yeah that is right that's a really cool idea actually thank yeah, you for yeah. that lawrence yeah okay so uh another one from lawrence here hey guys it's lawrence i was just listening to the podcast uh episode 81 and you were talking about the eye from that short segment the last one from body bag yeah the worst one in body bags. I had yeah. an interesting idea. You know how they keep... It's almost inevitable that there's always going to be some kind of rehashing of the Frankenstein story. Whether it's a retelling or a new interpretation. But what if they do one where all of the body parts that he his monster was put together with take on some of the personality of that it was taken from. And then just think of all these people's personalities culminating in the monster's mind. And at one point, he just starts calling himself Legion. Because <laughs> he is the many. And he's actually trying to add more parts to himself because even with all that he has, he feels incomplete. He feels powerful, but he doesn't feel complete. And even his bride, which he tries to make himself, starts becoming a part of him. I wanted to get your idea on that one. (laughs) I guess it would be sort of like uh, that movie Slither, uh, when they've got all those 
people coming together, but that was one personality, not a bunch of them. So let me know what you think. Anyway, have a great time, guys. Bye. That is a really interesting question. The first thing I thought of when he was uh, describing the Frankenstein thing was Frankenhooker. I was like, that's uh, already been too, done before. Because, yeah, the pieces, the personality coming out and stuff, and we had just talked about it. So that's, yeah, the that's hooker personality that I, I thought of. Um, but, you know. Need a date? <laughs> I, I, he, he, he definitely does this thing where when he calls in and he, he um, like leaves a message or something, often – He'll talk about one thing, but it instantly gets my mind running in like a hundred different directions where I'm thinking of other things. Like, and I was like, how come we've never seen like a, a, a Frankenstein that is like a real body horror film, you know, like really exploits that body horror element to it. And uh, you know, it exactly, Ben, because there's been like a million different versions of Frankenstein. Why don't they go to that level? Yeah. That would, that would make sense completely. Yeah. Yeah, so a, a real like gross and and just disgusting like body horror element to the film, and you know he even mentioned you know one of the things about the original Frankenstein that I didn't really notice until last year when I did that marathon for October. The whole fucking reason that it all went downhill is because Igor or whatever his name was like grabbed the abnormal like brain like. It's yep. not because he played God or anything. Like it literally is just like a mistake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which I always kind of find it interesting. Find kind of interesting. no matter what, my Frankenstein character is going to have the penis from Bad Biology. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we just talked about it, right? It's kind of it's kind of funny how this all goes back to Bad Frank Biology. Potter. Is one of those films where um, sometimes I watch a movie. This happened recently with the Stenhall syndrome, where I watch it and I like it. But then, like, a, a few weeks later or a few days later, like, it, I'll still think about certain parts of it. And I'll be like, okay, I guess I like that a lot more than I thought I did because I'll still be thinking about it. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the case with Bad Biology a little bit. Like, I actually like that movie, like, quite a bit, mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah. You know, it's it's a ridiculous idea, but it's it's fun. <laughs> it's yeah. Definitely. So um, uh, we got two more voicemails here. Uh, this one is from Tyler in L.A. By the way, guys, whenever you call in and leave a voicemail, I always like when you say like, hey, guys, it's Rob from Georgia or something like that, because like it, it lets us like I just always I, first of all, it's hard to remember who's who. Like, because sometimes we'll get a voicemail from somebody that like has the same name as somebody else. But if you tell me where you're from, then it I, it's easier to put like a, a voice to a name. You know what I'm saying? I just kind of put that name to the map. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, <laughs> uh, here's Tyler from L.A. Okay, hi. Hi, uh, guys. This is Tyler from Los Angeles, and I have a question for you guys. Um, what's a horror property that you would actually like to see be turned into a TV series or a TV show besides, like, Scream? So, like, something like Hellraiser or maybe the Texas Chainsaw Massacre I want to hear you guys' thoughts. Honestly, personally, I would like to see a, a maybe like a Candyman spinoff or something like that on TV. It would be really interesting to hear you guys' thoughts on that. Thank you. Bye. All right. So, um, oddly enough, Tyler mentions uh, both Hellraiser and uh, Chainsaw, which we've both actually talked about previously about how yeah. cool that would be to see both of those. Like, 
I feel like both could lend themselves to TV very well, especially Hellraiser on like Showtime. Like that would be the perfect network for Hellraiser, uh, where you can get away with a little bit more. You can have the nudity, the sex, and the violence. And I think it just could just be interesting to explore like Hell World and like and like the darkness that is the 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 hell that we see in Hellraiser, which by the way is not the Christian hell. This is different interpretation of hell and. I've always found it super fascinating, especially coming from the mind of the craziness of Clive Barker. Uh, I could totally see that just working. Just, um, you know, actually, a couple years ago, I won a contest, and somebody sent me a couple of the old, uh, like early '90s comic books from Hellraiser, and there's some very interesting oh, yeah, stories that. in those. And um, one of them involves a clown who ha- who's like forced to like make kids laugh in in hell. Uh, and I know uh, Becca from uh, formerly Killer POV and now Shockwaves podcast has mentioned that many times about how those stories could have really been like cool little Hellraiser anthology things. So even if you were going to go to it like anthology format, Hellraiser would be an, a good uh, pick as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of took like a different approach with it. Okay. I was feeling kind of silly at the moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was, I was, I was in a good mood at, at the time and stuff. But no, like, I think this would, uh, it'd be fun for me. I mean, I'm sure there's people out there and stuff, but I kind of like the, uh, you know, high school setting and things like that. I like, you know, Todd in the Book of Pure Evil, I thought was such a cool type show, but it, you know, it's based around kids in school and stuff like that. So the first thing I thought of was, uh, Class of Newcomb High show. Um, because you have tons of characters and you can exploit the shit out of the Cretans and, and, uh, I, I think that would be actually a pretty fun show. I mean, it'd be kind of like a, uh, I don't know, like every teen comedy slash horror. I don't know. I think Class of New Guy would be super fun for myself. Probably not for JP, but, uh, I was trying to go some, you know, a little different route. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's. That's but very honestly, of you. <laughs> I do. I do really think that uh, the Candyman idea is actually kind of interesting, though. I wonder how you could develop that. Yeah, I think we just, talked. I feel like yeah. I I almost don't ever want to see another Candyman, and and because like my image of Candyman is Cabrini Green, like Chicago, like it just like I love. I the day that gets a Blu-ray release, I'm gonna be fucking stoked. Like I've found a new love for Candyman over the years, and um. I can't wait to watch it on Blu-ray when it eventually gets released. <laughs> that was one of the most watched films of that time for me. We used to watch that shit all the time. I didn't time. even really like love it, love it when I was growing up. It wasn't until we covered it on the podcast that I found like a new love for how beautiful it is. Mm. And uh, yeah, so you know, also the chainsaw one could be really interesting because um, the chainsaw one works really, really well because of the amount that you can do with the family members because. Uh, you picture it like you know, you know how like a show like The Walking Dead or something like you spend time with all the different characters and like they're what they're doing and stuff like that could totally work for Chainsaw right like with, with the different um, characters that that the family always seems to have so Chainsaw would be another really cool one but I think both of those shows need to be on like a network where you could have um, more gore and violence Chainsaw could maybe work because they it wasn't really known for nudity on tv and hell the first one wasn't even known for violence really you know uh not uh visual violence but like suggested violence uh so yeah um that's definitely uh uh one that could could work on tv i guess like basic you know like uh i don't know fucking amc or something (laughs) 
Um, but you know, I don't know. Like, I, I just want. I mean, there's a new Chainsaw movie coming. Uh, Hellraiser's kind of well. Shit, actually, there is a new Hellraiser movie coming just to keep the rights, though. Hellraiser is is the messiest franchise right now. It is absolutely in need of um resuscitation it's completely just fucked right now and it if there's one franchise that needs more help than any it is the hellraiser franchise it just feels like it's you know the red-headed stepchild it just gets neglected to shit there was a time where they keep it afloat just because of rights it's like it's so sad you know they just don't care about the films it's brutal man but it does man it needs uh it needs new life yeah for sure for sure absolutely 100 percent um, okay, so we got one more voicemail here, and, and it's a quickie. It's the one we alluded to earlier, and I'm going to play it now. Tremors 4 was a prequel. Get over it. <laughs> okay. So, I want to know who the fuck um, that was. I know who it is. I'm not going to say uh, out of respect for the person. Oh, um, but, are, they, are they actually being serious? Like they're like, Yes, they were team. at the time. So, um... After we posted episode 80 or 81, I can't remember, uh, me and Moons got into another debate about the Tremors franchise and the (laughs) fact that Tremors 4 is a prequel, but I think that it is a remake. Okay, so I'm going to touch on this really quick because um, it needs to kind of be discussed. I didn't think that I had to come to the point of doing this. Moods, you alluded to it earlier about how people don't really necessarily get my humor all the time. Yeah. Okay, so there was a nasty, nasty comment left on the the YouTube video, um, where it, it basically, um, <laughs> you know, told me to get over myself, and you know, it was just, it was really nasty, and you know, there wasn't much criticism in it. It was more, uh, just just insulting, insulting, and and wrongly placed blame because the fact that they were taking what I was saying too serious when it was all for jokes. So. Um, the first thing, like the tremors thing is a fucking joke. Like, like I know it's a silly conversation and moods knows it's a silly conversation. And yes, maybe I do believe that it's more of a remake than a prequel. (laughs) However, the reason we bring it up is because it almost became sort of a reoccurring joke, like the foreign land of Canada or the Texas chainsaw massacre or the postmaster P or the phone in. And the list goes on and on of all the little reoccurring things that we have and the the chains the the tremors prequel was turning out to be another one of those things and yeah we bring it up and we let it go on too long on purpose because it's it's kind of funny to us at at its core it is a joke i am exaggerating my points and i'm brushing off moods's points pretending that they are irrelevant because at the end of the day we're here to entertain and we're like you know we we kind of play up our characters a little bit. Like we have certain things and go back and forth, different inside jokes and, and reoccurring jokes that we do. We we are we are entertainers, but we're also sort of uh characters in a way. You know, we are ourselves at times, but we also play up our quirkiness and the quirky nature about each of our individual personalities and we exaggerate them. It's like it's like any performance, whether it's acting or or it's, um, you know, hip hop, like famously by Eminem, I believe it was said is, is to be successful in hip hop, you basically, uh, say what's on your mind and exaggerate it ridiculously. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, th- that could be the same case for what we're doing here. Like, we exaggerate a little bit. We make fun of each other. But at the end of the day, like, me and Moods respect each other. And anytime we're in a serious, like, debate or anything, like, we always walk away laughing and we're, be- like, best friends. Like, we, we're we not, like, at each other's throats. Like, even though it seems like we are sometimes, well, it's all with just a put it this way. touch nudge. Put it this way: When that Tremors show ended, the first thing I said was, "I bet you that uh, that prequel conversation sparked some uh, serious conversation, <laughs> or that debate sparked some conversation among the fans and stuff." Yeah, but yeah. We, knew, we knew we knew it was coming. We knew what we were doing. I mean, but but you know, at the end of the day, like we're we're not being serious with each other. Like we're not actually like. No, fuck you, dude. Like it's a it's a remake. No, fuck you. It's a prequel. Like it's it's all in good fun. Like we're just having a, having a joke about something that we found silly because how long it went on in the Tremors episode, we brought it up again on purpose. It's it's the same as the Family Guy chicken fight. It goes on way too long and it's retarded, and that's why it's silly and funny. I, I mean, you feel me? Yeah, man. <laughs> That's a that's a good example, actually. The fucking chicken fight. Jesus so Christ. basically, I responded to this person. They immediately deleted their co- comment. Um, they told me who they were, which I was actually really surprised at who they were because, like, it was uh, it wasn't who I expected it to be. Like, it was somebody who actually we talked to regularly, and um, I guess they kind of just didn't understand what we were doing, and they apologized and you know said that. Uh, you know, my bad and stuff like that. So, um, you know, they said they did the last thing I wanted to do was to offend you and and things like that. So, I mean, but this all came literally right, right while I was like taking like right when I was telling moods that I was like done with the podcast for a while. Like, so it was like the worst timing. It was like, okay, dude, like fuck this. I'm done. (laughs) Like I ain't even got to, to, to deal with this shit right now. You know? Um, but it, like, I just wanted everybody to know, like, I, like we have like an interesting, you know, we're not like, like it, it's not a serious thing. Like we don't, like it almost sounded like he thought that like, I, like I was getting on your nerves or something. And I was like, that's not how it, how we work, dude. Like we, we, we joke around, we have fun. Like we, we're good friends. Like we don't actually piss each other off. Like in the heat of the moment, we might get a little like, you know, crazy or whatever, but it, it's never anything more than just in the moment. Oh yeah, for sure. It's always about the moment, you know. It's just entertainment, man. At yeah. the end of the day, if we could, we'd go out and have a beer, and you would have an energy drink, and we'd be, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'd be having a good time, man. So, yeah. So I just kind of wanted to touch is. on that, and and that's it for the voicemails. Okay. All right. So, moving along with uh, mood swings, I guess uh, we don't really have a knowledge topic this week do we well there is actually something i wanted to bring up and one more thing on that by the way the person if you're listening like i have no ill will towards you or anything i know we all have like crazy days where we act irrational and stuff um 100 i don't hold grudges to anybody in my life i've never once did that i'm, I'm a very forgiving person and honestly like it, it's water under the bridge and i could literally care less like like you're cool in my book homie so uh you know keep keep uh keeping up with us and we'll keep keeping up with you. So, uh, yeah, I have one little thing here for knowledge mids. It's not really anything major. Uh, I just, I just kind of wanted to talk about it briefly because I thought it was super freaking cool. So, okay. 
do you know uh, Kyle actually turned me on to this, but uh, you remember the show Unsolved Mysteries, correct? I do. Robert of Stack course. is the scariest voice of all time. And of course, you remember the fucking classic theme song, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I used that for my body bags theme for like a long time. Yeah. So uh, basically, uh, Kyle posted a little thing that said like Jeepers Creature Creepers Jeepers Creepers was inspired by actual events, and so I had to click yeah, on it and watch that. it because I was like, "What the fuck does that mean, dude?" Straight up, one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Uh, so. Basically, in 1991, Unsolved Mysteries aired a segment in which uh, a couple was driving down the road and a van gets behind them. And uh, the van passes them and they see the license plate. And she said that um, basically her and her husband like to play this game where they try to make words out of the license plate. So it was like it was like G. Uh, G's or something like Jeezy, like or like G's, honey, he's in a hurry, like you know. And they're like, damn, <laughs> like they like he passed us, like that's kind of weird, like he was kind of you know in, in a rush. And so, um, the 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 van like flies by, and then they go down the road a little bit, and the van is parked by an old abandoned school building, and they see him in the back of the school with a bloody sheet, and she's like, oh my god, like he's he's dumping off a bloody sheet or something. So they, they get all nervous and stuff and, and uh, they keep driving ahead and then the van like a couple miles later like speeds up behind them and like rides their ass for like you know a, a couple miles or something. So they pull off to the side of the road and they uh, decide to go see – they want his license plate because they feel like something's definitely wrong. So uh, they – after they pull off to the side of the road, they you know go and they go to try to catch up to him to read the back of his license plate. And then they find him pulled off to the side of the road changing his license plate. So at this point, they like get super hmm. freaked out. They turn around, go back towards the way they came. They ended up stopping at the school where they found uh, a bloody sheet and uh, what I forgot to mention when they uh, checked the uh, license, they saw him with the license plate. They seen that the door had blood like all over it. So uh, they went back. They saw the bloody sheet. They got the license. They they you know reported it. Uh, actually, interestingly enough, um, all of that is like the the first scenes to Jeepers Creepers. Like even the reenactment that they do. Like you can tell that Victor Salva watched this episode of Unsolved Mysteries because yeah. there's so many things in reference to it. Uh, cool. Very, very, very creepy. And um, it, it even makes it more interesting that uh, he used this sort of real uh, case scenario and kind of peppered it in into his work because I feel like that's where all good art comes from. It, it's from things that were inspired by. You look at uh, Robert England with A Nightmare on Elm Street and the different things that he was inspired by. And the list goes on and on with different people um, who was inspired by different things in their life and kind of molded it into moments in their film. Uh, you know, it, Tarantino is like a prime example of somebody who does that all the time with the things that he's seen, like movies and stuff like that. But uh, the final thing that I want to say about this moods is I actually did a little looking into the actual case. And apparently when that episode aired, the guy, the guy had been on the, the 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 guy was identified. Apparently, he was on the run after killing his wife. That that was the day that he killed his wife or something in that van, and he was like dumping some of the evidence. And apparently, 
uh, after that episode aired, he was his like new girlfriend that he was go he was going under a new name and stuff in a different uh, state. Um, you know, called and was turning him in, and apparently he uh, either killed himself or he ended up dying after a high speed police chase. So unsolved mysteries once again get shit done. Wow. Uh, yeah, so a uh, creepy episode. It's on YouTube, guys. If I can remember, I'll link it down in the description. Uh, somebody actually takes the episode and then takes the footage from Jeepers Creepers, and um, about ha- they show half the video is the the footage from the Unsolved Mysteries, and then the consistencies with Jeepers Creepers afterwards. So there's a direct comparison. Um, really, really cool stuff, though, man. Uh, I. I you know, it's crazy that like we like nobody knew that, right? And then all of a sudden, like it comes out. It's like, hey, I like was watching this old episode of Unsolved Mysteries, and it's like Jeepers Creepers. Like you'd figure that would be more known, you know? Yeah, that's fucking nuts, man. It's really, really cool. Yeah. So that was my brief little knowledge segment for the week. Okay. Super, super cool. All right. So we'll get into the uh, the morbid fact from Rue Morgue magazine, the coroner's report of weird stats and morbid facts. Uh, this one right here just made me laugh, so I thought, why not? Um, <laughs> director Takashi Miike has revealed that the substance used in the introduction to Itchy the Killer, in which the film's title rises out of a puddle of seminal fluid, is in fact <laughs> real semen. <laughs> Ew, what the fuck? <laughs> but dude, no shit, man. So as I'm kind of scanning through the magazine as you're telling that story, something very strange right here. Okay, so... I'm going to here's a bonus corners report because this is kind of relatable to what we you were just talking about. Okay. David Lynch has cited that the OJ Simpson trial as a major influence during the writing of Lost Highway which deals with a man who killed his wife. And then hmm. David Lynch cast Robert Blake, of course, who was, you know, part of the trial and stuff, to play the mystery man in the film. Years later in 2001, Blake himself would be also on trial for killing his own wife in real life. Jesus Christ. Is that not fucking weird or what? <laughs> that is weird, man. That is so strange. Yeah. And that is going to conclude mood swings. That was, that was like life imitating art, imitating life, <laughs> so, imitating art or something. So, that's so weird, man. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, I guess we're going to move on to segments this week. Uh, you want me to yeah. go first? Sure. Why not? Okay. This is Horror 101. Welcome to Horror 101. And of course, with Horror 101, this is where I review a documentary either on somebody significant like Ray Harryhausen or a movie or, you know, something like that, a little documentary. I think it's been a little while since I've done one of these. But so, yeah, I got Ray Harryhausen, Special Effects Titan. Uh, This is actually a rewatch for me because this was released in 2011. Uh, not on video, I believe. It was just like either for TV or you like you can rent it. I don't really know. Uh, I seen it on TV uh, during I believe it was Ray Harryhausen's birthday. They played this documentary and then played a bunch of his films on like either like the Independent Film Channel or uh, one of those sort of like Sundance or something like that. But it was really cool. Uh, this is coming to us courtesy of Arrow Films. It's right, not Arrow Video. This is actually Arrow Films. Uh, the spine number is actually AF001, so I guess this is the first in the U.S. releasings of uh, Arrow Films. Yeah. I guess it's their contemporary movies is is what Arrow Films label is kind of, I would assume, right? Yeah, I would assume so, yeah. Okay, so this documentary is really cool. Those of you who don't know who Ray Harryhausen is, he was a, you know, 
important part in just film history in general. Uh, He is considered uh, probably the best stop-motion effects artist ever. And uh, this documentary sort of chronicles his uh, film career. Uh, It starts out with his early works where uh, he first um, seen King Kong as as a youngster. And he immediately wanted to do what he's seen on TV. And, you know, he essentially had to, like, learn from, like, guys, this is before internet, this is before, like, schooling and, and before all these ways of, of figuring this stuff out. Like, I believe he, he said, um, that he's seen a TV special of, like, how they did the stop motion effects. And he was like, I want to do this. So, uh, he didn't have any stop motion things, you know, uh, puppets. So he made his own. And they looked pretty good, actually. So he began learning how to do everything himself. He didn't have anybody to operate the camera, so he did that. So he came from the ground up and really, uh, first of all, he you know, learned the craft, but then he like revolutionized the craft. He came up with a lot of techniques that were not used before him and, and things like that throughout the years. And this is an interesting documentary. So you have archival footage of Ray Harryhausen speaking. Uh, and then it's intertwined with um, footage of the films that he did and uh, people talking about him, both celebrities, uh, directors, Peter Jackson, Steven Sibelberg, James Cameron, Tim Burton, Guillermo del Toro, Joe Landis, Joe Dante, uh, or John Landis. Uh, you know, tons and tons of big names, but also people who worked with him, people who were friends with him, things like that. Uh, real, And they start early on and they go through – all of his films, uh, all the important ones, you know, uh, stuff like uh, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and It Came from Beneath the Sea and Earth versus the Flying Saucer, uh, Jason and the Argonauts, uh, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and the other Sinbad movies and Clash of the Titans and, and the list goes on and on. Gulliver's Travels uh, or The Three Worlds of Gulliver or whatever. Um, so he, he really does uh, sort of... Uh, chronicled the films that he did um mysterious island was one that i've actually seen and i've been wanting to rewatch that one for a lot of years so uh these were so cool to see i mean my main thing that i took away from it and i didn't realize this was how many people this guy inspired with his his films and they showed direct comparisons from you know filmmakers like peter jackson and sam raimi and uh, Tim Burton and Joe Dante, uh, like scenes that were clearly inspired by scenes that Ray Harryhausen had done in the you know 50s, 60s, and 70s, and uh, it's it's incredible to think that that these guys were thinking of these films that they seen when they were little kids, and he was doing all this stuff with CGI. That this guy sat at, at, for for four months, for fucking four months, doing like a skeleton fight scene. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, creating these special effects, like the most tedious, time-consuming work in the history of work. Yet he loved it, and it, it's truly a really, really awesome documentary. You're gonna want to get a pen and pad while you're sitting there because you're gonna want to. You could just easily go on IMDb, but that's no fun. Uh, and you're gonna want to write down all the films. You're gonna want to uh, pick up and um, moods. I think now this might sound a little crazy, but I think that we should do a Ray Harryhausen episode, uh, like a volume one, maybe cover like three of his films, two of his films. Let's yeah, do it. Let's fucking do it, man. I'd be down for it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, because there's a lot to pick from. I mean, some of them are not 
horror, but they do have like sort of sci-fi horror elements to them. Uh, but it's it's the it's the art, it's special effects. I think that it would be appropriate for us to kind of branch off and maybe do a couple volumes of Ray Harryhausen work. Uh, I would be a hundred percent down. Like I want to pick these things up immediately because I want to check them out. Uh, this this documentary got me super pumped to watch these old awesome stop motion films. Uh, they're so cool, dude. So cool. And uh, I give I give this documentary a, a solid eight point five out of ten. Uh, very very good stuff. Um, definitely pick it up if you're gonna grab it. You know, like Moods said in his pick of the week uh, or the uh, release of the week. Um, definitely, definitely, I would agree because it, it's a lot of fun and it's very informative. You learn a new respect for the art of stop motion, and you really just get to see an incredible, uh, you know, member and con- uh, contributor to film history. And uh, rest in peace to Ray Harryhausen, truly one of the great filmmakers of yeah. all time. Yeah, his effects, man. Whew. Different level. Yeah, it's, it's funny how everything just keeps being related, relatable <laughs> to each yeah. other in tonight's show. But yeah, that that sounds awesome. I can't wait to check it out, man. I got so it on pre-order. You're down, so. you're down to do some Ray Harry. Let, let, let's ask the listeners. You want you want to hear us do some Ray Harryhausen episodes? Yeah. There you go. They said, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I think, I think it would be super fun. It's, it's, it's different. It's out of the norm, but it, uh, I don't think yeah. I've seen anybody else do it. At least I don't, I mean, there's probably people who've done it, but not that I know of. Yeah, exactly. Dale Palmer, director of the X-rated films, hot summer in the city, erotic adventures of candy. Candy goes to Hollywood and coming soon. The longest foot starring John Holmes. Hi, I'm Gail Palmer. I've been hired by Stallion Releasing Company to supervise the editing of this new X-rated film, The Italian Stallion, with Sylvester Stallone in the starring role as Stud. Alrighty, so getting into my segment of the week, which of course is going to be my Italian Stallion. And this one right here is not coming from the 70s, because I usually end up reviewing Italian films from the 70s. Uh, this one right here is from 1982. And it's called Satan's Baby Doll. Uh, this is actually, in fact, a remake of Malabimba, the malicious horror that was done, I want to say, three or four years previously to this one. Uh, and essentially is pretty much the exact same film. It's um, – yeah, there's really not – I mean obviously different characters and things like that. But the storyline, exactly the same. So if you've seen that film, you know pretty much what you're getting into with Satan's Baby Doll. Uh, I am reviewing the Shameless Screen Entertainment edition of this. Um, this is not the fully, I shouldn't say uncut. This movie is uncut. It just doesn't have the, the inserted hardcore penetration scenes in it. This movie is actually technically uncut, but it just doesn't have those. If that makes any sense to you, it's the longest version. Basically what it does is it takes a lot of those scenes and it extends this, this version and it just kind of omits the actual penetration. So, which is fine. I mean, really when you're watching these type of films, in my opinion, does the penetration make it any better? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really too, too worried about this one is ultra sleazy anyways. So basically what we have here is uh, Marina Hedman. She was actually an Italian uh, porn star back in the very, very famous and stuff. She plays uh, this character, Maria. She's just died. And what happens is um, she, it's like very strange. She dies in this castle. Her husband owns this huge, huge castle and stuff. Anyways, they put her ba- body downstairs and it, it's like this really weird kind of ceremonial burial kind of thing. It's really strange. But anyways, what happens is she has a teenage daughter and she possesses her teenage daughter 
in uh, for the sake of coming back and basically take or killing everyone off in the house that has done her wrong. So she's possessed her body, and it's kind of a weird possession thing because her spirit goes into her daughter, but then it changes into her and things like that. It's a very weird kind of nonsensical possession type film. <laughs> it's very strange. But anyways, essentially what this is, is basically a revenge film to, you know, get revenge for her death. Um, so yeah, that is the story. My thoughts on this film. Wow. Is this one ever sleazy? Just like Malabimba. This one was actually filmed. I think at first to be, um, basically a smut film. It was, you know, shot as, uh, like a porno type deal. So there's lots of fr- full frontal nudity, lots of tits and muff in this. Just extended, you know, masturbation scenes and a lot of shit like that. I will say this one only runs about 74 minutes. So it, it, it kind of, it feels like it goes by quick, but you know, at times this one does drag like a lot of like, you know, seventies Italian sleaze films, they kind of do drag a little bit. Um, but this is a very strange film, you know, ultimately you don't know exactly why at first, um, the daughter has been possessed and why these people are getting killed off in the, in the house and stuff. And then you learn later on why, um, but it's just the whole film just revolves around sleaze. It, it really is. Okay. So what you got in this film for characters, you have Maria's husband who is addicted to, uh, heroin and drugs and stuff like that. He's got a brother, a, a paraplegic brother, mute paraplegic brother. Um, and you've got a caretaker in the house and you also have this nun, which is Satan's baby doll. And, uh, you have these really odd scenes where the nun who is kind of the caretaker for the, the husband's brother and there's this like really long <laughs> masturbation scene in this film, which just goes on, I swear to God, for like a seventh of the film. It's like 10 minutes long. It's ridiculous. So that's the type of things you're getting into here. Um, but it's a very strange film overall with the possession type aspect because they even threw in scenes where the butler, I guess is what it is, or the caretaker, he's downstairs and he's like into voodoo. And what he does is he's kind of like doing his, he's conjuring up something down there. And there's almost like a zombie scene. And that's as far as I'll go with that. But it's just really out of place and strange. Uh, kind of a messy film at times. Um, but uh, very, very sleazy. And like I said, lots of nudity. The music is just straight up porno. Pretty funny. Uh, the main, the husband in this film, I can't remember what his name is. Um, uh, I'm not sure exactly what his name is. But I was reading a thing on him. And apparently the guy was like insane in real life. And he kind of plays an insane character in the film. Which kind of adds to it because I didn't know. And I was like, wow, his acting is actually pretty good. But apparently he was just overdramatic with everything in his real life. So it kind of adds this weird little element of spice to the film. Which is kind of funny. Because for the most part, the acting is pretty shoddy. You have ex-porn stars. Um, but you do have uh, Margaret Gilletta Giordani. I think is what her name is. Um she was also in uh, burial ground, you know, she's in that one. So if you've seen that film, you recognize her. She's always in film showing off her, for tits and muff and stuff. I uh, will say there's a great lesbian scene in this film. Pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, really not a lot of story. It's, it's Italian sleaze um, at its best. Uh, kind of, like I said, it drags the middle part of the film. It's, it's more of like a contained horror film. This whole film takes place in the castle. I think there's one scene outside of the, of the castle. And that's really about it. Really the most unlikable characters in the film, too. It's pretty funny. Uh, but, you know, if you're into these type of sleazy films, then I do recommend it. I'm going to give it about a 6 out of 10. I don't think it's as good as Malbimba, the uh, malicious horror that came out about three or four years prior to it. I think that's a better made film. Even looks better and stuff. But uh, if you're into sleaze, check them both out. They're definitely fun. So Satan's Baby Doll. Yeah, awesome. All right, all right. 
Yeah, Satan's baby doll, man. Jesus Christ! <laughs> but like the whole movie's like one softcore porno, man. <laughs> it's, it's just, oh, it's awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. So moving into the featured reviews, and we're gonna take it all the way back to 1997 with the start of the "I Know What You Did Last Summer" trilogy. Yeah, and of course. When we're doing franchises and trilogies, we are going to have spoilers in these because you can't talk about these films without spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Like if right? you talk about the sequel, chances are you might spoil the original. And honestly, like even if that isn't the case, these episodes are a chance to let us be able to talk openly about films, which we normally don't do. So it's kind of yeah. fun for us to be able to not worry about spoilers, too. Yeah, I generally wouldn't worry too much if they didn't have continuity, but, uh, you know, they, it does, it, you know, they do. So, yeah, so there's going to be spoilers. So if you don't want to hear that and you've never by chance seen these films before and you're listening to this podcast, that's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there is going to be spoilers of these films. So yes, I know what you did last summer from 1997, of course, was the kind of the answer to scream, wasn't it? You know, Scream was a huge hit, and we're like, well, we need uh, um, we need to do it again, brother. Let's get Kevin Williamson on the phone. Exactly. And it, exactly. This is Kevin Williamson's answer to himself, because uh, he wrote this film. Of course, Kevin Williamson uh, wrote uh, the Scream films as well. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and you can really tell, actually, but we'll get into that. But um, I know what you did last summer from 1997. I'll just read the quick little INDB synopsis here because it kind of makes me laugh. It's just so short and funny. Uh, four teens are in great danger one year after their car hits a stranger whose body they dump in the sea. <laughs> that's, that's synopsis. Yeah, that, that's, that's about as simple as you get. Uh, so yeah. this film was directed by Jim Gillespie. Gil- Gillespie, yeah. Yeah, uh, he he went on to do um, Venom, which is the only film that I. Oh, he also did Detox, aka aka ICU. That one was uh, Stallone. Oh shit! I didn't realize he did that film. Yeah, hmm. but most most known for being written by Kevin Williamson and starring yeah. Jennifer Love, as Moods would Moods would say, huge tits. Jennifer and huge. Sarah gosh. Michelle Gellar, Freddie Prinze Jr., as well as Ryan Phillippe. Yeah, um, you got Anne Heche actually makes an appearance in this film too, which is kind of interesting. Um, uh, yeah, she I, I forgot about that. Yeah, she makes a, a minor one, and uh, what what else, that other chick man that um, Bridget Will Bridget Wilson? Uh, I remember her from I think Billy Madison. She was in that film. She was uh, the hot yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, she was um, Sarah Michelle Gellar's uh, mom in the film. That's who she is. Uh, I thought it was a sister. Uh, I believe it's actually her mom. I think it is. No, no, it's her sister. Is like, it actually your sister? Yeah, no, yeah I think the it, one at the store. No, it's her. Yeah, it's her mom. That's her That's... sister. Really? Yeah, because she's like, Dad left me the store. Wow, I totally thought it was her mom. Eh, whatever. <laughs> it, it's not really that relevant. <laughs> anyway, anyways. Um. So yeah, uh, this film is sort of. You know, known for really, you know, Scream is known for starting that trend, but this was the one, the first like copycat, you know, even though Kevin Williamson did both films, 
Uh, this one is sort of the copycat that then went and created Urban Legend and so on and so forth. They though. actually are quite uh, different, though. I, I will give, you know, Kevin Williamson a lot of credit for, you know, I mean, really, I mean, you couldn't really just rewrite Scream. I guess if you were doing another Scream film, you could. Mm-hmm. But he did try something a little different here. And, you know, this film, the first time I saw this film, I was like, it's just so different. I could never put my finger on what exactly it was. And it's it's a simple fact that it's not your typical setup from like the 80s, you know, like it's not your typical stock and stock and slash, you know, kind of kill film. Right. This one is more of like a revenge. It's almost like a, it's almost like a Neo Giallo in a way, you know, where the main characters in the film are essentially, you know, they, they kind of act as the police in a Giallo film. They're trying to figure out the mystery of what exactly is going on. And it's, well, you know, it, it's kind of differently done. Well, G- Giallo films mostly uh, or, you know, those detective whodunits, but also that's what slasher films are sort of, but not with a detective, you know? It, yep. like a, it's like Giallo's took some of the elements of slasher films and, the, and you know, combined it with sort of this other... No, slasher, slasher films took elements from Giallo. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Yep. Um, and, but it, it's like, but then later you have like Giallo's that kind of... Um, started mocking slashers so it's like yeah, yeah they copied them and then they copied them like sort of like halloween you know with like mm-hmm. john carpenter and and uh uh friday the 13th was a copy of that but then halloween started copying friday the 13th and its sequels yep. um so this one's um at its core this is an interesting story this this sort of revenge tale uh the the yeah. the setup is actually really good like it, you know it kind what? of reminds you of, of like the burning, but done way better, like a prank gone wrong or like just something gone wrong. But in this case, it wasn't necessarily a prank. It was it was it was it was no, just it was misfortune, an accident, but also partial blame. Mm-hmm. So there's like multiple levels to that. Yeah, I, I you know, it's probably one thing we are going to agree with on this review of I Know You Did Last Summer is, yeah, at the core, this movie has a really good setup. And that's one thing I really like about this one. I think the first 20 minutes of this film are really good. You know, they're they're not only shot very well. Um, the opening to the film is so gloomy. shot really well. It and really it instantly is. sets up the atmosphere for this sort of. Um, small fishing town that's sort of off the coast and and you know very dreary and, and rainy. It feels it's very gloomy and dark, and I love how the blues are accentuated in the shots and stuff. Yeah, and it it just kind of has this mystery of like what the fuck, like Jesus. So the first twenty minutes are really good, you know. Besides the fact of the characters themselves, I mean, I've always said that the characters in this film are very unlikable. You know, for the most part, I mean, really, do we do we like these characters? I don't, at least. You know, it's it's hard well, to li- it's hard to like them because you realize right away that Ryan uh, Penelope's character, you know, he's a rich be. boy, you know, and he's just he's you can tell he's just a dick, really. And they all kind of come from that same type of realm, and you know, it's just the situation that they're put in. Yeah, they have an accident; they hit someone on a road. And they make the conscious decision of, well, you know, we can't tell the police here because no one's going to believe that Freddie Prince Jr. is driving the car because it's which right. is pretty true. No. And that's one thing I do like. I do like the dialogue. It's just, you know, it's just not likable for the viewer. It's like, Jesus Christ, you guys are really going to fucking do this kind of thing. But it's just the whole attitude, too. He's like, I'm fucking drunk. And, you know, he's got that rich boy type attitude and even talks mm-hmm. about it. You know, but it's see- so much that- He's like, my father's going to fucking hate me. And it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that I will say about that moods is like, I, you know, 
I could kind of relate to the Ryan Philippi character because that's probably how I would react if I'm being 100% honest. I would I would probably be like, look, dude, like we know it's an accident. Like mm. us guys here know it's an accident. Unfortunately, the odds are stacked against us and sort of um, there's no proof that it was an accident. There's actually proof against the fact that it was an accident. So as long as we here know that we didn't do anything on purpose, then it doesn't really hurt to pretend that it didn't happen. Yeah, you know, it'd be different yeah. if we're trying to get away with something that we did that was our fault and, you know, stuff like that. Like, I would probably be that guy because yeah. I don't want to go yeah. to jail. And- but like I even noted down, like, it, it totally makes sense that the, you know, the decision that they actually do come to. It completely does. But I think it's just some of the approach of the dialogue, too. I don't think it's Kevin Williamson's best. I don't know if you like if he I know he did he write the actual screenplay for this, too. Yeah. I mean, the, he, there was. So I know he wrote the story and stuff, but uh, but anyways, it was based just some on of the, a book actually. I don't know okay. if you knew that or not. But it's just some of the dialogue at times. I'm just like, oh my god, like seriously. But uh, you know, yeah, besides like, that, I, I though, understand how he's like, my dad's gonna ride my ass on this or something. You know, like it, it is kind of uh, unfortunate the way that it comes off a little bit. However, yeah. I do like the decision that they made, and I like how it was written because they really do tie up all the loose ends. Like, okay, one, uh, you know. They, they, they tried to do the right thing in a way and not have what's his uh, Ryan Philippi drive. Uh, but, you know, then he acts reckless and, and he – and, of course, at a later reveal kind of changes everything that we know about the film anyway. But at the time, what we're presented with was a series of unfortunate things that happened that, that makes it seem like, you know, he spills the booze. Like it, it, it all sort of makes sense and they tie up all the – uh, the loose ends to make you really understand that these characters really are up against the wall here and and are kind of making the best choice. It's still the wrong choice if but you're that, gonna be like the moral yeah. person and do the right thing, but for the audience, it at least is understandable. Now, what happens next? I give this film credit for, it and a lot of people don't. This is the one thing that I w- I've always given. I know what you did last summer credit for. So there's a lot of sort of um, character development with the characters. We know that Sarah Michelle Gellar's character wants to go to New York and be this big time actress. We know yeah, Ryan yeah. Philippi wants to be uh, a She's quarterback the, uh, for the Pittsburgh queen. Steelers. Oh, oh, never mind. I'm sorry. The Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. just doesn't want to be his dad. Uh, and Jennifer Love Hewitt wants to be this lawyer or whatever the hell she wanted to be. And, this thing happens and they all say, look, we got to hide this because it will ruin our lives if we don't. And then what do they do is they do that. And what happens is it ruins all their lives anyway, because they're living with guilt. They don't have the happiness and the drive to pursue these big dreams that they once had because living with this secret has literally made them all and we see it yeah, yeah. We, we see first yeah. see sarah michelle geller working at her parents store and she's like i tried the new york thing it didn't really work out because you didn't see the sparkle in her eyes and the passion that she had previous to that accident and i think that that's smart filmmaking there that's smart writing to kind of give these characters more more uh depth when you look at something along the lines of the burning or something like that and it's just like they hope oh, they had an accident and go on with like you, you know it's just like I don't know. Like it, it's it's a little bit more deep than most slasher films the are. The, the, oh yeah, for sure. The, the one thing I didn't really that I always had a problem with is that I understand that these four characters they want to forget about this unfortunate event that's ultimately going to change their lives forever. Um, 
you know, and of course, Jennifer Love Hewitt's character, she goes to, she goes to college, mm-hmm. Sarah Michelle, she tries to do the New York thing. Um, and then blah, blah, blah. So they're all kind of in different places. But the, the thing that kind of, that kind of frustrated me a little bit is that, you know, when they kind of meet up like a year later, that they've had no contact at all with each other. Not one of the people had any idea what they were really up to and stuff. You know, it was just kind of like, oh, yeah. And then they still have that kind of grief. And there's, they're kind of still angry about that day that they mm-hmm. dispersed and stuff. But I had a hard time believing that none of the characters had any contact with each other over that entire year. You know, you think that you would try to keep but, tabs but on moods, people. No, really, really think but, about no. it. It's only a year, right? There's, I I, I've not talked to my best friends for over a year. But then again, you didn't have something like this happen to you. See, my point I'm trying to make is that these four characters are all sharing something. They all they all know about this horrific thing that happened. And wouldn't you want to kind of keep tabs no, on these people just I to make sure? Because I wouldn't want to be reminded of it. We kept that pact. I want to yeah, keep but you're always... myself as far away from these people as possible because something. I, I... See, I don't see. I don't think like that. I would want people to be closer to me so I could kind of keep an eye on them. I mean, I w- who knows? I yeah, mean, but you're you trying to forget about it. This. You don't want to remember. Everybody wants to wants to distance himself from the situation. And how do you do that? By not being forced to deal with it oh, right no, in front I, of your face all the time. I get that. I totally get that. But at the same time, it's like, wouldn't you want to know? Like, wouldn't it just kind of eat you up that, hey, maybe uh, Ryan P- Penelope's character is talking about this shit? Like, he just – that would bug me more than yeah, having see, him around. That, you're, you're like – if. It's like, almost how, what are you going to do, though? You're going to, like, spy on them in the bushes or something? Like, you're never going to know if no. they're talking about it or not. Just literally just keep in touch. You know, I mean, they all were friends, you know, at one point. And, of course, this one thing, you know, make them, you know, they go east, you know, they go all in different directions kind of thing. I mean, it, it makes sense to me at the same time. But, you know, at the same time, I it have, I have a similar situation I'm a little indifferent with it. I'm a little notes. indifferent with it. I have a similar situation to this, not where I killed somebody, but I got into a lot of trouble once. When I, was <laughs> I younger, should hope so. Okay. And, um, I did the exact same thing. I went to, I went to like a family's house for the summer and didn't even return home. Like I was so like, just wanted to get away from it so bad. And it was this, and it was this big thing. So I can definitely relate to this, but I also understand your point where it's like, you almost want to keep touch base with each other to make sure you're not talking about it or telling or anything but i just think in this situation where it's just really like you don't even want to like like what happened what i don't remember the something did something happen last summer like it's such a big deal that like especially when barry made it a huge deal like we never speak about this again type thing you know what i'm saying so i I do think they did kind of cover those bases a little bit why it would make sense for him to sort of spread out and 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 yeah each other minorly touch on it but i i just don't find it overly that believable i mean and maybe the also, majority of people you gotta yeah. realize that they like she jennifer love hewitt went off to college and sarah michelle geller went out to new york i get the mm-hmm. sense that she just returned home like af- like after you know four or five months or something yeah that's she does say that out. yeah but so i mean what what it, it's been a year you know i mean they probably did stick together for a couple a couple months or something, you know, two or three touching base. And then it I honestly all wish had to go play different places, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, it's too bad they, they don't actually show that because it just puts the notion in your mind. It's like, man, they literally just, you know, they're all good friends. And then just like, bam, nothing, like no contact whatsoever. Yeah, I get one point of it. But the, the other side, I'm just like, wow, man, man, if it was me and like three of my really good friends, I've had a hard time not keeping tabs. You'd be like, you motherfuckers better not be talking. <laughs> yeah. So that, tabs, that just goes to show like you would be that type of person and I would be the other type of person 
that would be like, I yeah. don't want anything to do with these people. I never want to see them again. So it's like, so, it, so you. I mean, we we kind of sit in the middle. You know, it's like a teeter thing. It's like you go one way or the other. It's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. but I do give the film credit for kind of doing that with the character development because you don't really expect that out of a film like this. And also, there's a little bit more to it too, where like Freddie Prince Jr.'s character Ray. Um, he is the, the, you find out from the Max guy who you get has a previous existing relationship with Freddie Prince Jr. where, uh, Max is sort of probably like the more poor, like, like west side of town while these guys are like the east side where they're all like popular and, and, and rich. And Freddie Prince Jr. essentially through some just tiny dialogue where, uh, Max says, you really got this rich boy thing pinned down, don't you, Ray? Or you almost got it down or something like that. You get the sense that, that Ray is not really, uh, part of that class, you know, definitely, no, definitely, definitely that he here. came, he came from the wrong side of the tracks and now he's pretending to be on the right side of the tracks with, yeah, exactly. his, with his good friend Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally got that too. I thought yeah, that was, that which, was which is pretty good. It's just something little to give you the characters. Unfortunately, moods. I remember you saying this before, before, but dude, like his acting is pretty fucking terrible uh freddie prince jr in this film like ray's character thank it's you so just uncomfortably like just shaky it's just a shaky acting Dude, that he kind of almost ruins scenes oh i know man his acting is like he just has absolutely no range is what it is he's not believable in anything he's just like there's one scene where he kind of turns and he's like what and the way he does it i'm like oh my god dude you're like fucking bill from bill and ted's excellent adventure right there it was <laughs> it like that type of level of a keanu reeves <laughs> a little bit right and it's just i don't know man he's just he's on a one-way street man he's got no range you know with anything but don't you really notice it a lot in the film Oh, way more than i ever have before <laughs> I know it's kind of funny, right? But yeah, so. But I, I do like the the early setups of this film where they go out to the beach and they're at the the, the little uh, festival and the homecoming mm-hmm. girl or whatever the parade and I and think all those different things. You know, this film, like I said, it has a really good setup to it. I really enjoy like the first 20 minutes. I think it's, it's a very ambitious film because like I said, it's not your typical stock and slash type film. This is more of an investigative kind of, okay, let's get to the bottom of this. Like what the fuck is going on? Like mm-hmm. now someone's kind of screwing us. Now we've got to figure out things. It's almost, like I said, it's like almost like a Neo G- Giallo at times. It's really kind of strange. Um, but this film, it's, it's like I said, it's really ambitious. And yeah. I find that it loses a, a little bit of steam in the middle of the film. And what do I mean by that is that when you're watching a slasher film, and I'm quoting with my fingers right now, um, you know, you're expecting a little bit of, well, slashing. You know, this one really kind of loses a lot of steam after the first 20 minutes. We get to, we get reacquainted with these characters a year later and then we got to learn exactly how they've turned into. Jennifer Love Hewitt is obviously very kind of paranoid. She's having visions, things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everyone's kind of down and they're in the dumps and they're just, you know, really kind of on edge and things like that. Um, I just find that this film, it's all, I think it's just, overly too ambitious with the developing of these type of um you know the characters themselves within the actual you know story if i mean if that makes any sense because what i mean by that is that they really kind of focus so much on that that it loses the focus of you know that terror okay this person should be coming out and you know maybe doing some killing here and there we don't have any killings until about an hour into the film Mm mm-hmm you know, there's so much development with these characters and these storylines and there's so much investigative things and stuff. And I find it, it's, it has the right path, 
you know, the ambitions there, but I think it's just executed very poor, like not poorly, but, um, I think it's just, it's just too much for its own good. And it loses so much steam. And then you, then you have a third act that kind of picks up a little bit and it's not really, it's not the craziest thing in the world. You know, this movie read here only has about five deaths in the whole film. Yeah, kind of which I think we should touch on the fact that this was starting to become very prevalent in the in the mid to late 90s where it was like four, the, instead of your giant cast of like 15 teenagers out in the woods, it's like four. It's like four characters yeah. and it's it's not very many deaths. They sort of toned down the deaths and the gore, like the, the uniqueness of the deaths really – think of like Valentine, which we watched recently. Like that had like – um very not not very like a whole lot of deaths either um so it's kind of of the time they started doing that in the in this era uh Mm. but i'll touch on a little bit of what you don't think the pacing but don't you think the pacing would have been just a little bit better if they had of you know i don't want to give away the exact i mean we don't have to give things like that but a certain person gets killed about an hour into the film but don't you think it would have been made a little more sense for the pacing you know, and for the viewers and stuff to have something like that happen just a little bit earlier to kind of break up the monotony of the story and the development of these characters, you know, I, I mean, itself. it always helps to have more kills. Um, but at, at the same time, I almost feel like the, even the characters that were killed that were not the main characters did feel throwaway characters because we were just spending so much time with the core four that if yeah. you even added more to that, that's even let that's then it's truly is just random body count kills um which i i do kind of like in a way that they got away from that in the in the mid 90s and 2000s era where they sort of stopped uh filling the the screen with body count kills but at the same time i do like it as well if they're creative kills but don't you think that max's death is a little bit of a filler death and it is kind of like the first kill in the film though well yeah that i mean that's kind of what i was saying though like all the like those, there's two core filler deaths, and yeah, um, but it's kind of that. funny. So if you even added more, it'd be even more filler deaths. I just found it was quite interesting that he was the first major kill in the film. Well, I mean, it's a weird structure because it's like, wow, like he, like he dies, and you're like, okay, well, okay, like that, he's not that really one was part actually of pretty good though. <laughs> no, no, that kill itself, I think, is the best one. I'm just, yeah. I'm talking about you know what, like the character that gets taken out. You know, you're like, well, it's not one of the big four. Yeah. You know, I, it's, it's just very noticeable is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Because and it's supposed to be a revenge film. Like these four characters are paying the price, supposed to be paying the price for what they did kind of thing, right? And just to have him die, I, I just – I thought that was very notable because I, I just think that was interesting how they did that. Don't think it's the greatest thing, but – yeah, I never definitely. noticed. I never even really noticed it before watching the film. And so I was watching it this time. And I was like, that is really fucking weird. Cause I'm thinking to myself going, you know, I'd watch this film a couple years ago. You'd ask me when the last time I watched it, I said a couple years ago. And I, I really, you know, you know, when you're watching a film, when you're, you know, not reviewing it, you watch it differently. And yeah, I, I, I thought that was a big notable thing. I was like, wow, that's an hour into the film and that's max. Yeah, I, I was aware of that before. Um, just watching it, I knew it was like a lower body count film, and I knew the deaths weren't really a, a highlight. To me, moods like what really slows the film down for me uh, isn't necessarily that there isn't so many deaths in the film; it's the cliche moments that are in the film. Um, oh, I, there's, there's moments that are that are maybe at the time they were like good for a trailer, or they were like they were like intense moments, but now they just come off cheesy, especially since. 
scary movie afterwards mocked these moments so much and uh, i know it, it really makes it more cheesy like when she starts screaming like what are you waiting for like Dude, like, I have I, – I wish I could show you the picture. I have JLH in quotation. What are you waiting for with ha, 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 screaming in the streets written down? <laughs> yeah, like a scary Dude, movie is. is definitely partially to blame for that because they point out how ridiculous it is. But like, because I remember seeing it's that the when way I was it's younger. shot though too. It, but I, I mean, it just comes off really cheesy now. But I, it, I swear to God, it wasn't when it came out. It's shot on a fucking crane, dude. And as she's saying that, the crane's panning back, yeah. and she's kind of like turning around, like, "What are you waiting for?" It, like, it is, man. It's like it's just one of those moments. Like, of course you're gonna fucking have her scream um, out in the middle of the streets when they're supposed to be hiding the shit out of what they've done. She's willing to scream out in public. What are you waiting for? Yeah. You know, like, isn't people going to kind of question? That? I mean, there's just silly moments like that. That's... Uh-huh. And, and, you know, it's almost uh, – and I'll talk about this a little bit when we get into the sequel. But there's uh, like almost like Scooby-Doo moments with this like where uh, – <laughs> That's awesome. You know, That's she good. opens the trunk and there's like a body in it with crabs and when she comes back, it's all gone. Like – and I partially blame the filmmakers there, the editing because it makes it seem like she literally walked away and came right back. But that's not the case. She went and got the other people and then came back. Could have been an hour, two – you know, a half hour, whatever. I Gave have it written down too. time to move the body. But it's – the editing is just like boom, boom. Like they just left him back and it's Dude, gone seriously. already and you're like, what the fuck? Like, 100 – percent agree with the i literally have written down the editing is atrocious at times because it does feel like it's in the same moment right like she yeah. walked well, away grabbed that person that was sitting on the lawn you said at the beginning of the film where it feels like that year that's also uh partially why it feels a jarring that they don't know each other because it it goes from them hanging out to her back and talking to him again with not much in between yep Yep. So that okay. again, that's an editing problem. That's that's yep. the point of editing to make things feel. It's something weird. I was I literally was going to bring up about the editing. It's awesome you brought that up though. On the same page. <laughs> totally. <clears throat> yeah, I actually, I actually didn't think we were going to be for the most part. Yeah, I know. Me, me too. Uh, I mean, um, there, there's certain things that I absolutely love about this movie, um, but the, it, it's a hundred percent flawed. Like there are major problems with this movie. Um, one of the other things that I do like about the movie is just sort of the um, whodunit nature of the film. Like, like you're kind of – like, there have been times where I watch this movie and then I forgot, like, what how the ending went again. Like, it's actually quite complex and they really don't spoon-feed it to you. Like, they don't really, uh, you know, break it down with, like, flashbacks and stuff of, of like, what happened. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, basically, what we assume – is that the guy that they hit is named David Egan, who mm-hmm. they saw a few months later what their body was found. Or a few weeks later, the body was found of David Egan. And David Egan, one year before that, got in a car wreck and he accidentally killed his girlfriend in that car wreck. So um turns out that David Egan is not the person that they hit, but it, it was actually – uh, what the hell's his name? Do you know his name? Mm, you know me his names, names, man. Um, um, oh shit! What, what the is his name, man? Um, his fisherman. Name, yeah, his name's like uh, oh god damn it, Ben Willis. Ben Willis is his name. I was thinking, <laughs> oh, yeah. And Ben Willis is actually the father of the girl that David Egan accidentally killed. 
So it's like it's actually way like it's I don't even think I understood that when I was a kid. Like I didn't know who mm-hmm. the killer was. Um, but it, oh no, there, there's good there's good writing moments in this film for sure. Like that's not bad. Yeah, that's actually like you, like you did not. I didn't. I would have never called that. And it's not that ridiculous either. Like it makes sense. It's cl- they clearly explain to you that the town blamed blamed David Egan for uh, Susie's death, and you know, and even on David Egan or Ben Willis's arm, there's a tattoo that says Susie, which is his daughter who was yeah. killed by David Egan by by an accident. Yeah. It, like it's kind of complex, and then of course you have um, David Egan's sister, um, who. But that was a nice touch, though, showing the tattoo. Like they yeah, specifically yeah, yeah. showed the tattoo, so it's oh, okay, you know. Yeah, and um, you, you get to meet uh, David Egan's sister, who actually was really interesting because she says that she uh, David had a friend because they believe like since David's dead they're under the impression that David's dead this whole time because they killed him and ran over his body so they assume that it's uh, somebody that was close to him that is doing the killings and they say that uh, his sister said only one person came by who said that he was a good friend of David's and it's his name was Billy Blue which we later find out to be who Billy Blue? Yeah. Did you catch that? Yeah, Billy Blue was Yeah, who is Billy Blue again? <laughs> uh, so so you know how they go and tell Missy they go and talk to Missy because they, they assume it's either Missy, which is David Egan's sister, uh, yeah. she's doing the killing, or it's somebody that uh knows David Egan. So they talk to Missy and Missy tells them that uh, only one guy came around and his name uh, – She they were kind of sweet on each other for a little while but it didn't last long because she thinks that it hurt to see him to, – to have to look at her or something. And she says his name was Billy Blue. He was tall yeah. and charming. Well, the name of Ray's boat is Billy Blue. So That's Ray nice. was hooking up with what's-her-face. It's his sister, the guy that he thought he killed. <laughs> That's right. That's so, right. so like, I, I even stuff like that. It, like, there's actually kind of complex, and I was like, "Damn, yeah. this is kind of cool that they that they, you know, came up with all these different red hands." Yeah, but thro- thrown around, yeah, those you know, and all those little twists and you know, kind of thinkable things is going back to the whole Giallo thing. I mean, that's really what a lot of Giallos do. Yeah, they throw you characters and they throw you names, and it kind of relates to one another, and then you're like, "What the fuck?" So it's, it's exactly what it is. You know, it's kind of weird. Not to, not to mention the soundtrack is like actually really fitting for this era. Oh yeah, the soundtrack is um, for sure. I don't really find the soundtrack overly that. If, it, it's not like very prevalent in the movie though, for some weird reason. Not as much as like these as the sequels though. That's for sure. Yeah. So um, this film actually very interesting. Uh, it, it had a $17 million budget and went on to make $125.2 million. Oh, yeah. Riding on the coattails of Scream right there for Huge sure. Huge success. Uh, it came out October 17th of 1997, so it was an October movie released in October but taking place in the summer, which seems to fucking happen a lot. These people never get their movies set on the right fucking holidays. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, Fourth uh, of July weekend. That's why we're covering this film as well. Um, really, like I love that setting. By the way, like the, I know it. You know, and even the whole like uh, little note cards. Like I know what you did last summer. Like it, it's it's 
it's kind of cool, honestly. Like, it's kind of original. Like, we've seen it done, like, similar and, and copied and mocked, like, since. But it, oh, at, at the time, time, it was a cool idea. Right? Yeah, no, it definitely is a cool idea. It, it kind of makes you think at times it's like, okay, well, where, how exactly were those cards being left there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't ever, don't that. you ever like kind of think of that? You're like, what the fuck? Like, how did that exactly happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, I, so, something, you know, the last kind of thing that I'll touch on, on, on this moods is, um, there, there's a moment where they tell they're, they're sitting around the, the beach fire and they tell the age old, uh, story of the escaped Urban lunatic legends. with the hook for a hand. And they're all like talking about, no, no, it went like this. No, no, it went like that. No, no, it was actually the real story went like this. And, um, that is a beautiful f- moment of foreshadowing. Oh, it's, it's, like, the, it's like the textbook for moment of foreshadowing. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's so awesome because not only does it set it up for, uh, all the twists and turns. No, no, it goes like this. No, no, it goes like that. No, no, it's going to go like this. Um, but it also, the hook for the hand and just the, 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 the youth, yeah. and the urban legend of like the small town, everything, uh, every little folklore thing, uh, of American history sort of stems from some, uh, real thing. And little do they know that's a actually situation is about to happen to them, which honestly is kind of interesting when you look at the final film in the series, how it came full circle. Yeah, I know. But I don't want to give them credit for being smart. <laughs> no, but that's actually one of my favorite things about this movie is the setup to this film, how they base on this urban legend. And it's just like this, you know, textbook foreshadowing, right? It's just like when you watch the film the first time, I think it, I think it really works better the second time, probably. You know, so you kind of fully catch yeah, that, yeah. you know, when you get to really think about it. But I love anything to do with urban legends and things like that. And it's great. So that is one of my favorite moments of the film, actually. And the fact that they're telling this on a beach set in this great, you know, kind of blue moonlit uh, surroundings and uh, by a fire. You know, Absolutely. it's it's got like everything, that whole makeup of like, you know, they're kind of presenting to you that this film is going to be, you know, a slasher film. Mm-hmm. But what we get, I, I don't really even want to call this film a full-on slasher film. It's kind of strange. Like I, I want to call it like a Neo Giallo for the most part because of just with all the all the character developments and all the kind of twists and turns and things that happen in this well, one. Well, you don't see that. it's a Neo slasher, which is like Scream and the the whodunits of the 90s. Yeah, I mean, you could you could say that. I mean, but the thing is, Giallo had been gone for so long too, right? But this one has so many elements of an actual Giallo than more of uh, your typical slasher. I mean, see, Giallos and slashers, you know, they were at their height and like. But typically, height, but I mean, Giallos kind of, didn't really focus on teens, though, and that's where I figure. No, 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 no. That's that's why this one differs, and I like how they took elements of the Giallo with the investigation and kind of figured out things and kind of. You know, putting the viewer in their place and really making them think. I mean, with your general slasher film, you know, besides, you know, the Scream, I'm talking like, you know, the golden age of slasher films. You never had this type of development with a killer or in story in general. Yeah, but I, I would so that, say the one thing that does separate it from being a giallo is uh, the, the typical, um, which you only usually get in American slasher films, the uh, final chase scene with all the bodies showing up. Yeah. That happens in yeah. this. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm talking more about the development of the story. Yeah. You know, things that you just don't see that in old slasher films. That's more of a giallo thing. But I think that's interesting how all these years later with the resurgence of, of slasher films with Scream being, you know, so self-aware and, and smartly written and stuff. And, and then you got this one, which is different than, than Scream, but it takes elements from, you know, a typical slasher film, giallos, and it just kind of mixed matches. And, uh, you know, it, it has good elements. I don't think it fully works. You know, it's a simple idea with some pretty good writing in there. Um, <laughs> mixed it with some really bad acting. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. This one's a total, it's a mismatch for me. It, it really is. Yeah. It's kind of uh, jarring to me. So, first, so, I think okay. yeah, it's, it's very jarring to me when I watch this film because like I said, it's, it, it, you know, when I watch this one, it kind of reminds me of the Friday the 13th remake where the first 20, 25 minutes are just really, really great. It's great setup and stuff. And then it just kind of fails itself. You know, and it's funny because there's good things that are happening in the middle of film, but it's really, it's not that effective because in a way it's, it's a, it's a, it, I, I, sh- I don't really want to use the word boring. It's not really that boring. It's just, it's just kind of out there. It's very jarring and you're like, okay, is something going to happen? <laughs> you know, you almost kind of get to that point where if you get an hour into a film and you get your first kill, it's like, holy shit, man. Wow. They're really taking their sweet ass time with developing this, but. Um, there's, ah. there's like a lot of chase scenes and stuff in the film. Like I, I kind of get into, but that. it's also like, mixed. Like but it's also mixed scenes. in. But there's a lot of there's so many cliched moments in this uh, with uh, jump scares and things throughout the first hour of the film. I mean, there's this one scene where, you know, it's you know that screech moment is like, you know, like that, and fucking, it's just it's dude slickers, you know, hanging there and stuff. I'm just like, oh yeah, my god. I see. I, I don't hate jump scares. I really don't like people. People don't like them. Like I, I never found them that annoying. I think- but it's it's all in how you use them. I mean, if you're going to continuously use the jump scare and then you're never you're not going to deliver for a whole hour, it just it gets repetitive. It's kind of it's just like, okay, seriously, like I get something's eventually going to happen, but when? You know, <laughs> it's it's just one of those moments it's like, oh my god, like it happens 5 or 6 times before you finally get you know, see, your first see, stuff of- more annoying to me than like jump scares is like characters running from cars like but standing like not going off the road like that's more annoying to me than like, like in the middle of the road yeah they're just running, <laughs> running down, down the, the center line the yeah <laughs> instead of like running running off the road it, i don't know yeah i don't know yeah um but i i will say that um yeah i mean it, I guess the last thing I'll kind of comment on before we get into ratings uh these uh kids uh, seem uh, 17 18 to you <laughs> they actually don't but the funny thing is uh I believe uh is it who who is it um Freddie Jennifer Prince Love, was 21 Jennifer Love Hewitt I believe was 18 18 or 19 in this film Really So yeah she was born in 79 so yeah she was 18 in this film All right so that uh, I give him props for that at least. But she doesn't I look never because she has massive boobs. boobs. I never realized that ever once. And you guys always used to say that. And I never noticed it until watching it this time that she has that big. Isn't boobs. that kind of incredible though? She's 18 and those are natural boobs. Yeah. Like, she's what? kind of a butterface in a way. Like I don't think she's very pretty in the face, but like. She... I think that Jennifer Love Hewitt is better looking in the second film. For some odd yeah, reason, she Maybe, definitely is. That's probably her wardrobe. She a little bit more too. She's like you said, only eighteen. 
I think it's only nineteen in the other film. She's you know, I think it has to do with a lot of wardrobe a little bit. You know, just yeah, a, yeah. a whole Her hair of, looks different a little bit too. No, it, it looks But I feel that way about Nev Campbell too. Like Nev Campbell in Scream Two, like Scream One, I don't even find Nev Campbell that attractive. Scream two, she's like the hottest girl in the world. <laughs> um but anyway, you want to get into ratings? Yeah, sure, man. Shoot. Okay, uh, I know what you did last summer. Uh, it does have its problems, but hopefully I defended it enough um, for some of you guys to maybe give it a second chance because I do think it has value for sure. Um, it, it's kind of laughed at now with after like Scary Movie and like people just like kind of make fun of that like late 90s era uh, Scream copies and clones. But I actually do think that this one has a lot of value and does have a lot of interesting things going on and is a little better than people might give it credit for. Um, it's definitely has its problems. That's a hundred percent sure. There's, there's silly, stupid moments. There's cheesy moments and there's cliches, but I do think it makes up for it. I didn't find it as boring in parts, um, that moods had problems with. Uh, I found sort of the investigative narrative pretty fun where there's visiting the sister and things like that. And, you know, the only major issues I had was just like cliche and Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, but besides that, I, I think it really is a solid story. Uh, it's a story of kids trying to escape something, but ending up falling right into it, exactly what they didn't want to fall into. Um, something that they thought was going to ruin their life, so they do something else, but it ends up ruining their life in the same way, but only different. I give it a 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, I like I said, I'm a really big fan of anything to do with urban legends. Love the setup in this film. I think it's it's really, really a big, big hit with me. First 20 minutes. Um as the narrative does progress in the film, I do think that uh, I think it just loses so much steam. I think this film, like I said before, is really ambitious. It, it has a really good narrative. There's a lot of good, uh, you know, um, the story to the film is uh, is interesting. I like, you know, how it develops at certain moments. But like JP said, there's so many cliched moments and so many kind of down moments in the film where, you know, you're really kind of waiting for something to happen. And mixed in with all these, you know, jump scares over and over again, we get to about an hour point in the film, get our first kill, and again, it becomes really ambitious. I think the the third act in the film is 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 very very predictable on where it's going to happen um, on a boat. I mean, you know, this is going to go down on a boat like right away. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's just one of those things. Like you know exactly where this is kind of going to end up, uh, but you know. The story is good though. I, I I can't say that you're going to predict exactly the twists and turns with the you know what's going on with the killer and stuff. Um, but uh, there's just so many things about this film that just drive me absolute nuts, man. The characters for me are just so unlikable. I don't even like. I really don't even like Jennifer Love Hewitt in the character, man. Barry's in, in, my favorite character. Yeah, and okay, um, really? Yeah, I think he's the most reasonable. Uh, he's he, making the most sense, man. Yeah, he is, but he's a total dick. Well, you know, he's you gotta a be a dick when nobody's listening to you. <laughs> but he was a dick before the shit even went down. Oh, though. some people are dicks. I'm a dick, so I can relate <laughs> to it a little so bit. He's, so he's that rich kind of dick character and stuff, but, uh, yeah, mixed in with some pretty shoddy acting. I think, to be honest, I don't really think anyone's at their, at their best in here. I don't even think Ryan Penelope is that great in this film, to be honest. There's times, there's one moment where he turns around and he's like, shut your mouth or whatever. And I'm just like, what? Hmm. Wow. How many takes on that? Did you, did you really do, man? It's pretty fucking bad. (laughs) But (laughs) I'm just like, they actually went with that take. Wow. Um, but you know, this film, 
it feels more of like, you know, a 90s thriller to me mixed in with the music. I find that the the score in this film is very representative of one of those early 90s kind of thrillers. I don't did you get that feel when you're watching this film? Like it just has that feel. It doesn't even feel mm. like a slasher film. It feels like a thriller. I don't know. It not really because you got to understand like I was like 7 years old when or 6 years old when this came out. I watched it. It it kind of scared me a little bit, you know, because I was so young. Yeah, I just I just find for, you know, a film with a pretty decent budget, you know, I just find them using that kind of stock thriller music. I was like, what? Okay, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But, uh, but you know, there, there is a lot of good things. I think I, I love the ambition of this film, which I've mentioned so many times. I just wish that there was a lot more in the middle to kind of bring everything together because I yeah, think it's so good. You, and I think a really it's good decent. scene I forgot to mention where uh, our one of our lead characters gets killed during a parade. Yep. Uh, that that scene always used to like mess me up when I was a kid. Cause like, she's so close to like getting like help. And then she just fucked. You know what I like <laughs> about that scene is that it's broad daylight. Yeah. Isn't and it? it's kind of vicious. Yeah. It's like right in the middle of the day. And that it's was a night. I think it's a, I think you're, I think you're referring to the ones in the daytime, but, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I have, I, I just honestly wish that there was maybe some more filler. I mean, I understand what, what they were doing with this, but just kind of put something else for the viewer out there. Um, that's what the investigative narrative's there for. Yeah, I understand that, but it gets a little tiresome when you get 40 minutes of it and you're just like, okay, okay, seriously. <laughs> I mean, it is a long, long developing film you have to admit that like there's a lot of development in this and i, I just think I, but, just, but I do think just kind of you, you need a lot of that the monot- but breaking up the monotonous a little bit you know maybe maybe that's where the editing comes into you know the times the editing is so jarring in this film and it's one thing i just i find so ineffective in this film it's just like you notice it right away you brought up the crabs that's i had that written down i'm just like mm-hmm. it feels like she it literally she shuts the trunk she comes back and it's like fuck like seriously, like that just happened. It's so ridiculous. Um, so there's certain things like that that just kind of it just brings the whole quality of the film right down to me. Um, one thing I didn't know, it didn't mention that uh, it's kind of interesting. They don't get smutty at all in this. You know, there's no tits. There's that's, very, that's, but that's there's, so like all those fuck. That's one thing I hate about not, like '90s horror. Like they cut out nudity like hundred percent, and it started with Scream. You look yeah, this- at like Scream, Halloween, H two O, Resurrection, like all those films, dude. Like n- there's like no nudity anymore. It's so weird, and it's very noticeable because if you grow up, you know, watching all these older slash films, you kind of expecting what it was, you know, like the the blood, boobs, and uh, you know, gore, and the and th- those are the things you're expecting. This film lacks all that. It really does. It lacks all those things that you kind of are expecting to see. Uh, and, and that's a little too bad, man. I mean, maybe some tits for one second. I don't know. Is it going to improve the film? Probably not, but it's nice to have. Um, but, you know, all in said, I, I still do like this film. I don't love this film by any means. It's better and, than people give it credit for. Yeah, I just I do have a lot of like minor issues that kind of develop into like not one big issue, but there's just a lot of dislikes to the film. But I do like things about this movie, you know. So, um, I'm gonna give this one six out of ten. All right. The only uh, there was one other thing that I wanted to comment on. I the one thing that I kind of dislike about the ending, although like I like that it makes it extra twisty and stuff. By making it to where the killer, the the guy that they innocently ran over was a killer, completely gives them a scapegoat for what they did. And I kind of don't like that dis- 
like sort of dist- displaced. Yeah, that's no longer their fault because hey, it was a bad guy. You know, you know what I'm honest- saying. Honestly, I don't even – I think it's something that you really have to dig into. I think a lot of people even probably miss that you know, or even don't really think too much of it because you're kind of focused on the other aspect of what's going on rather than really thinking, digging down. I think, like I said, that comes back to you know the creative writing in the film. It's like, wow, is it a little too overambitious or what? You know, Did you really have to make them? Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's move on to I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. This one comes to us just one year later, of course, making that much money at the box office. You have to rush out a sequel right away. And I'm going to be honest, this one feels like it was rushed out right away because uh, it, 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 it has its issues. So I Still Know What You Did Last Summer from 1998. Interesting title, by the way. Uh, this one is follows uh, the murderous fisherman with a hook is back once again to stalk the two surviving teens, Julie and Ray, who left him for dead, as well as cause even more murder and mayhem. This time, the uh, this time at a posh desert island resort. So this is funny because it's like it's like this time on this episode of I know what you did last summer. <laughs> you know, this time we're at an island retreat. It really um, is, man. But so I still know what you did last summer. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Like the the original film ends on a cliffhanger ish. Like not really, just leaving it open for a sequel, but kind of retardedly, um, because it doesn't even follow what it did. It like it ignores no. the final scene no. in the previous film. Uh, because so, <laughs> because I think the final scene in the in the previous film is, I, I think the way they kind of make it out to be is that it's actually a dream. Because I think they kind of note that a little bit by opening up this movie with a fucking dream. Yeah, I guess so. That makes sense. You know, and, and that's one thing that, you know, we've talked about this many, many times, how much we hate dream sequences that do this shit. Yeah, I you know, agree. They, this they is suck. exactly what we talk about. And the scene opens up in a church. But you uh, can instantly tell it's a dream sequence. No, you too, know it is, so but annoying. it's still jarring to your yeah. Fuck, it's a fucking dream. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it is so predictable. Of course it is, because it's just it's the way it's mixed too. It's it's totally has that kind of dreamy atmosphere to it and stuff. And but all in all, it is a it is a dream. And I think that's kind of what they were alluding to at the end of the first one. Because I think what they do in the fir- at the end of the first film by doing that is that we can we can go one way or this way. It leaves their options open. Mm-hmm. So it's just easier to make a sequel then. So but. Kevin Williamson did not return for uh, writing duties oh on my this film. God, you can fucking tell. Yeah, you can. That he did not write this film. And it's so obvious, man. <laughs> the I mean, we're talking even from the dialogue. I mean, the story itself. This The story has so many plot holes. It has so many incredibly huge plot holes that it's like it's it's just laughable. <laughs> this movie at times is so laughable with plot holes. You're like, what? It, like, it, it relies heavily on convenience. It, it does. And there's so many things that happen in this film that don't make any fucking sense. <laughs> like they don't make sense because based on these type of characters who are supposed to be smart, these are all college students. Yeah. Um, okay. Whew. Where do you want to start with this one, man? Uh, so the first the first thing that I'll say is Freddie Prince Jr.'s acting is much better in in the sequel. Like that's I, I because do he's in the film he's... for seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> he 
definitely he definitely learned a little bit and, and improved. Um, I'm gonna be honest. Like my favorite character in this one is Brenda. Uh, I think Brenda's uh, pretty cool. You just uh, not like Brenda? Yeah, she's okay. <laughs> or yeah, Brandy? Wait, what's her name? Brandy? Oh, you talk. Oh, oh yeah, Brandy. Brand- yeah. What's her name? The fucking her friend. Brandy. Carla. Well, I mean that's her real Carla. name. Her name's Carla. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like you're, Carla. You're referring to Brandy the singer, yeah. 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 So uh yeah. I just think it's quite interesting how politically correct they got with this film by well, if we're gonna have this white couple, we might as well throw in this black couple and they'll be played by Brandy and Mackay Pfeiffer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that man they're just so popular at the time right you know just put in these popular black people i'm just like yeah i mean it totally makes sense it totally makes sense because you know you don't see any of that in the first film your so. boy's in this film though yeah jeffrey combs is in this film he plays the i'm not, no, I'm not talking about him I'm talking about your boy which one <laughs> your boy dude your favorite actor jeffrey combs no dude fucking jack black Oh shit! Yeah, I totally forgot. Jack Black is the fucking hippie, oh, the dope smoker. Oh, Fuck, man. God, dude. I know the all-time you... annoying characters. Can you fucking believe Jack Black and Jeffrey Combs are in the same film? It's like, what? <laughs> what just happened here? Oh, dude. So honestly, I gotta, I gotta be straight up though, homie. Like, I like the setting to this one. Yeah, dude. I like the setting too. But you know what it reminds me of? What? It reminds me of Jack Frost 2. No, not even. It does, man. They go to, like, this Caribbean island. It reminds me of The Shining. (laughs) Really? It really does, yeah. Like, this sort of, like, you know, uh, vacation that's, like, they're the only people there and stuff. And and you got to admit, the fucking, the dude kind of reminds you of uh, Scatman, the, the black Voodoo. Oh, dude. the voodoo. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's his name? I, uh, Jesus or something. E- like that. E- Estes. Estes. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get that. You but get that? I feel like they totally did that. Intentionally. When I was first watching this film, I was like, I was thinking. About, I started laughing so hard. I was like, the setting immediately reminded me of Jack Frost too. I was just like, okay, they took it from this small little town. And they just took it to this Caribbean island. And it's like an offbeat island, too. Like, they can't get off the island, right, at all. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, like, way out there. I'm just like, oh, my God. It's so f-. I don't know why I just instantly thought of Jack Frosty. It's probably because we reviewed it on here. But um, yeah. I do like the fact that they – what they did to the characters because they, you know, they end up winning this trip to the Caribbean island. Uh, I guess <clears throat> Brandy's character, she wins this trip on the radio, which has to be – eventually turns into be – Turns out to be one of the stupidest moments in the fucking film once you get the reveal later on down the road and stuff. Um, <laughs> Why? Because of that dumb. Well, <clears throat> no, it's it's kind of stupid in, for, in two ways because there's absolutely no way this probably could ever work. But it's the simple fact of <laughs> her answer to the question. Rio de Janeiro? Fucking That's wrong. I would have said. But it's wrong. But my thing is, coming back to the characters, is that these are four college students. And you think one of the four would at least know that Rio de Janeiro is no, is no longer mm. capital of Brazil. <laughs> it is Brasilia. 
And mm. it's so funny that not one person fucking like to me well, that just seems I, like, I do see, believe right? that it's they're funny. not around her when she says it out loud though. Like the the other two dudes, I don't think they're next to her. Like she, they're not there when it's, she. It's just her. It's just her and uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. But they do say later on when they get to the hotel, they're like, "Yeah, Rio de Janeiro," and like in front of everyone. Yeah, but but they do say in front of somebody who does know that it's wrong and he he acknowledges it later in the film that it was wrong he's like yeah rio huh he's like i knew something was up right away when when i heard that you won the contest to a wrong answer but still it'd been mentioned before in front of these characters and it's like has you- it though are yeah, you 100 percent sure that that like uh uh makai pfeiffer and will's care and and will were around when they said the answer yeah yeah, she said she says it um previous to that other moment for sure she does. And that's what it just makes me kind of think and I'm like Well dude, these are it's not impossible, stories. right? Like I didn't know the answer and I bet you like if I would ask everybody at work tomorrow, I, I guarantee you that probably nobody would know it. But I'm just saying these are four college students that are okay, supposed I, to be I, I, supposed I, to be got, decently three smart. college students in in my workplace. I bet they don't know. I bet Okay, I mean, you can try that, you know, that social experiment. I'm sure it, it probably will. It, the the problem is your... that it's definitely not impossible. In, in fact, I bet it would be kind of likely. Look, I asked, I asked the, the group the other day who we fought in World War II, and uh, two people didn't know. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, it's okay, maybe, maybe it's possible, but you do <laughs> understand where I'm coming from here, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's like, a nitpick, dude, 100%. It, it is a nitpick, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm really, I, I know my geography pretty well. I so I'm just like, all. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, the, no. Yeah, but it's also a trick question, though, because Rio de Janeiro used to be the capital of Brazil up which, until. Which even makes sense. Like, Rio up is until like the 60s everybody sometimes. knows. Like, that's the, that's the one thing that, like, the, that's the only, I wouldn't, I don't even, I never even heard of Brazil yet, dude. Yeah. That's fact. I'm not good at stuff like this. But um, so so this film right here, yeah, I mean, so it's a really simple premise. I mean, they win this trip and they end up going to this island and of course people start getting picked off one by one in very, very cliche, typical slasher fan. Uh slasher type. This film. one's even way more cliche than the first film. Well, this one plays out like a total slasher film. Like, I mean, people are just doing their stupid things and then they start getting killed and so you they go to the there next was a higher body count did that did that fix the entire film for you well no th- this one's a little more <laughs> th- this one's a little more simple-minded for the entertainment value but this is a way worse film than the first one it really is it, it's a terrible film with a lot of fucking plot holes um there is care to one, discuss any of those uh well first of all the the um the fisherman yeah how does he get to the island uh because they planned it I know, but they don't, <laughs> they don't show, <laughs> but you have to realize where I'm coming from on that one. I understand obviously who the other character and like, I understand this was all planned out, but he's just there. Like, well, I he mean, he used to live there. Yes, I get that, but they don't, sh- it's well, just, he can take of off his slicker when he's like not stalking them. <laughs> like he can just go over like anybody else. Technically, I guess. So. I, I mean, guess. like he's not like a mongoloid. If you like want to Jason. disconnect yourself from reality and kind of think of things like that, but it is kind of funny. It's, it's one notion that you think about it and you go, how the fuck did he get over there? It's fucking storm season for one thing, which they do note, unless he was there making the original call. I don't fucking know. It's just things like that that are just, they're not explained yeah. whatsoever. And 
Therefore, they turn into kind of minor nitpicks when you're reviewing and they turn into plot holes. <laughs> so, um, but this, this movie has secondary characters are super annoying, super annoying. But, uh, getting back to the setting, though, know, I do like the island setting, like you said. I like and the I like stormy the, islands. I love the fact that they set it in storm season. I love and that. I also love the rainy, fact that they're kind of alone. It, it yeah. reminds me of like when I, like, I remember staying at a hotel one time with like, a, a couple family members and it like there was a lot of us kids there and stuff and we just it felt like we had the whole hotel to ourselves at night like nobody like made us go like in rooms or anything we just got to like kind of roam around and it reminded me of that so much it was so fun mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and yeah, come on and- that'd be awesome having the whole bar to yourself and, oh fuck and, yeah and pull- fuck yeah you know with the odd shit. kind of with the odd employee there and stuff like yeah. that but yeah no it, it would be fun it would definitely would be fun that would be the best thing ever not having to wait for drinks yeah listen dude i got one major gripe with this film and i've ever since i've uh worked in the hotel industry Mm, like i I pick i pick apart shit like this but so there's a there's a housekeeper and she's going and stripping out the rooms like like most housekeepers do during the day and um she goes in a room and she pulls out a bunch of the stuff in the car and then she noticed she has some blood on her hands and then she looks down and there's blood all over the sheets and she's like and she screams like, "Dude, you know, how often housekeepers find bloody stuff. Like, like <laughs> especially bloody like, shit. If I'm people sure are screaming, at, dude, I seen the the grossest thing ever when um I seen a literal covered in blood bed with like handprints in it when uh this couple decided to do some things on their period, uh and it was Looked it was like a fucking murder scene, yeah, dude, crazy blood, and um so like I know that like it's like dude." Come on, nobody's screaming at that. People are shit. so ignorant, man. You know, they, don't they realize that someone has to clean it up, and that's probably part of it, though. Like, yeah, and someone's gonna have to clean this up. <laughs> it's fucking disgusting, man. <laughs> Ew. Um, but yeah, so that, that I, I had a major beef with that because it's stupid, and makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> it really does. Ah, oh, fuck. It's just, yeah. The 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 the. the problem the main core problem i think that you're getting with the plot holes is just the whole wacky like super setup scenario it's just so hard to be on board with like it's so, okay it's so, so it's so first convenient. of all like, this killer from the first film is now we get his backstory and not only was he a murderer in the first film but turns out he was a murderer like years before that yeah he's actually and, a murderer and not only was his daughter Mur- like accidentally killed but he also has a son that yeah. is just as crazy as him uh and you know for some reason the son was not involved in the first murders that happened the previous summer at all well or, since or, the, since he didn't quite uh you know get his revenge in the first film that they figured that introduce this character and have him at college to infiltrate these other three and yeah which so, is so uh, then you start to think like oh well he so he went and went to college like got accepted into the same exact college and yeah, yeah. <laughs> has like the same exact classes as her and uh you know then he pranked for, he he calls her and has a fake radio voice that just so happens that it sounds supernatural and that she can't believe it. Uh, she can't know that it's him. And then uh, that he tricks her into going to Brazil. And then he just banks on the fact that Ray won't go and that he'll get the ticket. I love the fact that Ray actually fucking, you know, kind of puts the nail into that one himself. It's like he's fucking around, yeah. you know, and then he, and then after he gets off the phone, and he tells his buddy, he's like he shows some the ring that he's going to give her. 
And then he's like, maybe I should give her a call and tell her I'm coming back. He's like, no, or he's, that I'm going to go. And he's like, uh, no, you know man, what? just I'm surprised. Dumb as fuck, because I didn't realize that. Um, I I just I realized that uh, I said that he just expected Ray not to go, but really he actually stops Ray from going as well. Yeah. So yeah, I, I kind of fucked up on that, but same. Nonetheless, it's very complex and convoluted. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. It's just it's kind of like all convenient writing. You know, this guy is there. Everything then he... is so convenient, like like ridiculously convenient. Yeah, this movie is all about convenience. It's it's just such a step down in quality and um, just everything about this one. Like, I mean, you know, when, they, you, they even... when you really think about it, though, dude, it literally. It, it literally was in theaters 13 months after the first film. So, when you really think about it, like how much of that time, how much of that time did they spend shooting, and how much did they spend script writing? You can't, you can't say that they took more than three. It had to be no more than three months to write the script, right? Probably so it not. makes a hundred percent sense why it's so sloppily thrown together. Because maybe at its core, you hammer out some of the retarded shit, and and you make you remove some of the plot holes, and you might actually have like a decent little slasher there, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe you know, get them to the island with a little bit of difference. It's funny when you learn that they set up that whole fo- that the whole phone call, yeah. and it's like what? Like, and I'm thinking to myself, going, okay, Th- but they don't. I don't think there's any dialogue in the film where Brandy's character ever says that you know she was expecting a call from this radio station or whatever, or that she'd applied or no. In you know, fact, they actually say uh, the phone rings and she's like. She's like, hey, my number's uh, unlisted. And she's like, oh, it's Tyrell. Don't worry. I'm, you know, I, he, he ain't, I've been dating him three months. So literally, nobody could have called her unless they knew, unless it was Tyrell yeah. or Tyrell told the number to somebody else. Yeah. And yeah. And, the, and she never says that she, you know, applied for, you know, this contest or anything. And it's just all of a sudden she gets this call. Yeah, but and you she, know what that is though? That, like that's intentional. Like they they put that in there so that it's a hint for who the killer is. Um, that's a hundred percent intentional. It's just the characters. It's an oversight on the characters to not realize. Like, hey, this is weird. We got a phone call from you know. Yeah, yeah. But it is intentional. You think? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It could be. It could be. But uh, yeah, this one, man. Whew. It has. Just some of the most annoying characters. Jack Black, char- Jack Black's character in this one, he plays the island. Uh, well, he's the island Smokey, and uh, yeah, he's just there for he's comedy. Doing that Jack Com- Black thing. He's just there for comic relief when he's not even funny at all. He's just you know he's just he's got the most ridiculous fucking Rasta wig on ever. It's ridiculous. He's got these stupid dreads and yeah, shit. It doesn't even look natural at all. No, it's really really uh, bad. But but that's where this film is so different than the first one because it, it totally it's not taking itself seriously at all because it throws in a bunch of comedy you know it tries to be funny at times and they even throw in like some race jokes and stuff and it's like yeah. okay it's just it's just jarring at and, all parts and they even spend like so much time on the on the fact that tyrell is like horny like they like literally to where like they're about to die and he's like I'm fucking horny and I can't take this shit no more <laughs> you know <laughs> it's <laughs> like so it's true. so ridiculous because the whole time he's just trying to bang Carla and like they're really close a couple times and, and things like that but I, I gotta I gotta say man my least favorite part of the entire movie drives me fucking bananas is when they're in the storm cellar and <laughs> Julie's like. Carla, grab my hand. Carla, grab my hand. And she's like, all right, all right. And she's like, 
Carla, grab my hand. She's like, I got your hand. And she's like, that's yeah. not my hand. Yeah. <laughs> and then she like, that, oh, first of all, it makes no fucking sense. No, that, like, I, I the agree hand with you. you. Like tilted up that way and like right now, like it's so ridiculous. It's a literal Scooby-Doo moment. They do that in Scooby-Doo. Like they, I'm almost certain that's an actual Scooby-Doo moment where the uh, lights come on and like Scooby got the fucking Frankenstein's hand or something. Oh, probably. And like, you know, I'm sure that hand was like ice fucking cold. <laughs> no, I thought to mention they ripped off uh, um, Scream. The, the moment when it's revealed that Will is actually one of the killers. Yeah. Uh, she's she's trying to heal, like, you know, med kit him up and shit and. And uh, she's like, I, I don't see a wound. And she's like, he's like, that's because it's not my blood. And yeah. like, didn't Billy Loomis do that and scream? Exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. You brought that and up. it's not like it happened years later. Like, it literally just happened like one year earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two years earlier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the time they was writing it, it was only one year earlier. So, I mean, like, uh, I just feel like the screenwriter in this one was just handed like, Hey, write a write a sequel to this movie in like twenty days, and you know. Cause but they, they really do manage to capture a lot of the same feel, like a lot of with the editing in this film too. There's a scene where there's a body in one moment, and it's gone like the next. You know, yeah. you're just like, oh my god, again, and it's like completely comparable to the crab scene. It's the exact same thing. I'm like, oh, we're doing this again. Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know what else is... You can't develop that any better. Like, it's just so obviously done bad. Like, ugh, it's really stupid. Yeah, the the guy who um, wrote this episode, I I guarantee you he was just, like, a young screenwriter who honestly just, like, was trying to get his feet wet and and got uh, thrown thrown this and just hammered it out very quickly um, because he didn't have time. I mean, it re- like, if you really look at it, dude, like it was, it was produced so fast. Like I, I can't really blame a lot of the writing on the actual writer. I doubt he had much time to, to do it. I mean, he went on to, di- to write a lot of TV, CSI, uh, New York and, and stuff like that. And, uh, one, th- another, Oh my God, like terrible moment makes absolutely a hundred percent. No sense. Uh, Julie, decides to go ahead and do some karaoke and she mm-hmm. honestly does a great job and, and does look kind of sexy while doing it. Even though I don't find Jennifer Love Hewitt that attractive, she is way more attractive in this film than the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and those boobs, man. I mean, I was looking at her Wikipedia page and even there, whew, Jesus, I know. Um, right? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> First of all, it's funny that the it's like almost like self-aware. This is one of the first self-aware moments where the um, bartender is like everybody's a fucking singer or something. You know, the fact that like in a movie, like of course the girl like nails the karaoke. You know what I'm saying? Well, that was actually kind of a joke based on Jennifer Love Hewitt's like herself in real life because she became a singer. No, I didn't know. (laughs) She actually put out an album, I think, around that time. <laughs> but anyway, so she's singing the song, and all of a sudden on the, like, Videotron, the fucking word, like, I still know what you did last summer pops up. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, how on earth did that happen? Like, first of all, you just got to assume that you know that she's going to sing karaoke. That, well, that you know that uh, the black chick is going to give her that song to sing on karaoke. Like, Jesus Christ, yo. Oh, I know. I like, know. And then you have to figure out a way to, like, change the words and and put i like i don't even know how to justifiably explain that scene (laughs) 
know. Like in what? Like how did you that. even work your way around that? No, it, it's you. You just can't do that because, I mean, that shit's burnt on disc. Like you're reading that off of like a media file, like off off a disc, right? Yeah, I, I don't. I seriously like. Don't. How the fuck does it just come up in the middle of that? Like, I mean, okay, that makes no sense. It really doesn't. Weird, weird. Your thoughts? Your thoughts on the uh, the the Estes character and the whole voodoo aspect? I think I feel like that was just like it, it's just a red herring, really. Like you have it, to make really this weirdo is, character. It's totally thrown in there to be red herring. Yeah, yeah. It's just it just adds to the uh, just the typicalness of this slasher film it's yeah just, it's i mean typical of old slasher films and exactly you expect those type of characters you know they have to be there i didn't They're mind like, the red herrings and stuff like I, I you know what's funny dude i actually used to I like don't ever really mind them it's more just more than the first one when i was younger uh probably because of the setting but watching it now I, it's been so long since i've seen it there's there's major problems with this movie but mm. I, I still kind of like it yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, it definitely has its moments, man. I think it's a very almost average type film, but, uh, I mean, the thing with this one, it's got a little more entertainment value in the aspect that, you know, they do start to get into the kills and stuff. And, um, but it doesn't, it's like the exact same setup as the first one. Like, Jennifer Love Hewitt's character is so overly, you know, um, disillusioned and stuff in this one. It just gets kind of jarring at times. You're like, oh, God, we get it. You're fucking having problems here, man. But they, again, even though they managed to incorporate kills throughout the film in this one, I think this movie has about nine or ten kills overall, they still managed to have fucking jump scares after jump scares in this film. Yeah, like, it's yeah. just filled with them. It's filled with them. It's like, <laughs> holy shit, man. Like, it's fine to have a one or two here and there, but, like, are you kidding me? They just did that. They just overdid it, man, with that shit. So, not a big fan of that. Yeah. Um, but you know, like the, it's, it's just the, this one is sort of like the opposite of, um, the first film where the first one had like a really good story, but didn't have like enough kills to kind of keep you interested throughout the later parts of the film. While this one has more kills, but the story isn't there to keep you interested in the oh, film. hundred percent is the, the completely opposite film. Yeah. This one this one is just your very typical run of the mill slasher film. It's got that it tries to be smart, but at the same time it's just filled with plot holes. Um but then it makes up for it in the, with extra kills, entertainment value. I mean, some people might get a kick out of the comedy elements where the first one lacked in. You know, it has that it has expendable characters in this one. Of course with the you know the bartender and stuff. <laughs> just, yeah. She's that, a cunt, but, man. And yeah, but that her, the death scene with Estes is fucking yeah. It's like ridiculous, man. But you know they have those characters, and of course you have another dick character. Jeffrey Combs plays an asshole in the film too. Yeah, he's um, a big dick. But yeah, it's just like again, this film is just filled with unlikable characters, man. There's a lot of dicks and stuff, and there's unfunny characters that you don't like. And uh, I don't know, man. And and you know Ray's not even really in the film a whole lot, which is yeah, like, oh, probably a good. I thing. actually, I don't know. Like I kind of, I kind of liked him a little bit more in this one, if I'm being honest. Yeah, well, I mean, he couldn't he couldn't do really any any worse, but I, I do think the soundtrack's better in this film. It has, uh, I think, there's a scene where they're rolling around. They're listening to uh, it's it's fucking Ray and uh, his buddy, played by John Hawks. Um, they're singing, they're doing White Snake. <laughs> oh yeah, that, Snake. that shit is great. And you know what's that hilarious, dude? I've been listening to I listened to a podcast 
um, an MMA podcast where um, every like every once in a while, like dudes Skype will mess up and they'll play that song, like uh, uh, you know, and here we go. What what is it? Here we go again or something? I, go. I, yeah. But dude, it's so funny because like the same day I was listening to that podcast, they played it like three times, and then it was in this movie. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. I, I just love that scene though man because they're they're totally like you know air band and they're singing to the song and stuff and and then ray looks over and he's like oh dude he's like dude and he's kind of like you know commenting about how bad is singing yeah his and john hogg's character is like dude man he's like i'm fucking quitting this band <laughs> it's, that's, that's yeah there, there's funny. there's some cool moments like that yeah. um honestly like the 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 it, it's the story and plot is just so wonky um, but I will oh, say dude, that I so didn't stupid. call who the killer was when I first seen this. I remember that. Granted, I was like seven, but <laughs> but you know, like I I don't think it's super obvious, and I think it's even less obvious that like the same killer has returned uh, as the first one, and even less obvious that he has a partner now. Um, it doesn't make the most sense in the world uh, that that all that would be able to happen. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, most that... of the time, whodunits don't really make all that much much sense so it's just oh it's trying to be too big it's like okay we're gonna take this story to the caribbean but we're gonna have this fisherman killer and his accomplice which is actually his son you know have this crazy fucking plan to get these characters there but then we're also i mean he manages to get there you know by chance really you know, well, not really by chance. I guess he kind of fucks up Ray a little bit there, but it's still by chance though, because Ray kind of did it to himself, kind of shot himself in the foot a little <laughs> bit too. But the fact of the matter is that is, you know, the, the fisherman's there too. And I'm just like, how the fuck did, they, like, how the fuck did he get there? And I'm like, just how like, the fuck oh. did all this come together? You know, you know, but and it, it really is, it's just, you think about it and it makes your head spin at the same time. You're like, okay, yeah. it, you I know what'll it, make guys. your head spin moods? If you think like the entire chronological, uh, like story of, I know what you did last summer. Two films like spans five years. Like the first, the first year is when uh, uh, <laughs> David Egan accidentally kills his girlfriend. The very next year uh, is when they accidentally hit the guy who killed David Egan, and then the year after that is when that guy returns to kill them, and then the year after that is where they go to the Bahamas, and then it ends with the year after that when Ray and what's her face are together. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome five years I, and two I, did, I didn't really think about it being such a short span of time it's gonna interesting <laughs> um but I, I don't really have much more on this one do you not really not really uh, i do think i do think that you know um you know even with a higher body count and stuff they the kills weren't overly that great in this and, film and they never are in this era it's so weird you'll know you'll know if you watch a lot of these films like in a row you'll you'll see that like they just were weak sauce with kills back in like the mainstream films in the 90s like even i mean look at like halloween h2o and shit like there's not really any kills in that movie no um yeah the, the one kill in this film that really bugs me is uh jack black's character gets stabbed with like and actually that scene bugs me too because the killer has like a whole arraignment of weapons and then he's just kind of like, which one am I going to use? Which one? And I'm just like, what? What the fuck does it matter? You're going to kill him. Just fucking kill him. But, <laughs> but any pictures, uh, it's like hedge clippers or whatever. And he stabs him right through the fucking chest and no blood. Yeah. Really? Really? Not even a drop of blood. I'm like, okay, that's fucking stupid. Come so, on. Um, the last thing I'll kind of comment on before we get into ratings, uh, this one had a budget of 65 million. 
So makes no listen, sense. Seventeen million was the original budget. Sixty-five million was the sequel's budget, and honestly, does not look like it. Definitely looks like it has a higher budget, but sixty-five million. I mean, I guess they really had to shut down like an entire island to film this shit or something, because that yeah, is ridiculous. Think- but then again, you know what? I bet you they par- paid. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. and uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt a lot more. Yeah, a lot because they were probably huge after that first movie. Um, so yeah, guess how much it made moods. So the, it, it cost sixty five million, only made forty back. <laughs> of course, wow, that's a really big decrease, man. Yeah, yeah, especially when the first one made like a hundred and some million. It's crazy. Yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, ratings. I'll go. F- you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, you go first. Um, yeah, I mean, I've said what I, I need to say about this one. It has its moments. Uh, I think the story is completely head spinning. It's jarring to the point that it just makes you fucking want to punch yourself in the face for watching the film. But it does have its moments. Um, you know, cool setting, and there is, there is some decent things that are happening in this one. I, I don't think the cinematography is. Um, you know, that bad or anything. The editing again is exactly like the first film. It's just, it's beyond jarring. Um, but, uh, you know, entertainment value, it's not the worst thing in the world. And that's really what it comes down to with this film because it's silly. You know, uh, they try to bring in all these, you know, comedic elements and stuff. I find that really don't work. You know, they didn't overly try that hard with the, the comedic stuff, but I think it's just, it's like, it's kind of those jokes where you go, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's like just, it's just exactly. those moments. You know, it's like, oh god, okay, I get it. You know, I get it. But uh, you know, all in all, man, I think it's a run of the mill slasher that uh, that tried to be a little bigger than the first film. Uh, I think it fails in a lot of um, accounts, especially with this, <laughs> the flawed holes. I think are very noticeable to probably everyone that watches this film. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it's definitely not the worst thing in the world. Um, that I've ever seen. I actually think I like this movie more than I remembered liking it, to be honest. It's kind of weird. But um, again, you know, there's the lack of nudity, the lack of kills. Uh, not the lack of kills. I meant the lack of gore and blood and stuff. The kills just aren't that great. And uh, But we do get to see Jennifer Love Hewitt in a bikini in this film, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. So I give a little bit of marks to that. Uh, but all in all, I can't go too high on this one. I'm going to give it a pass at a five out of 10. Yeah. Uh, this one to me, it, it, I agree with pretty much everything that you said. I actually liked this one a lot more when I was a kid. And honestly, if I was going to just pick one to watch, which I want, wouldn't do, but if I was, I might go with the sequel because I think that it, it is a little more faster paced and, and more things are happening with all the kills and stuff like that. The first one has that great opening, which makes it an actual good movie. But this one uh, just is more entertaining throughout, I guess. It's still not that good, not that bad. It's very average. I give it a 5 out of 10 as well. Oh, there we go. 5 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, one more here. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you could hear it, but it's thunderstorming pretty bad outside. Is that, uh, is that what that is? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, can, yeah. Can, yeah. Uh, so I'm nervous that the power might go out. Uh, so let's get into this bad boy right away. It is from the year 2006. So many, many years later, oh, they decided oh, to do please. another sequel. And it is I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer. 
And this time they move to Colorado. A group of teenagers in Colorado find themselves being stalked and killed one by one by a mysterious figure with a hook exactly one year after they covered up a friend's accidental death. Now, my first question to you, which I was just <laughs> – I don't even know if I can say. Um, is this uh, – is this almost a remake of the first film? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think it is because it's, um, obviously it has its own ideas in this film, but I mean, the general premise of this film is pretty much identical with, with the exception of the prank that they're pulling, but you know what they do, you know, well, I, what, what it is, is it's almost like a, what you would call a spinoff or like sort of a parallel film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where it's essentially what it's doing, and this is all revealed in the ending, is yeah, I... it 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 comes full circle in terms of the first film opens with these uh, kids uh, who have this unfortunate accident, but they were talking about urban legends. This film literally takes that idea and takes the first film. Uh, the first story and it and it makes it into a urban legend so so what had happened in the first two films which uh, i really I do like last summer uh became like folklore in america and this film is set in that same world where that has become a legend and it's i guess the idea is that that legend kind of took a life of its own and actually became supernatural in terms of the actual killer in this film which is, you know, yeah, I know, man. The story, it's a little jarring because, yeah, because they're playing off that this is just, you know, a real, you know, an urban legend or whatever. So they're going to make fun of it. And, you know, because everyone knows about this, you know, this killer with this hook and stuff. So we're going to make a big joke out of it. Um, do you buy the fact that it, it comes full circle with, you know, it kind of turns itself into a real thing and becomes supernatural? You know what? Honestly, dude, like I, I, I honestly think if you're going to make a low budget sequel, direct the video like many, many years later, why not do something cool and interesting like that? I mean, you ain't going to get Jennifer Love Hewitt back. You ain't going to get Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah, yeah. back. You're not going to be able to make an actual sequel. So why not make this fun sort of little like play around with the mythology of the original film and kind of take it and make it a little more supernatural fuck it let's do something different do you feel like you know in the film like when i'm watching this one again and i hadn't seen it in a while i really didn't remember too much since it came out but yeah probably me too but um you know when i'm watching the film and you know it gets to the end and stuff and do you feel like it becomes supernatural because like they they thought so seriously about you know the the urban legend and making fun of it and stuff do you feel like it almost became what it became because it just feel like it had to almost defend itself in a way. Wait, say that again. I didn't quite get what you were saying. Do you feel like, you know, the killer or, you know, the supernatural, you know, the fisherman or whatever, because he's obviously not alive, um, feels like it almost has to defend itself, you know, because these kids were making fun of what they thought was an urban legend, which we know actually really happened. Right. Um, I think it's part that, but it's also part of like a, it's almost like a cautionary tale for any group of kids who who uh, commit See, or, I... or create a crime or lie about something. Like the legend is that like this guy is gonna is gonna come and sort of so it's um, kind of like a moral the of the story. Yeah, thing. it's it's just like a cautionary tale. And I'm, I'm actually See, that's how I originally down with was. that idea. <laughs> Yeah, see, I originally thought it was kind of like the caution, exactly, cautionary tale, you know, moral, moral story. Um, but then, you know, I'm watching again going, I feel like 
you know, they made fun of him and he, by some chance, which, you know, obviously, you know, they can't explain this because it's unexplainable. You can't you just, really. Exactly. You just could never explain it. But the killer kind of knows exactly what these kids over in Colorado did because, you know, he's dead. He's supernatural, whatever. You know, just kind of take it for what it is. And then he comes back to, you know, kind of seek some revenge on them. Hey, if you're going to make fun of this shit, it's fucking it's for I, I real. Think it's man. probably a little of both. Like it, it, it could yeah. be a little of both, you know, and. Um, it could be partially like a cautionary tale, but it just Which, so happens that they were also talking about what happened to that guy. Um, you know, it, yeah. it's it's like one thing that I don't I don't get about this it. This movie has a better idea than the second one. Yeah, <laughs> it totally does. But the one thing that I, I really don't get about this this one is. The way the, the the accident in which happens. So they have this idea for a prank where everybody knows the urban legend of this killer in a, yep. in a slicker and a, with a hook, and they're gonna dress up one of their friends as it. They're gonna chase another one of their friends. He's gonna do some kind of skateboard trick like off of a freaking parking garage, and he's gonna land on th- three fucking mattresses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but he like the mattresses are gone, but in I think place of the they... mattresses are a fucking tractor. I know. I, I never understood that either, but I understood what they were doing. They were trying to make a huge spectacle of it so everyone could see. That's why they had him skateboarding off the roof and jumping onto there. But yeah, I understand where you're coming from, where, why he lands all of a sudden onto this basically pole <laughs> and yeah, like impales like, himself. Like, it's like, what, what the problem is, is like, if those mattresses were still there, like he still would have fucking landed on the tractor instead. You know what I'm saying? Like he landed yeah. on the tractor. Yeah, I guess. Um, sorry. So, but the thing that kind of I, didn't like is in the first film they have all these reasons why they can't just go to the cops and explain the story and this one there doesn't really seem to be that much like uh yeah we actually we we did a prank but you know and well, somebody no, died the, the reason- but it's not our fault he died like he jumped off a fucking building well, that's that they feel guilty for, right? And they they don't really want to be exposed to the people that were pulling a prank on but they, the guy who died was pulling the prank too. Like he yeah, was doing it. Like it could but have the, been but, his fucking idea. <laughs> but the thing is, no one would ever know that because the dude's dead. I mean, right? no matter I guess, how you look at but it, like, these guys would be like, totally well, there was mattresses down here. Like obviously, he was trying to like. But if but if you trip. look at law, but if you look at the law, like they technically would have been responsible for his death. No, they wouldn't. <clears throat> how? Well, because they were the ones pulling the prank. I mean, somehow you would be responsible for like, that. What shit. kind of charge would you get? Like. Oh, fuck i'm, I'm sure that, i'm sure there's a million i'm sure like, there's gonna like manslaughter for that like i <clears throat> i just don't see that like i don't know like it well, seems like stupid kids accidentally one of them died you know technically you probably could because i mean you set up this thing i mean it is purely an accident but uh yeah i mean you know like kids do they kind of freak out and they're like hey fuck man you know we're probably gonna go down for this shit like so let's let but it, it the didn't seem believe like there that was, this was actually a mass killer you know chasing this person and you know he fell off the building and died. Like let let them believe that, so it does kind of take the heat right off us. I'm just saying, in this one, it didn't seem like they're like because like in the first one, I was whipped barely. Like hell yeah, I ain't saying shit. In this one, I would have been like, yo, like I'm telling them what the fuck happened. Like I would I would be that guy. I would be like, yeah, I'm gonna tell them what fucking happened. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a weaker setup. I totally agree with you too, but I do understand where they're coming from because you know, bind by the law, there's some way that you're probably gonna get charged with criminal negligence for, you know, because you guys were all responsible for setting up this prank. So therefore you are involved. 
and it's criminal negligence and the family's probably going to see, like, I mean, if you want to get real technical about it, that's probably essentially what would happen. And it probably would. But the problem, the, the one thing though, is that it was like, he was like in on the prank. Like it was like, it oh, wasn't like sure. these guys like fucked up and like pranked some no, no, no. unsuspecting. You know, it, it doesn't matter. The, it doesn't matter that he was in on the prank. It's the fact of the matter that he died. Well, That's even what okay, happens. but okay, like the only person that should be scared is the one wearing the suit. The other three didn't do anything but run. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They might have set it up, but I, still, like they had no part in that guy's death. But I think, I think actually the girl, one of the girls notices, like she's the one that starts the whole thing. She's like, oh, look it up there. And everyone kind of turns and looks. Yeah, so. but still, like you're not going to get, what are you going to get charged with? You can't, you didn't do anything. Like, yeah, but I you mean, you can't if, get charged for, for being part of a practical joke. Like, they, yeah, it's like, called criminal neg- negligence. Yeah. What do you, what did, I don't know, dude. You're not going to get, uh, you, you might get some like probation down here or something. Like, you're not going to get fucking murdered, like any kind of crazy charge for, for, for those three that did. Well, if you're negligent, and this, that just means that the family of the deceased can sue the shit out of you, right? So you may not go to jail, but you are still responsible for the death. And who knows? You know, you don't want that. I don't think it <laughs> would hold up, man. I, I, I really do. don't. I do. I do. I've seen a lot of, criminal negligence cases before Maybe up in the it does happen canadia no man most of the stories are fucking american justice bullshit yeah, but dude, <laughs> it's like they did they literally did like what did they do because they, they were part of the prank there was like they, like they, they even, were part of like dude if i did if i was like hey i'm a killer and like like i'm like dude, dude all of them sat around and and Defi- decides they, they came up with this plan to do this so if you were sitting in that circle pre-game you are negligent for that death no matter you're linked to that no, death because they didn't cause the death like the dude the, the, like they, they, but they did but they did because they set up the prank he was up there because you guys were no, sitting they in set up a thought- stunt and he died during a stunt like it's different because they didn't like I know, but they nobody didn't, like, knows that this scenario where like that no they they wouldn't know that though because like there's mattresses down there like the idea was for him to jump off of the of course thing. it was a it stunt was a, it was a could, stunt that went bad you can say it, that it was a play that it was a rehearsal like it could be anything like that's not it like to me it's like it's not like a prank like you like in Carrie or something where like you cause somebody it's to like just, kill himself it's just like when it's just like when Owen Hart fell in the fucking in uh, WWF at the time there and died WWF at the time was was yeah, held they, responsible they, for it. they were hosting the thing it was their exactly company. but I'm just saying you look in the real world somebody has to be responsible for this it, that's just the way shit works I don't know I, I mean it I'm not never, go into it too it, much more I disagree I don't think that it would be really a hundred percent you ask anybody out there if you were part of a plan to do a joke Whatever, and something goes seriously wrong. But you can't, you can't just say to do a joke. It's this joke, a joke that that it, it, it doesn't clear. matter. That's that's what happened. That that's what they intended to set up this uh, this big you know prank or whatever, and it went fucking bad. And if you were part of the initial plan, even to get him up on there, you're responsible. That's just the way it works. I don't know, man. Hundred percent, it does. Hundred percent. <laughs> but anyways, getting to the film. So essentially right after this happens, which I find so jarring in itself too, because, you know, their friend has just died. And I feel like there was like no interaction with the cops and stuff. Like, don't you think they want to, you know, talk to you know certain people? Okay, you were with him at this. But there's none of that, really. It just finds them out in the woods and they're doing exactly what is happening in part one here. The four of them are discussing what what exactly they're going to do 
So they make a pact and they say, okay, let's kind of forget about this whole situation and uh, let's burn all the evidence and we'll go our separate ways and uh, never speak of this again. So it turns into the exact same storyline as the first one. Yeah. Uh, like exactly the same. So what do you, what do you think about, you know, from I there on? I think the pretty, pretty much whole middle of the film is kind of boring. Honestly, like it, it, I would say like the last 20 minutes are decent. Really? The whole middle of the film was okay. Yeah. Like I didn't care about the chick and her band thing. I didn't give a fuck about any of the characters. Like I thought these were the least likable characters in the entire series. Oh my God. I am so opposite, man. I find this movie <laughs> has the most likable characters. Really? I like the girl with the band and I like the, especially the lead character, man. She actually is like a legitimately nice character. And like, there's See, never, I don't, any... I don't need nice though. Like that's not something I, I don't know. Like she just, but she's, but she's a sympathetic. She's, She's a sympathetic character. Amber is is the character that you know, I, I, I guess it all comes down to like I can't buy the fact that they like that that this thing was like it, like the first film it made sense like they 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 killed a guy like these these people like their friend fucked up his stunt like it, they didn't do like they didn't kill him it wasn't it would be different if that friend didn't but they're still know. responsible. But not – I wouldn't blame myself. I'd be like, he fucked up his shit, dude. Like, I mean, like, yeah, we shouldn't have done that. It was kind of dumb. But, like, I, it ain't like the, the guy was unaware of the scenario where uh, the guy was chasing him and it was like a prank like of that. Course. So I can't buy it. But I all the people – but everyone that was involved in there put the – they were part of that that prank, though. They, they're the ones that put the truck there with the mattresses, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so, but what I'm saying is, like, they're not – it's not like they – fucking did some like devious thing like it was an accidental death in exactly that they were but there's all... always people that are criminally negligent in accidents yeah, okay but that's different it's just from like, having it's just like when you fucking... like that's legal blame i'm talking about like self-blame like like you would beat yourself up if you act if you killed somebody in the side of a road but if like if if one like it yeah okay the, it was a bad idea and stuff but and it ended up pretty crappily, but it isn't like you would t- in any way like it was. See, the problem is with the whole thing is that it's a premeditated plan. Yeah, and that's it's that's like, why it's that's like why if you're me and my friends were hanging out jumping off of a fucking pier, and one of them died. Like, yeah, it would be sad and stuff, but it's like not my fault that he died jumping off the pier. We, yeah, we were hanging out all down there. It was maybe it was my idea to go down there. Yeah, I know, but that but that's all coincidental though. I mean, if you're just sitting around and some dude jumps off a bridge, it's like whatever. But this is this is a premeditated plan. It's a premeditated like it's a premeditated plan to to do some crazy stunt. It's no different than doing a backflip off. I know. I'm I'm just talking from a legal perspective. Yeah, but I'm talking from I'm I I understand that the legal thing we already debated that. I'm just saying like the the characters like I I don't see why they're all like beat up over like this this thing that they like. Like it made sense in the first film because they were they were. Scared what do you mean? It was it was their friend that died. Of course they're gonna be they're gonna well, feel they're, responsible they're gonna, for it. But that's not why they're not they're not sad because he died. It never comes off like that to me. It, it comes off that they're living with this secret that they're that they're beat up. But it, to me, it's like it doesn't seem as big of a deal, and I can't get behind. No, it. it it definitely doesn't. They don't get that. They don't dig that far into the psyche of the characters. But there is moments where you know they're they're kind of reminiscent. And they do feel shitty for what happened to their buddy that died. Um, but yeah, of course, it is more about survival mode now. They are all for themselves, and you know, I mean, to a certain point. Uh, until, you know, the girls, you know, until everyone kind of gets together more, they're kind of forced to a little bit, I guess. But, uh, you know, that's, that's just the way it is, man. You know, I don't, I don't really know how else, how else to explain it. I mean, I feel like the characters are, they're doing exactly what they should be. 
doing. I mean, they're really for themselves. I mean, how else can you say? I mean, that's what it is. It's a pack. They go their separate ways. It's like, okay, you know, they have their moments and that's, it is what it is. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, I actually kind of enjoy this film because I do like the fact that they give the characters some type of, uh, they make them kind of believable. I mean, at least you have these guys that they show them at their jobs and stuff. You know, you've got, you've got this, this girl that's trying to make it big in the music biz, you know, they and explore seems, these characters. It, that's my issue too. Like it seems so just like, like cliche in how it's done. Like there's these executives from Hollywood that are here. They're going to be here for the show and they're going to see me. Oh, the, the guy from yeah, Hollywood. But that, doesn't, but that doesn't even matter. I'm talking about the exact, but the, the initial main characters though. I mean, they actually, they showcase what they are. You know, one dude is this big mechanic, you know, and uh, this chick's trying to make it in, in, in the music business. They actually take the time to show this. You know, it's not like the worst thing in the world, man. Like, I mean, to be honest, I think the acting in this film is better than the previous two. I'm not going to lie. I, I think, all, think so. I think, I think pretty much everybody in this film is a better actor than everybody in the other films. Maybe more than fucking Prince, Freddie Prince Jr. Who's shitting this one? I don't, I, I like, I, I, I mean, I like Brenda and, and Mackay Pfeiffer or whatever. And I even, I don't, I, I don't know. The, I don't, I don't like these characters at all. They're fucking boring and plain to me. I totally disagree, man. I think it gives them it gives them solid quality that they actually explore their personal lives and stuff, and you know, especially with some of the dialogue too, man. Like, there's it, it to me, it felt like real emotion, and I was expecting to fucking hate this film. I watched all three of these movies mm-hmm. in a row last. I watched the first two, and I took like an hour. Break do you, do you think it's the, because he was expecting to hate it so much that it, because it's not that bad? Which I agree, well, no, it's I've, not that no, bad. I've, that I've, I've was, seen this movie before, but I was expecting to. I shouldn't say fucking hate it because I never really like absolutely hated this film before. I didn't think it was like the worst thing in the world, but I was just, you know, watching it from this vantage point and kind of looking at the characters and stuff. I'm like, man, there's really, I, I actually kind of like the characters. I like what they did with some of them and stuff. It just, it's believable to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt the, I, I felt the acting is strong way, in this man. And I felt the acting is really strong in this film. I do feel there's a lot of, I mean, this film is obviously major low budget and, you know, the filmmaking is a little jarring at times because it's, it's done with help, uh, you know, um, uh, it's not like still cam, you know, it's done by handhelds and stuff. Dude, a lot of the, times. The, the filmmaking in this movie with the camera shots and the quick cuts is so frustrating me to me. I, I hate that style, dude. It drives mm-hmm. me crazy. Yeah, this is definitely uh, um, it's very. It feels like a very almost independent type film with those type of editing skills. And I just don't know why they chose to use the handheld in a lot of in, in certain scenes, especially because it doesn't need to be done like that. I felt it's just you know, an over stylized thing. It is. It, it's a little bit over. I thought looked cool. It definitely because there's there's scenes where characters are walking, but you know the filmmaker like the the DP is like holding the camera and. I don't know, man. It, it just, there's way too many jarring moments with it. You're just like, what the fuck? Like, why is it moving like that? But yeah, that's one of my biggest complaints about this, man, is just the way the film was actually done. But like, to me, care. like, also in the other two films, like, I at least believe that Brenda and like, what's her face, Jennifer Love Hewitt, were actually friends. Like, none of these people feel like they even liked each other or would even be hanging out. Well, the thing is, they they talk about the history with the two girls. Like they were like really good friends and stuff like that. You know, they they do actually. Yeah, the two girls are the only ones that actually do feel legit. But like the other ones well, don't. Like the girl and her previous boyfriend and stuff. Like I don't know, dude. It's just 
Well, the guys actually weren't, I don't, I think it even says that they weren't even that close of friends or whatever before. Like they were acquaintances, but it was more about the, the two lead girls in this really. Um, I do feel that in the middle of the film, it does get a little, like a little gaggable with their sappy bullshit. You know how girls kind of mend their relationships and bullshit. Yeah. yeah man. But even like with the cop and like how he had a like little crush on the girl. Like, I don't know. Like it all just <laughs> felt so lame to me, dude. Like no, all that's, the characters. That's, that's, that's another, that's another thing I have noted here that I didn't like, man. I feel like that is just so forced because this cop all of a sudden is having this huge crush on this girl that's, you know, like, He's a way fucking older. It just didn't feel natural at all. It's like you're you feel you're a cop, dude. You shouldn't be acting like a goddamn creep. You know that's one. Yeah, it's fucking stupid too. But like to to me, it, like the whole again back with the beginning of the film, like how it came out. Like it, to me, it feels like okay, one of these guys played the fucking uh, slicker killer guy, and like when the cops like interrogate them like i just feel like they would like their stories would have been fucked up and like i don't know like it just did not feel like natural enough to me for it to really even like i feel like they would have fucking they somebody would have been like me and been like well fuck shit i didn't i wasn't wearing the fucking slicker like like yeah this was sort of like a a plan that we had but like all i did was come up with a few ideas i don't know it's it's again with that but that's a different though. Like, I mean, if you don't think that you're going to get in trouble, you're probably going to say that. But if you know real law, if you're part oh, of the plan, you're negligent. I'm serious, man. I'm dead fucking serious. I've seen people get out of fucking crazier shenanigans than that, man. Well, trust me, man. I, I'm not going to say I'm like a law expert, but I really, really love my law shit, man. You up here, you'd be negligent. I'm just saying. So. I mean, you might catch a little charge or something, but I just don't feel like you're like you're not going to be like well, like they're the worrying they, in the first. They're not worrying characters. about going to jail for life. No, but they're, they're naive characters. They're naive characters. Too naive. You might you might not go to jail forever. Of course, you're not going to go for jail you forever. Won't but even it's get just jail time. It's the simple fact of you know being in trouble at all for that because I mean, there's the people thing- who have been in like you know car wrecks and stuff who accidentally killed other people and like it, i don't know man it's just it, it it's just the setup that's not premeditated though right so it's a yeah, totally it's, different it is different it is different it's but, a totally different scenario but um yeah man i mean there's yeah i don't know man Th- this movie is of course without its faults man it has these stupid fucking dream sequences which again which i can't stand i've, I've said it so many times it's like dreams within dreams and Oh my God, seriously. <laughs> you know, it's got all those cliched moments. You know, the characters are, you know, paranoid and dream sequences. And I'm just like, Oh my God, here we go. Listen, again. I, I know a gr- a couple, right? I know a couple who literally was babysitting, uh, one of their friend's daughters and both their daughter and their friend's daughter drowned at the river and they were both there and neither of them caught any charges. Okay, they could just be a legitimate accident, though. I mean, but isn't that negligence? It could be. It depends what the circumstances are. I don't know what all the evidence is, right? Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, I I just feel like it's different, though, man. If if she if she was by the water and she walked away and stuff, and she's supposed to be watching, that is negligence. If you're Mm -hmm. there and they drowned legitimately in front of you. If they drown and they're legitimate in front and you're trying, it's totally different. It, it depends on what the scenario is. You have to examine all the evidence and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the way it is, right? There's certain things that can totally change a case, but, um, I don't know, man. 
I'm tired, man. (laughs) I I honestly don't mind this movie, man. I don't know why. Like, there's so much. The same shit's wrong with this one that's wrong with the other two. No, I just I find it a lot more enjoyable. Honestly, I liked. I really kind of enjoyed the characters. I thought the the rock movie looks like it was filmed with a goddamn toaster as well. Yeah, it's blurry it, at times, dude. It does. It's not like I said. Yeah, the cinematography is not the greatest in this. The, the film style, whatever, the, whatever they shot this on, which I believe they shot this on film, because it's super fucking grainy, man. The DVD is super grainy, um, which is kind of interesting that this would have been done like that too. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I think that the I do kind of like the killer in this one, man. I think he looks fucking scary as hell in this. Yeah, he looks pretty good. I think the killer is probably the scariest he's looked in the three films. Um, I think the ending is pretty cool. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of odd when you get the reveal in this one and you're like, Oh, what the fuck? You know, it, it's kind of a strange moment, but you know, knowing that ahead of time, exactly that the killer was basically the ghost of the fisherman is essentially what it was. So it was filmed on 35, 35. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking. But yeah. it's interesting how they shot it on 35 millimeter and they fucking handheld that shit, man. It's fucking wild. Cause it's, uh, I mean, it's not very, it's very, um, discombobulating. You know, it's, it's kind of like, it's almost distracting at times, but that's intentional though, which is, it's like, it's a weird well, the, style that I don't like. The, no, but there's times in the film where it doesn't, I don't even know why they would have done it. It's only when the killer's on screen, dude. No, there, there's it's, actually, I think a, it's supposed to lend to like the supernatural effect of him. Oh yeah, for sure. I get that. But no, there is actually other times where the camera work is a little, is a little, uh, mixed matchy too. Mm-hmm. Uh, with just characters walking and things like that, that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Just inexperienced filmmaking, I would, I would assume, you know, I, I understand what they're trying to do, you know, kind of, you know, make that shit all like supernatural and stuff, you know, relatable to the ghost, but, yeah, but if you're going to, but, but if you're going to do it in other scenes while characters are just walking from point A to point B, yeah, it's probably you're kind of losing your your touch with uh, you know your focus of the film. So, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I there's I, I I really did like the music in the film too. I thought it was actually kind of good. Yeah, kind of fit. It kind of fit for what exactly we're doing. This movie kind of has the mediocre body count. I think there were seven kills in this one. Um, what did you like about the very very end of the film? Uh, like the, the like cliffhanger again. Yeah. Yeah, fucking got sick of it by the third time, man. <laughs> I know. I was like, are you fucking kidding me, man? Because, like, I mean, they obviously have to do this because who knows? Somebody might make a – I know what you did last summer, part well, four. a remake announced now. I know. I know. So, Which, honestly, like, they could improve on it. It ain't like the first one's a perfect film or anything. Oh, big time. Yep. So, um, yeah, man. I don't know, dude. Like, like I liked this one more back in the day when I seen it the first time. Uh, this time I, I really didn't care for it that much. I like the the idea, the core concept about like the. Did the, you marathon these films again? No, I sometimes did. I watched sometimes this one marathon today, but I was really tired. I I kept I kept having to. Okay. Like because I was sit that's, up. That's that's honestly why I, that's honestly why I watched the first two films last night and then I took a break purposely to clear my mind and just kind of go in this you know just you know totally objective and I really enjoyed it. I mean, like, I mean, I, I, I should, I, I think I'm exaggerating really too much here. It's not a great film, but I, I think I was more or less surprised with the. There's just not like, active. dude, like to me, like nothing happens. Like fucking nothing happens in the middle of the movie. Like what no, happens? Tell me, tell me what happens. But it's exactly, it's exact. 
it's exactly like the first film, man. There's just a lot of, but there's like a almost a, unnecessary a, a, a I mean, I should say narrative going on in the first film. Yeah, I, I know, but this one, but this one's more. It's more about developing their characters and their and their bonds. They're trying to they, mesh. What are they developing? Like, there's nothing. I'm not to saying the middle is good. I'm not. I already said the the middle was kind of fucking stupid with the the whole it's gaggable fucking girl bondage and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, it's now, not the great girl bondage. I'm down. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I don't know, man. I mean, the, it just makes sense the, the way the characters interact with each other. They're all pissed off because, especially with the guys and the girls, man, because they're obviously not close. And it just felt believable okay. to me. I'm like, hey, this guy's like, fuck her. And she's like, fuck him. And, uh, but they're still really trying to work on exactly. Maybe what it is for on. me is because since they're doing the same scenario in which they're regretting something that they did, but it's a lesser thing. Maybe I, that's why I just can't get on board with it because it's like, we already had this one that was so intense and real that if this one's lesser, then I automatically am going to like it less. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I guess yeah, maybe I mean, that makes me angry because it's like, why couldn't you just done something that was like bigger or like, you know, like well, it's just the way that played out. Like do so, what that, that's maybe that's what I just didn't like. That's a stupid choice. Like do something more creative and, you know, like why couldn't they have accidentally, like, I know, but why couldn't they have just not let that guy that was skating in on the prank? That would have made it totally I, more justifiable. I know, but I know, but we have to review the film on what we're seeing, not which what we wish we were seeing no you can say that why it was a bad choice to do it that way though for sure for sure yeah i mean yeah i mean it's definitely doesn't that make more sense right like if he died and it's like oh shit like we accidentally killed our friend because he thought the killer was serious and we didn't get time to tell him that it was a joke and and he fell off the thing and he died like that would make so much more sense to to keep it a secret then Mm -hmm. why let him in on the joke at all but no, seriously, that's a serious question. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just wrote a better movie. That's why I can't get it. I, I don't know. I don't know. You I, I'm just telling me that wouldn't be better. It might be. What, it might what, be. I mean, I, I mean, depending on if the you know if they shot the film, not annoying. But <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it all depends on certain things, man. But uh, yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say about the film, man. I mean, there's not really much else to say. Yeah, I'm at all. I mean, th- th- I think one thing that we didn't mention, this is by far the bloodiest and goriest of the films by far. There's seven kills. There's actually blood and pretty decent kills. The effects are practical. Um, there's a scene where a chick gets her, her stomach gutted pretty good and you can actually see it. And I was like, oh, that's actually not the worst thing in the world. I mean, it's not like fucking the goriest thing in the world, but at least it's there. They are trying. They were trying. So I'll give them that credit. So. Right, you got you got to say though you yeah, you have yeah, to tell me yeah. that this one at least they went that extra limit and they the kills were kind of I mean they weren't the most creative things in the world but they weren't the worst and there was some moments in here where they tried some things that I think are a little too big there's like a rigging moment with a with an engine <laughs> that like just seems like it fails on all levels because they totally don't get the killer <laughs> <laughs> I just find that fucking scene to be hilarious but um oh yeah yeah yeah. And there's one major, major fail in this film that I noticed too. Uh, there's a scene where they're, they're going through the scrapbook of old clippings of, um, you know, the previous, I know what you did last summer films. And it shows a clipping from the second film and it says four teens killed on a Bahamas island. What the fuck is that? <laughs> what the hell is that even alluding to? First of all, 
if you're going to say four teens were killed, you're alluding to the four main characters. Um, they did not die. Two no, of them did not. But three of them did. Yeah, I know, but it's saying four. I'm trying to think if there was like a fourth. Of the main, no. I mean, there was, might have been another teenager there somewhere. <laughs> that That's didn't... the thing. I, I, I just, I kind of looked at it. I, I mean, like, yeah, that is kind of a flub. Yeah, big time. And I don't know if that's, I mean, it says Bahamas Island. So, I mean, it's obviously referring to the previous sequel, uh, cause they're talking about like the urban legend that this thing yeah, actually. Yeah, I mean, was maybe, uh, what's her face died later in the hospital. <laughs> Brenda or whatever, Bri- Brianna, Bri- Brianna. Could be. I, I have no <laughs> idea. I have no idea what they're trying to get at. Cause there. you don't see her when it's only, uh, what's her face and Ray at the end. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, man. Uh, anything else you have on this one? I don't know. What did you think when they actually showed the killer's face? I, I liked it. You know, I, I didn't, uh, it, like, it could be better, obviously, but I was, I was down with that. Like, I kind of, I kind of dug it, actually. I was like, damn. I like the moment where dude is like, they kind of chop off his arm a little bit and he's like, what the fuck? He's like, what the fuck is that black shit coming out of his arm? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Way it says it, I was like, At oh, first, yeah. I thought it was going to be like the hook was how they killed him or something like you had to hit, jab him with the hook or something from the original because he bought it off of ebay remember the original hook used in the murder <laughs> you know you have you have to say that the uh you know the way they kill the the killer is um it's quite ambitious yeah but it doesn't make much sense it doesn't make any sense but it's like why like they went out of their ways to you know kind of set up that yeah but uh, that's like also another budget. like cliche moment where it's like there, there's this big fucking thing at the end where you know that it's that's oh i know i know shit. i i know and it just kind of adds to the the mystery of this film it's like it's just okay he's supernatural but this can happen i'm just like this is so fucking strange to me man i don't know I I just, I, it's, like, it's a it's a it's a plot written i mean it's just it's a it's a mess of a film at times this is a roll your eyes film honestly it is like i i feel like i roll my eyes at like everything the characters are saying like everything they're doing like the like li- like to me just the overall nature of like the incident that happens like it's a roll your eyes moment okay <laughs> okay <laughs> you want to get into ratings on this one yeah i'll go first um right. to me like I really, really like the setup of the film in terms of like the, uh, the real, the, the, the super, like the killer's real. Like he's a real legend. And like I thought it was interesting to do something a little bit different. Uh, there was some decent kills in the film. Um, but the rest of the film is just eye rolling and just, I don't give a fuck. Like that, that's the f- general feeling I get when these people are speaking to each other. Like, I don't give a fuck what you're saying right now. Like, and, I, I know you kind of had that with the other two films, but I had it more with this one. Um, I just like the cop every time he would speak, I'd be like, "Shut the fuck up!" Like nobody cares about your like puppy dog love thing going on. Like it's so fucking lame. It's it's painfully lame. And if, it, if the final twenty minutes of this film are great, like the final chase scenes and like when they're in the thing and the killer's like slashing at him and he's like uh, like has his legs spread and they're like under him and like the carport or whatever it is like that's that's the stuff that i like the action and things like that but all the dialogues and different relationships and the the sad things that they're all feeling for like the way that that thing went down and the way that went down in general i don't care bad choice in my opinion it was it was a terrible choice the way it went uh moods disagrees or not he doesn't really disagree that it was a not done super well 
he just disagrees on the legal actions. Which he, he could he's probably right. I don't know much about legal stuff. <laughs> probably, <right>? yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I just I I've seen so many people get out of shit. Like I mean, I've got out of shit. Like it, it's insane. Like I, I just didn't feel like they. I, I don't know how much of a feels like a slap on her wrist type thing. Um, but. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a movie that I don't really like all that much. Like I like certain ideas about it, but I think it's pretty weak. And I think it's definitely weak than weaker than the other two in terms of entertainment value. Uh I give it a uh, 4.5 out of 10. Low average. Yeah, I I I, I disagree with this one. And for some reason I just kind of connected with these characters a lot more. I just felt like right away that roll the your eyes. the act Oh, for sure, man. Like there's there's moments in this film where I'm just like I even wrote down uh, gaggable fucking relations, blah blah blah. You know, it's like <laughs> that was there, the there, worst though. That was his low. There, was there is point. There is parts in the middle and stuff, but I do feel for the characters, man. Like, you know, there's something about the way they're delivering their lines and stuff. It just feels so much. It's so honest to me. I felt like everyone actually wasn't that bad of an actor. I mean, I mean, from the main core, I mean, the main four actors in the film and stuff. I thought they're all pretty decent. Uh, mixed in, you know, with a pretty decent body count. At least the practical effects were there. Um, but there's so many things about the film too that just bug the shit out of me, like the jarring cinematography in it at times. Oh yeah, that too. It's really, really hard to watch at times. You're just like, fuck. It's almost at times you're thinking, is this found footage? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's like to the point of that. You're like, wow, that's really fucked up. Um, again, no tits, no nudity, no sex. I mean, these films really do stray away from that, which, you know, at the time, after three films, you're kind of like, okay, I, I kind of respect it that they're really sticking to their guns here and they're really not. No, fuck that. that. I, I don't respect <laughs> that. Like the third one that's directed video, you should have some tits. You know, you would think there would be, right? You think there would be. But I think this one gives the characters a little bit of balance too, you know. And, you know, I mean, at least it showcase exactly who they are and stuff. And I don't know, man, I just kind of, I kind of got into the relationships a little bit, even though it did last a little bit too long in the middle of the film. But like you said, the last 20, 25 minutes of the film are actually pretty exciting. And it's pretty interesting when you find out the reveal that, you know, the killer is supernatural. He's like the ghost of, you know, the previous films. I think that's really interesting because it kind of makes you think you're like, okay, is he just avenging, you know, this prank because he knew about it and it, it kind of keeps it open a little bit. And uh, you kind of think about it, use your own discretion to figure out what it is. But, I don't know, man. There's moments in this film I really do like. Lots that I don't. Um, but for some odd reason, I do like this film more than the second one. I'm going to give it five and a half out of ten. <laughs> I really do. Uh, well, I mean, it's slightly less retarded than the first, the second one. I, I mean, I, I will agree with that. Like, it, this one's I mean, more you have to put it in terms of plot. I think the setup is fucking atrocious i think but, that i think the fact of the matter is is that the straight to video film didn't try to fucking use stupid jokes like the second film and it, it just it really didn't try to be something that it wasn't trying to be it was just okay we're just true. gonna use I, I give her props for being played like straight serious honestly because you could yeah. have easily not done that but it was it was being it was playing itself serious it was taking itself serious but not too too serious at the same time it wasn't like getting crazy crazy over the top yeah um, which it, it never does you know it kind of stays on that level <laughs> you know what man? even though it has a really kind of you know use your own judgment ending if you dig the supernatural element or you believe it or whatever i kind of i think it's cool you, you know so. when you watch like a sitcom or uh, you watch a sitcom and they go they're always filming like in the house but then they go outside and the footage is always like different like quality or like 
uh, like an after school special where like they, they, they have like outside footage that's all like shitty looking or even like a, um, just any situation where they go and, or, or like a, a soap opera where they show like a car chase or something. That's how that whole like skateboard scene was like filmed. <laughs> it just looked shitty, dude. I have so much beef with that whole fucking thing, man. It's garbage. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly don't. I don't think it's overly that bad, to be honest. But I don't know, Maybe man. I'm just a hater, dude. I don't know, man. It's no, I'm not. I'm not. No, balls. you're entitled to your own opinion. I'm not even. You know, it is what it is. I mean, I, I'm. I just don't think it's really that bad. I, I think this movie is actually a lot it's better. Relies, I think it's, a so fairly- it's just at the core of the whole story of the film. And it's just done so poorly compared to the first one. And I am doing a direct comparison with that because it's such a similar scene. Yeah. Um, I just can't. I just well, sure. never on board. For sure. It's it. like and Al- if you can't get on board with that first scene, I don't think you can really get on board with a lot of what's happening in the movie. Because it, because it, that's the whole. I think, I think it intrigued me because, you know, watching the film again and not, you know, not getting what I was kind of expecting was, you know, that over the top comedy and things like that. I just didn't really remember the film at all, and I was like, wow, it's actually playing itself serious. Um, I'm not minding these characters, and uh, I don't know, man, I was digging it. (laughs) You know, I mean, I am a little surprised. I, I gotta say, I, I was expecting you to not really care for it too much, like. I do really – I think I the mean, five and part a half about it is like taking it like supernatural. Yeah, that is true. Like five and a half is not that good of a rating. Like it's yeah. technically good but not really. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean what, what do we have? Point difference in our ratings? <laughs> yeah, you had four and a half. That was actually the the only under par rating. I was actually quite surprised by that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um I don't know. What do you feel about like this trilogy as a whole? I think it needs. Um, I, I think it honestly could be improved big time. I think there's a lot of problems with it. You know, the first film just has such a great idea to it that I think, you know, could be definitely improved on, uh, especially in the middle parts of the film. The second one, I, I feel, is just it's that fucking Jack Frost too, man. <laughs> It's Jack Frost too, is what it is to me, man. It's so silly. The movie is just silly. It adds comedic elements with a retarded storyline and twists and turns where you're just like, what the fuck? I'm like, I'm falling. I'm literally falling through my couch in these plot holes, man. It's like, what the fuck? Um, and then the third one is an interesting one because it almost plays out like a remake at first, but then it kind of ties into the original films and it, it's just kind of a messy trilogy really is what it is. Yeah, you know, it, it's it, weird. It is it, kind of odd that like I don't think it gives you what you two... think it's going to be. I think this trilogy doesn't give you what you think it's going to be. I think when you go into it, I think you're you're probably thinking it's going to be this very kind of typical stock and slash type, you know, kind of straightforward slashes, which, which you kind of get in the second film. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing is just not really like that, you know. Yeah, it, it's very weird. It's not. It's it's definitely an oddball trilogy. I mean, they are. They did announce a remake that's supposed to come out at the beginning of 2017, I believe. Apparently, yeah. Sony says it's uh, top priority for them to get to do it. So we'll see what happens with that. Then we'll have to do another podcast. <laughs> so Sony stolen's right. Because what happened with the second film? Because the first one was put out by Sony, the second one was put out by Columbia, and then the third one was put out by Sony again. So Sony still has the rights. So what was up with the second film? 
Why did Columbia um, put it out? Columbia put it out? Yeah, Columbia Pictures. Um, yeah, Columbia TriStar put out the second one, but then the third one wait, was Sony Wait, TriStar against. put out the first one, too. <clears throat> I believe. Didn't they? Hold on, let me, I, I'm going to have to get into oh, the you production. Know what? It's actually fucking Columbia. Yeah, these are all owned by... Oh, maybe it's the same... Is Columbia and Sony... Oh, what? shit. I don't what? even know. Well, actually, I'm just kind of, I just grabbed the back of this thing. I was like, okay, this one's put it with Sony. It says Columbia on the first. And the second one says Columbia. And then the third one. Yeah, just that's says because Sony. Sony owns Columbia now. So I don't know what the hell's going on. Alrighty, so I guess that's probably going to conclude episode 82 here. I hope you guys enjoyed it, man. I was really, really having a great time tonight. Um, or having a great time. I had a great time tonight, I should say. Uh, yeah, man, JP, great to be back in the booth. Absolutely. Some horror knowledge for the, uh, the folk out there. And, uh, yeah, man, hopefully we can do this again real soon because, uh, it'll be a shame if we can't. We got a lot of good shows, you know, lined up if we can get to them. Mm -hmm. Just a matter of, uh, you know, if it works out, but I'm sure it will because I'm, you know, trying to be very optimistic about this. Love doing this. So, um, but yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. JP, take us out of here. Yeah, everybody. It's good to be back. Hopefully we come back right away with another episode. By right away, I don't mean next week. But hopefully, you know, relatively soon after that. I mean, I I do miss it a lot. I was actually going through with Charles with it. Um, Thanks to everybody for checking out the show. Uh, I I did recently check iTunes, and we have got, I think, three more reviews since the last time I looked. I think we're at about 14 uh, or 17 I think seven, 17 ratings 14 reviews Damn. um guys i mean it helps tremendously if you review so i mean and and remember anybody who leaves reviews will automatically be entered in any contest we do in the future uh so definitely to the you can check out the website 22 shots of moods and horror.com uh join the facebook group Facebook slash group slash 22 podcast, 22 shots podcast. You got Twitter, 22 shots podcast, uh, horophilia.com, YouTube. I'm double shot J. That's mood 616. Um, we're done. We're through. We're out. Peace. <laughs>